Good evening, Mr. Magnet. Good evening, Mr. Eliopoulos. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to review the first two Mission Impossible movies, codenamed Mission Impossible and Mission Impossible 2. As always, if you are caught or compromised in any way, Brandon T. McClure will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This record will self-destruct in roughly three hours. Good luck, gentlemen. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, question. Where does Lip Biscuit show up? <laughs> Not soon enough. Not soon enough. <laughs> Hello, everyone. As I scrambled to get that intro going as that best was, as I could. That was a good intro for a second. I was like, what happened? Where'd you go? <laughs> I knew there was a bit, but I just wasn't sure what it was. And I'm like, oh, that's good. That's good. I, didn't, I didn't think it was a bit. I thought his camera crapped out. Like, literally, when we started recording, I was like, oh, shit. Do I have to, like, do I have to do something? Do, what are we going to happen? Then the, no, he's the Anthony second... Hopkins. He was being Anthony Hopkins. Originally, originally, I was just going to be here, but I was like, no, we never see the recording. I got to do it. I got to do it without seeing it. That was that was that was really good actually appreciate that thank you uh of course i am brandon c mcclure as as before mentioned uh with ben magnet and ryan ryan eliopoulos um yep. sparks witty is not with us currently but he will join us a little later on in the episode okay, yep you had a big day it's coming later and as i said we are talking about the mission impossible films the first two it's our beginning we are beginning to get to mission impossible dead reckoning part one which is what entry seven hell yeah Oh, so. I have a lot more that I have to. <laughs> and they only and, get better. Good and news. they only they get, better. Actually, they I, get better. Actually, I knew that the, I, I should have known that there were six because on Paramount Plus, it, it does say six. It says MI6 on it. Mm. But also when I was watching these movies, but I actually am glad that things are going to get better. But, <laughs> okay. I'm, but I'm glad I'm starting this journey yeah. on watching we're... all the Mission Impossible films because for the longest time, the only Mission Impossible films I've seen are two and three. I'd never seen the first one, but of course I always see the, uh, we'll get into it when we get into it. And also I'm kind of bummed because the one thing of Mission Impossible that I do have in my house is the Mission Impossible soundtrack mm. with the Limp Biscuit song and the Metallica song on there. And those songs are still on my phone and my iTunes and I love them unironically. I still think they're great songs. That's great. Man, they're, they're not awful. They're not awful. No? Actually, if you really listen to like the Limp Biscuit song, that, those are like, damn, that actually kind of that's pretty deep if you think about it i know people give crap to limb biscuit but holy shit their lyrics are actually like pretty damn good you heard it here first y'all limb this limb biscuit deeper than you thought deeper yeah. than you thought that's what she said um so starfish in the hot dog flavored water it's deeper than you think y'all. Ah! <laughs> that's the name of their album and i definitely bought it when i was like 13 <laughs> it's still on my itunes chocolate starfish and hot dog flavored water still on it still got some bangers <laughs> Uh, ben, real quickly, I also had I also added this. <laughs> so perfect for Tom Cruise month. I'm so happy. All right, uh, we're using the soundboard more often, guys. So hopefully, you guys enjoy our random sounds. Um, all right. Yeah. Uh, we do have links in the description before we get started. However, not many. Uh, it was kind of a once again another light week light week for us. Um. First, I will say, right, the WGA strike is still going on. We're going to talk a little bit about it, not much uh, in the news, but it is still going on. So the link is still in the description for anyone who wants to learn how to support, learn what they're fighting for, anything like that. Mm -hmm. I'll give, I'll probably give you the spiel every week or unless I forget, but it will always be in the description. Uh, so if you don't forget, check it out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, then uh, let's say 
Hey, Ben, you want to talk about Dean Dark? Yeah, I do want to talk about Dean Dark. Talk about Dean Dark. Yeah, sure. I'll definitely talk about Dean Dark because this episode was the episode where we like fully introduce uh, my character's father slash creator, Victor Frankenstein. He's with us. We're exploring. We're trying to get out of this creepy dungeon. We're talking to um, Gore, the brain in a jar. And yo, some creepy shit is going down and also not only that because um if you listen to the episode you know that um editor dan sneaks in of like what he personally sent to uh josh the gentleman who plays victor frankenstein because mm-hmm. as players we had no idea and not, and i don't want to spoil stuff but now i now i'm kind of glad that events happened later down the line because after as i listened to the episode i'm like oh i am so relieved we did what we did later on revelations revelations revelations. what happened but um yeah mary got some daddy issues (laughs) it was a fun episode victor's a a great character yeah i listened great character i downloaded it for my plane ride home uh so i wanted to listen to it i'm glad you enjoyed it but yeah dean dark new episodes coming up wednesdays and uh more shit's going down so that is episode 28 in the description below Um, I also was on Kaiju Weekly, um, this earlier today, just a couple hours ago, if you're, if you're watching this live stream, um, I was on this week's episode of Kaiju Weekly, where we, we kind of caught up on a bunch of things. Uh, we talked about the Skull Island trailer, uh, Meg 2, a lot of things you've heard me talk about here already, um, but, or you will hear me talk about, but it's, you know, it's fun to do it with those guys, um. As you get, as I mentioned before, I'm the website editor for kaijuramenmedia.com. Um, so, you know, it's just fun. It's just good to hang out with those guys. We also talked about the uh, Shin Japan Heroes figure, the new, the new kind of crossover mech figure of uh, Sh- uh, Shin Godzilla, Ultraman, Ava, and um, ooh, what's it? What's it? What's Common the Common Rider? Common Rider. Common Rider. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so that was really cool. So check that out. That's linked below as well. Basement Arcade Posman, you had a new episode, Ben. Yes, it did. I uh, sat down with uh, Yuri Yakimenko. He is a gentleman who created a game called Real Pong, which is a has a really great twist on the classic Pong. Uh, the twist is where uh, the, instead of the panels just going like up and down, they go everywhere. Hmm. It's, a, it's essentially it's it's essentially th- like think of it as like air hockey, but still like classic Pong, and you're not you know facing across from someone. But yeah, instead of Pong just going up and down, up and down. They go, woo, they go everywhere. And I, I played it at SoCal Gaming Expo, and it was great. It's like Windjammers almost. Almost like Windjammers. Just a little bit. You can find the audio and the video of that show linked below. And then finally, linked below uh, is my episode, my latest episode of Conversation, uh, where I talk to Sean Farrick from Trek Culture. Uh, and the Clone Star podcast, Sean Farrick, if you are in the Star Trek fandom, you have probably seen his videos on Trek culture. He does the ups and downs for all the Star Trek shows um, currently airing, um, basically just the after show reviews. Very intuitive, very insightful. Um, I mentioned it before, but I got a chance to talk to him when he had broken his leg last year. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I had a great talk with him. He was a super fun guy, super lovely. Um, and we talked about uh, just kind of living in the trek fandom in this current age which is kind of hell but he makes it work and it's a, and it's a lot of fun it's really great to to hear from him and i, I really value that conversation that's good uh this coming week though cookie from just a little podcast yay 
Boop, boop, boop. He is no longer podcasting, but uh, I recorded that episode and it's coming out. So, you know. Yeah. There you go. That's all the links, though. All right. So who wants to go first of the week? I will. Do it. So there's one giant thing I want to talk about, which I know Ryan's going to talk about, but there's one thing I'm going to talk about before that. And it's something that I did, honestly, 20 minutes, 10 minutes before we started recording this show. And I finished the first season of Star Wars Rebels. No. Yeah. um, Oh, you finished. Sorry. You said you finished Rebels. Sorry. I I was making a joke. Sorry. Say it again. I know. I know you were. I finished season one of Star Wars Rebels and I now on season two. Um, that show is fantastic. Yes. Um, you you definitely you definitely get the you definitely get the desperation in the Empire. You, uh, like um, like with Andor, like so with Andor, obviously the tyranny, the the oppression, and what how horrible the Empire is is you know dialed up to twenty on a on a ten uh, on a ten scale um, dial. But I mean, granted, Rebels, it is a kid show. They have to, you know, take it back a little bit. But they do show you that the Empire sucks. They're horrible people. They you have they have um, liars everywhere. One of my favorite episodes is the one with the senator who is actually a double agent for the Empire who lures in insurgents and then springs a trap for him. The bond between Ezra and Kanan is amazing. It's growing. Um of course, as um, not as um, Ezra Sabine, I love them. Hera and Kanan, I love them. I love them together. And just like that last episode where they spring Kanan off a of Grand Moff Tarkin Star Destroyer, and like the final scene is Darth Vader. I'm just like, ah, yeah, baby. I mean, um, don't get me wrong. We see Dale Orgado. Oh. How do you like Chopper? That homicidal maniac son of a bitch. I love <laughs> that. I love I that was, droid. He's the best. I love that droid. <laughs> like when they get to the when when they get the courier droid and uh Zeb is like, hey, I like this droid, and then Chopper and Sabine is trying to close the hatch doors, and Chopper just knocks him off and the droid flies. <laughs> they just look at him. And I'm even trying to keep track of Chopper's kill count. When they rescue Kanan, he just like shot five stormtroopers out of an airlock into deep space i'm like well they're all dead do you know who voices chopper uh no dave filoni yeah that's true makes sense makes sense like every time you you do hear him say "Uh oh that that makes sense that's funny ben because we both did we both are doing two of the same things because i'm also rewatching rebels uh because i there's a podcast a podcast i listen to that's going kind of arc by arc so i'm only six episodes in because uh, i'm doing it weekly but uh I'm, I'm glad to be back it's great yeah i'm i'm glad to want i i mean season one spoilers obviously we see ahsoka for a hot second bail organa shows up we see bail organa at the very beginning of the season and we see him again at the end of the season mm-hmm. which i mean just hearing jimmy smith's again talk as bail organa makes me happy that's not jimmy smith not that's oh, the... oh no it's not him uh that's someone that's else samurai jack phil lamar phil lamar thank you Thank you. Never mind. But at least he, Jamie Smith's got to come back in Kenobi. That's beside the point. The point is, we Ray. see characters that we know and love. The point is, we see characters that we know and love. Ryan yeah. left. I'm here. Oh, camera. Oh. Keep talking. You're fine. I'm okay. fine. Keep talking. But yeah, um, I finished season one of Rebels. Can't wait to get into season two. And of course, the other thing is what everyone else with a Nintendo Switch is probably playing. The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom biggest thing i did was i beat the my first temple i did the wind temple first 
Um, God damn, guys. This game truly is going to be game of the year. Yo, I, that first boss, that air boss, whole baloney, holy oh, Not only that, when I'm playing this game, be it a puzzle in the dungeon or a puzzle in a shrine, the aha moments that I get when I solve a puzzle or figure out a way for me to solve a puzzle is just one of the biggest rushes ever. I mean, there have been some things where I, I've looked up things. Like, I've looked up a Korok seed every once in a while just to, like, to make sure, just to see if there's one close to me or... There's a thousand. Like, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know there was, there was 900 in Breath of the Wild. Now there's a thousand? I'm like, oh, sh- I'm not going to get them all. I know that much. Just like the Riddler trophies, I ain't doing that. Yeah, F that. I'm going to try to get as much as I can. But just getting, just... Breath of the Wild, or not Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom reminds me how, why I loved playing Breath of the Wild so much. Because it's, you have a, oh, what's over here a moment? Like, whereas even, because there are days I'm playing this game where like, I'm just going to explore, just get a sky tower, do a few caves, do a few shrines. And then one day it's like, okay, I got another part of the map opened up. Let's uh, let's do some side quests. Let's go a quest. And there's got to be some stuff going on. Oh, there's more stuff. Cool. Let's go explore even more. And then it's like, all right, you know, I made it here. Let's go tackle this big dungeon. And now it's just like, it's a cycle, but at the same time, I don't. When I get distracted, I don't feel bad for getting distracted. You know, it's there's always something over that horizon, and there's always something at the top, like be it a Korok seed or, or just or a shrine that you didn't think you were able to get to. And I just love how the game rewards you, no matter what conclusion you get to it. Like there's a puzzle in that Wind Temple where it involved a treasure chest inside of a behind a a, a gate. But there's like a little square opening for the gate. And my dumbass thought, oh, there must be a way to open this gate. No, there's not. But you know what I can do? I was able to stick a bunch of bicycles together, put it in the hole, attach, stick that to the chest, and pull it out. Which is how I did it. <laughs> yeah, that's it, why that's incredible. Because I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do that. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. That's the yeah. best thing. It worked. Yeah. Uh, my, my favorite thing chest. is how like sometimes and it's it's become like the joke of the game like just build a really long bridge just yeah. t- chop down 20 trees find 20 pieces of planks or stone just make a long bridge it'll solve all your problems and i'm like sometimes that's all you need is just a long bridge yeah yeah sometimes that's all you need sometimes it's just like i love how the game presents you with a puzzle and all and you have all the tools to solve that puzzle but there are 20 different solutions and there mm. are people who are talking about it's like oh but i didn't do it the right way there is no right way it's not like say god of war or resident evil 4 where there is a right way to do it there mm. is no right way there is a part in like the sky island where the there's some railing there's rails and a minecart but part of the rails were broken they were like split and there's a gap right what people have done is they put two minecarts together and that's how they were able to get across. You know what my dumbass did? I walked on the rail. Oh, sure. Didn't yeah, fall. Did fall. I was just like carefully for like five minutes. My joy, my thumb was on my joystick, just slowly walking up. And I mean, I, uh, I got a giant stone slab and I put four fans across it and I just stood in the middle. So it would just go straight across. And it was long enough where it is and big enough. It just didn't matter. Uh, it's great. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah. Uh, I I talk about it all the time. Like my favorite types of games are games that just let you do what you want. Uh, and again, like I love God of War. I love Last of Us. But like games that are just like, hey, here's the thing you can do. 
do it how you want. You see that thing, you can get there however you want. Uh, yeah. And that again, for some people, that is that is challenging. And I find that I find that like 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 heartwarming and eye opening. Just like man, just like thank you for trusting me, trusting the player instead of like painting every everything like oh this is where you have to go. We're gonna paint it yellow because like how else are you gonna know you're supposed to climb something? Breath of the Wild is like hey, just climb anything, literally yeah. anything. Climb people, climb dragons, yeah. climb monsters, uh, uh, soar, uh, ascend through monsters. Uh, it's it's bananas. And again. This is running on a Switch, which is like two generations behind at this point. Um, it's just like, uh, it's incredible. It's truly an yeah. incredible game. Yeah, I'm, I know I'm 55 hours in, and I didn't know that. Real quickly, Ben, real, mm-hmm. because just a little podcast. Cookie is in the chat. Hello, sir. Um, did you are you bringing it up, Ben? Or it, it's up. It's up right now. Okay. Um, sorry, my, my screen gets a little glitchy. So it says, for some reason, I'm still awake, but hey, gentlemen, much love to you all and miss you guys. Yes, Cookie, uh, we miss you as well. Uh, much love. Why are you still awake? Um, happy to see I, you. I just mentioned your conversation episode is coming up next this coming week. So, you know, look forward to that, sir. I mean, mm-hmm, Cookie mm-hmm. does have a newborn, so I can only assume that's the reason why he's still awake. I don't know if the baby's born yet, Ben. Nope. Oh. I don't know. Uh, I don't he's think just, so. He's eagerly anticipating it. He's just waiting, not sleeping for weeks. It could months. be that. It could be that. All right, Ben. But anyway, continue on with what you're uh, saying. Really, just Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the Kingdom gave me a bit of a revelation on something that just was Zelda games in general. Zelda games, I feel, might be Nintendo's most important franchise for pushing the envelope of what video games can do. I mean, not like what they could do performance-wise, but what you can do in video games and how customizable they are without being extremely customizable. Like we, I, you yeah. guys, you guys have been online. You've been seeing all those crazy inventions or those the crazy creations people have been making. Um, you've seen, of course, you have the funny ones, you know, the fire dong, and and uh, and you also seen the crazy ones where I saw a guy build the tumbler from the Dark Knight in Tears of the Kingdom. I've seen people build freaking Gundams. Yeah, Metal Gear from Metal Gear, Metal Gear Rex from Metal Gear Solid was like yeah. literally like almost one for one looking. I'm like, I don't even know how you, I don't even have yeah. those pieces yet. How is that possible? Uh, yeah. Their engineers are building multi-stage rockets where like, you know, the because the rockets, they don't last very long, but they give you a big initial burst. But when you attach enough pieces to it, you do the first set and then the second set and the third set, and then they break apart like a rocket mm-hmm. wheel. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how, how do you even think to do this? Like, it's incredible. I, I don't know, but enough. Hey, Sparks, how's it going, bro? Hi, Sparks. Welcome welcome to the stream, Sparks Witty, everyone. Yay. Yeah, but while that's available, for other people who don't have like the patience to build stuff, there is still so much you could still do, and the game is still fun. For people who like to explore every nook and cranny before they can... you People who have put 100-plus hours just exploring the map, all three of them, up, middle, and below. Yeah, and they found everything. There's like, cool. I got all the maps. Let's do the story. You have people doing all the shrines. You have people doing all sorts of amazing things. And I feel that every time a mainline Zelda game—I mean, there have been misses, of course—but every time a mainline Zelda game comes out, I feel that there is absolutely the hype for video gamers is just so up there, and it brings more people into the fold. That when a new Mario game comes out, yes, a new Mario game. The last big new one was Mario Odyssey, had an amazing, I would say, had amazing mechanic, and Cappy was an extremely fun game. 
gave people so many so much nostalgia and love for Super Mario 64. Bowser's Fury gave that same um like this is cool what the next big 3D Mario game could be. But every time a Zelda game comes out, everyone knows the bar has to be set high. And almost every single time, Nintendo keeps expanding that bar, making higher and higher and higher that you don't think the bar could ever be topped until they do it again. That's why, despite all of Nintendo's faults, all of their first-party stuff is usually like 10 out of 10 gaming. Like, every new Mario is incredible. Every new Metroid is incredible. Every new Zelda is incredible. When they decide to make a Donkey Kong game, they're usually good. Like they're they're really good at making video games and that's why i'll I will, I will always always love nintendo despite them like despite them being like third in my list of like developers like they still probably make the best just video games like i talked about i talked about last week how like so many people are so focused on just making the best visual fidelity and like the most narrative thing but you're still playing a video game and at the end of the day i want to play a video game first and foremost no matter how good your story is i got to play the video game and zelda it's like one of the greatest games I've played in my entire life. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I might, I might be, I might be misspeaking here, but would I be wrong in, in saying that Nintendo is the really the only the with the uh, a console whose first party uh, games are still mostly platformers, whereas most everyone else does narrative driven games, right? No, I wouldn't call they have platforming elements, but like. Mario Odyssey. Well, yeah, I guess. I would say, I would say, if you don't mind, um, yeah. that the majority of Nintendo's licensed games for their consoles air towards at least a adaptation of platforming, if yeah, not yeah. directly platforming. But yeah. you're right about like they're not chasing yeah. the AAA narrative yes. that a lot of other things are. Right. Yeah. I would. I would say with it also depends on what title it, they're making. Like with Mario and Donkey Kong, definitely platforming genre. Kirby. Kirby, exactly. Um, with um, Zelda, that's more adventure. That is definitely more of an adventure game. More of a... I would definitely say Zelda will always... It's adventure first, action second. Yeah. Because, I mean, there was combat elements. There's combat elements to every single Zelda game out there. But the whole point of a Zelda game is for the player to go out and explore. Um obviously the original one you're when you first boot that sucker up you hit start you he read the prologue and you're just where is link when he first shows up in the middle of a forest with a cave above him and you have no idea what's going on you go in the cave yeah you go in the cave dude gives you a sword that's it yeah know which way to go don't go that way hey hey it's like hey you can't go this way yet it's just like go make your own explore yeah have fun and We've talked about Zelda a lot for multiple weeks now, but like it is why the Dark Souls franchise has succeeded so well because it's taken the same type of formula, but just making it really, really tough combat. Because as much as I love Zelda, like I love this game more than anything. Like the combat's not great; it's fine. It's totally serviceable, and like everything else is like a three thousand out of ten. Like I could completely care less that the combat is just kind of there for me. Um, But like everything else is just so immaculate, and like Mm -hmm. the fact that I can be on the very high Sky Temple. And go all the way down to the to the bottom of a chasm, and it takes me three minutes to fall. And guys, I want you to realize how long three minutes is. That was five seconds of silence. Imagine three minutes of just Link falling. That is unfathomable. In like, I can't imagine doing that on my PS5 because nobody's done it yet. But doing it on a console that's almost ten years old, like it's just yeah. a thing of like, what what are we doing with games? How good are we going to make these games look before we're like, maybe we could try something else with the games that we're playing? Yeah. And I'm just like, this game's like just so 
freaking good. I'm like, oh, I should just play more Nintendo games. That's honestly just what I'm telling myself. I should just play more yeah. Nintendo games. <laughs> what also I love is just like TikTok because people have been jumping off. Every time the trend is that whenever Link jumps off of a thing and just starts diving down, you they play Freebird. Oh, and sure. it's just like the funniest shit ever. It's either they play Freebird where Link is falling from the sky and down into a well into the chasm into the depths, or they play Fortunate Son where they essentially they make a war machine and start bombing macoblins. Which I, is the funniest I, shit. I saw a video, I saw an Instagram reel where someone fell down and was aiming for just like a a a, a like a pond, like a lake. And he was and he was aiming for it, and he it looked good. It looked good. He was making it, and he you know the closer and closer he got, and he didn't realize until it was too late that he was about to hit the bridge. Yeah, and he hit the bridge and died. Or you think it's like a, a deep pond, but it turns out to be a shallow pond. So you just slap. Yeah, and it's just like oh no, the sad music plays. Yeah, uh, Cookie is in the chat again talking about how he's forty percent completed on Breath of the Wild, huge and open. My guy, imagine that my guy. three times bigger, and then you'll never complete a game ever again. <laughs> I feel bad for Gerard the completionist. That dude, he's putting in like he says like I'm I'm putting in fifteen hour days to one hundred percent this game. And I'm like, man, you chose this life. I'm sorry. He <laughs> this is the game that will kill you. I was watching a video where I was at the gym or watching slash listening on the treadmill, and he was saying he put 100 hours in Tears of the Kingdom just to get the damn Koroks. That's a lot of games. All he cares about is the core. But yeah, Yeah. I'll get off my my soapbox for Tears of the Kingdom. Fantastic game. It's an amazing time. It's definitely a game where I've played, I've stayed up way too late playing it. Once we're done with the show tonight, I'm going to play it again, and I'm probably going to stay up way too late. I'm going to regret the morning. But I don't care because it's Tears of the Freaking Kingdom. It's an amazing game. I don't want to stop. It's a game. I literally had a dream last night playing the freaking game. That's great. That that. has not happened in years with with me in video games. Good feeling. I'll go next unless you have more. Uh, No, but I just want to bring Sparks up to speed because Sparks, I finished season one of Rebels. It's an amazing show. I absolutely love it. Very happy for you. And now you're all caught up, right? Um, I play lots of Zelda. My two of my favorite shows I know this week, Yellow Jacks and Succession. So next week's gonna really be awful. I'll just find something else to watch. It's fine. Um, besides that, uh, whatever I did with you, uh, that's it. Uh, but Ryan, uh, more Tears of the Kingdom though. Oh no, I'm that's gonna be me for like uh like two months. So, like Final Fantasy, like you you look good. I'm not hearing the best about your story. So like I'm immediately like, all right, cool. I'm playing Zelda until I'm done. I don't gotta worry about another game. I'm happy. For Love me, it. it's my bank account that's saying no, but there you go. I'm just glad tears. I got tears of the kingdom and a big ass backlog. Yeah, my bank account. Yeah, uh, similarly, Star Trek Star Trek Resurgence came out, and apparently it's pretty good. Um, but it's fifty dollars for a digital game, and I'm like, uh, it looks like a forty dollar game, honestly. I paid seventy for Zelda, and like that's you know that's yeah. But that's, this that's isn't Zelda, much. right? This is this is this is but a Telltale is, game. Well, that's that's a whole conversation about how much the video games cost, but like 50 is honestly cheap for a game these days. So like, yeah, I'm aware. Oh, it's still, it's still, it's still developers worked on that game. You know, yeah. that's hard. Yeah. But I know what he means. Like I, that might be the most expensive telltale to date. Yeah. They're putting it in stores probably. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, it's only digital. Oh, that's dumb. Yeah. That's bad. 
Yeah. Um, uh, uh, just, just a real quick uh, tease because Ben said that he was dreaming about playing the game. Do you want to know what I dreamed about last night? I dreamed about Ben trying to seal my bagpipes. Um, <laughs> find out about that on our anniversary special, friends. Anyway, there'll be a call back later. Sparks, but... do you want to do you want to say what you did over the week? No, because I have nothing to report. Cool. I only got two. I mean, I can then. tell you. I can tell you that I'm still caught up on D and Dark. It's a great show. You've heard me say it week after week. I can tell you that I watched two more episodes of Yellow Jackets, and that's a great show. And then anything else I'd have to say about my week that I managed to do is I worked too hard on too many things, and I'm looking forward to leaving my current job. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, and like everything I did was either for this podcast or for the network. So, so for the podcast. Well. Uh, I'll say my, my week then. I only got two things. Um, I'll talk about uh, Mighty Ducks Game Changers. So last week, uh, you guys talked about the removals that Disney Plus was implementing. Uh, and one of them was Mighty Ducks Game Changers. And I hadn't seen the second season yet. I kind of dragged my feet a bit because uh, Emilio Estevez wasn't in it. And I wasn't as interested in it because of that. So I was like, well, look, if it's if, if it's leaving on Friday, if it it was going to leave i went to canada last week which is why i was on last week i went to canada last week went to niagara falls that was fun um nice yeah it was nice um big waterfall so i um i knew that by the time we got back mighty ducks game changers would be gone so i was like we need to we need to to get this done or else we're never gonna see it so we sat down and the whole day the day before we left for canada we we watched mighty ducks game changers it didn't take us that long it's 30 minute episodes and it's like 10 episodes so about five hours um but really bummer really like it was canceled before it was taken off of disney plus so i had no illusions that it was going to get another season mm -hmm. um and it is kind of a bummer that it's not because i really you really feel emilio west of his absence from that show um, he was a really big part of that first season. Sure. Um, but so Lauren Graham picks up a lot of his slack and then Josh Jamel comes in as kind of a, kind of like a hot Emilio Estevez. Sure. <laughs> um, as you do. As you do. As you're trying to, um, as uh, so he's trying to kind of like, he's trying to be like, he's a little bit harder uh on, on these kids he's like i'm i'm making winners here and i'm trying to get these kids to blah 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 um and the season was filmed during covid which is why emilio didn't come back and you can tell it's one of those early covid seasons of like we're in one we got one set one covid lock set that everybody has to be in and can't leave um so that's kind of a bummer because you kind of lose some of the there's one set specifically that looks horrible but it's not their fault they did what they could yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but they uh they really pulled off a pretty good season, honestly. Like, I I really found a lot of charm in that show, and I I really I really liked it. Uh, the kid who plays, who was one of the kids from Good Boys, I've mentioned him before. Um, but he he's he's very good in it. He's the lead. He plays um Lauren Graham's son, and he he's really good in it. Really solid. The whole cast is good. I did miss some of the cast members who clearly couldn't come back because their parents were like at COVID. Um, so that was kind of a bummer because I, I like those characters. But otherwise, yeah, fun season. Um, intriguing kind of idea of doing this like summer camp for hockey 
where these kids are trying are kind of being like run to death to be like the best. Okay, so I used to do. I'm spending way too long on this. I used to do. I don't know how much of my past you guys know about me, but I used to every year go to a basketball camp for about five days. It was called the Michael Jordan Basketball Camp, and afterwards you see Michael Jordan. I got most improved one year. Woohoo! Um, Michael Jordan gave it to me. Um, really, Brandon is very tall. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know, and for listeners, Brandon is tall, and thus parents sent him to basketball camp. As you do. Yes. And now, I just learned, because I knew you played basketball in high school. Yeah. But I never knew you met Michael freaking Jordan. That's true. Um, famous Space Jam star, Michael Jordan. Famous you? baseball player, Michael Jordan, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. My sports I... brain right now is, sorry, Brandon, my sports brain right now is going a million miles hour. I was like, oh my god, you met Michael? The one, like... Brandon Brandon has mentioned that he met Michael Jordan and Ben took that personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I so basically basically what I'm trying to get at is it was very relatable to me because at that Michael Jordan basketball at that basketball camp they were I'm not an athlete. People who see me can pretty te- can pretty much tell that I am not an athlete despite what my family tried to get, make me do. Um so it was very much like these this camp was trying was kind of like training these kids to be like, Oh, you're here to learn how to be the best player. And we only make winners here. And so like, I basically saw that in a season of hockey, which was very interesting for me because it brought back a lot of feelings and, and a lot of like relatability. And, and because of that, I probably liked the season a bit more than I probably should have. I don't think it's the best written, but I find it the most relatable. Sure. Um, but yeah, all this to say is, you know, it sucks that they took it off Disney plus. Because after you watch, I really felt like after you watched the first three Mighty Ducks films, going into that show is seamless. And now you don't have that show. It sucks. It does suck. But whatever. Um, then I, I listened um, to, so I've been listening to a lot of Doctor Who audio adventures, um, courtesy of our, of, our, of, our, of our co-host Sparks mm-hmm. here. And I really enjoyed them. And I found out that there was a Star Trek audio adventure written by Kristen Beyer, who is the co-showrunner of star trek picard season one um or co-writer she writes a lot of star trek comics also but she wrote a star trek audio adventure starring seven of nine who is jerry ryan's character from star trek voyager who she reprised her role in star trek picard and the new character played by michelle hurd raffi musiker raffi and seven kind of connected in a in a in a in a sapphic way i'll say um in in the at the end of the first season of starship card and hinted at there being a, a relationship between the two of them and one of my biggest issues with starship card going even into the third season is that every season after that tease has broke them up before the season starts and then the whole season is about them getting back together so we never got a season of the two of them like together and that honestly a little homophobic um so the um that's going around that's going around isn't it so so like it's it's something that as much as i love star trek car season three it is it is something where i'm like well you had the opportunity to do something with these two characters finally and you didn't but I found out thanks to a video by jesse gender where she thanks to jesse gender's uh review of star trek picard season three that Kristen Beyer wrote an audio adventure that is just the two of them and explores their relationship. And I was like, Oh, 
this is, I want this. I want to read this. I will listen to this. So I downloaded it for the plane ride uh, home from Canada and uh, it's really good. Um, it's, it's so good. It makes me really upset that they never did anything with their relationship in the show. Cause I'm like, so we could, so they clearly have a lot of chemistry cause you, they're recording in the same booth off, often. And it's, it's a little steamy. I'll be honest. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it, it's, so it's about basically um, a seven of nine has become a, what's called the Fenris Ranger, which is uh, kind of these outlaws outside of Federation space that are trying to help the Romulans after their planet was destroyed. Mm. Okay. Yeah. You know, that thing. Um, so the, um, so she has to kind of be recruited by the Fenris Rangers again to kind of go help. And, and Rafi's like, well, I'll go with you because I, I have nowhere else to go. And I like you and I want to be with you. And she's like, okay, well, I like you too. And I want to be with you too. So they, so it's about the relationship. It's about this journey to find this immortality necklace and this doctor. It's really good. And I really am bummed that it's so good because it kind of, it kind of like, I, it, it doesn't sour season three really because season three has got a lot going for it because it's, you know, it's all about the TNG reunion and basically these characters are kind of an afterthought really. Sure. Um, but it does sour the first two seasons a lot more than it did prior um, because you could have had something here that would really explore the relationship, but I am really glad that this audio adventure exists. Mm-hmm. It, it remains like I get that the first two seasons of Picard were not, received very well yeah. and that the third season is the show everyone wanted and that makes sense but it's hard to not feel bad for all of the cast and characters that were just like sorry uh y'all didn't really matter um yeah. we realize that we just need to scrub that and it's it's on a level where like having absolutely no familiarity with like the intimate like details of who these characters are and what the story elements were are it feels like I hope that they do like a one-off season or um, they're talking about doing the Star Trek movies for the streaming service. Right. That just like puts a better story bow on the characters that Picard leaves behind from those seasons. um, Because it feels really weird to just like drop like a hot potato. So many actors and so many characters that you've introduced in your world building. So one character rios was he stayed in the past and lived his life okay fine he gave him a happy ending but there's two characters specifically one is played by allison pill uh mm-hmm. played uh dr gerardi she was she became the new uh, i'm not gonna explain the whole thing but long story short she became a different type of board queen i've heard this yes that was introduced at the end of season two. And she's like, we're going to stand by this wormhole and then prevent whatever is going to come through. And then that's not addressed in season three mm. at all. Right. Sure. And then there's a, there's an actress named Issa Brionis who played the character of Soji, who is data's daughter. Mm-hmm. She is not addressed at all. And I only bring her, I bring her up because specifically she apparently told someone that the, she felt she wasn't asked back for season three is because she thought that, fans didn't like her character or like her right and that really sucks because that's that's not on her yeah and i did like her character for all things considered yeah it just feels like a weird blight in the continuity of star trek that like in the long term i'm sure they'll do something about whether it's a comic a book a audio adventure a movie on the streaming service who knows but like 
boy, it feels like you got to pick something up there. Uh, that just feels so weird in a in in an external non-watching it way. It was just yeah. like that's so weird to just like for a couple weeks there we were like not bringing back this person, not bringing back this person. I'm like who's who's left? <laughs> yeah, and like so, Seven of Nine is a legacy character from Star Trek Voyager, and she gets probably the most to do from the from the Star Trek Picard cast, but mm-hmm. Michelle Hurd doesn't. Um, but what's what is what is gives me hope is that the next whatever the next show is if they if Paramount decides to pick up what Terry Metalis, who's the showrunner of Star Trek Picard season three, uh, wants to do, which is Star Trek Legacy, he would be telling a story about Seven of Nine and Raffi as captain and first officer of the Enterprise, mm-hmm. and because that's where the season ends with with Seven promoted to the captain to be captain of the Enterprise G and Raffi as her first officer, and like that. You have the potential for the juiciest and steamiest lesbian story on TV right now. Uh, we've never seen that dynamic in Star Trek uh, to to uh, women in power in such a position of power on, on a Starfleet ship, but also as a couple being captain and first officer. Yes, please. I hope. Whatever. I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, some There's some steamy, steamy lesbian romance over on League of Their Own. And yellow jackets. That's true. Um, yellow jackets in particular, uh, they can get topless in that one. So I mean, like steamy, steamy, steamy. Motherland for Salem, no longer available as well. Unfortunately, let, I was let me. It's not on TV now. I did try to recontextualize my statement, but let me be clearer on Star Trek. <laughs> it, it, a plus. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Steam Trek then. Gene Steam Trek. Roddenberry would never. Steam Trek. Mm. <laughs> just like not a, bad. Like a, thank you. I was about to say that like, part of it now sounds like a like a, a steampunk adventure or something. I'm gonna stop talking right now. I actually there's a comic called Steam Trek, which is steampunk Star Trek. I knew it. Um, yeah, uh, did by the same guys who did um, President Evil, which is uh, uh, Barack Obama, Trump, and uh, Clinton fighting zombies. Mm, now I'm less interested. Wow. Yeah. Unless they, Trump they is were, like thrown or joins the zombies and becomes one of the first five pages, I'm not interested. They were very much. They I don't think they exist anymore as a publishing company, but they were very much. Oh, Sherlock Ninja, I read that. Sherlock Holmes and his sidekick Ninja. Sure, sure. Okay. Anyway, I remember a lot more about this publishing company than I should. Um, <laughs> anyway, Star Trek Picard, No Man's Land, very good. And for my Star Trek listeners, for my Star Trek, for people watching this who like Star Trek. Uh, I recommend it, especially if you don't like season see this first two seasons of Picard. There's some really interesting stuff in there. They never quite realize what they want to do with the fact that they introduced that the Federation has an economy similar to us, which I never sat well with me. But they do kind of hint at that being like, oh, yeah, Rafi wants some money. And I'm like, why? Why, why do you want money? Because it feels like moving backwards. Right. Yeah. Um, so that is still there, and they never really do anything oh, interesting. No, capitalism with it. is returning. <laughs> Can't tape it, no matter what. And there's, but there's, but there's also like the bigger thing of like the Federation has kind of gotten too big, but which it, it's you know it's it's gotten too big and kind of corrupt a little bit because of that. And that was kind of really present in the first two seasons of of Star Trek Picard. But then season three of Picard is like, actually, no, the Federation is perfect and wonderful and blah blah blah. And I'm like. I do kind of wish that we went a little bit further into like, what if the Federation kind of lost their way a little? I just like headcanon into Patrick Stewart's Picard being like, I will do what is necessary to serve my new empire. And Riker's all like, your new empire. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. You know, that's... Where that's... No, I'm stopped. 
that's that's my that's my that's my week. Shall we get into our bread and butter? Uh, all right, some sad news at the top. Yeah, yep. Tina Turner passed away this week at the age of eighty-three. Iconic voice, yeah. lovely, lovely, awesome person. Also in Mad Max Thunderdome, mm, so she so she got to be uh, a talented singer and a, a genre queen. She's killing it. Tina Turner's really cool. I'm just frankly glad, like, whenever, at this point, whenever celebrities clear 80, I'm just kind of like, you know, at, yeah. you know, at least at least a good long life there. Yeah. And then honestly, mm-hmm. like a great legacy. Uh, what's love got to do with it? Like, has been a part of my, my music, uh, like, backlog of my life since I was six. So, like, yeah, I think about that song all the time. Yeah. Um, no, we sing a... Uh, um, uh, rolling down the river in choir specifically tina's rendition of it not the credence version and it was sure. it was a fantastic time we were we were even doing like the tina dance and everything it was it was great both both great versions no no ccr shame here oh yeah no ccr shame um i mean just but when we were when we did the when we did when our teacher passed us the lyrics, I specifically asked her, "Is this Credence or Tina?" She looked at me dead and I said, "Oh, we're doing Tina, baby." I'm like, "All right, let's go." T T R. And then Ray Stevenson. Ray Stevenson passed away at the age of 58. Yeah, this one hurt. This one, like, it's this one right on the cusp of Ahsoka coming out this year. This one, like, felt particularly like. Why? It always yeah. it always happens to like like the nicest, coolest, like like dudes who always show up in movies if you love that they're in that they show up. And I'm like, he was just about to be a really cool dude in Star Wars. And like it's such a bummer. And like he's my favorite Punisher. I know you watched Rome, right? I did. Yeah, he's, I have, in, he's awesome in Rome. I was gonna say, like, I've heard a lot about Punisher Warzone, but have not watched it. It's incredible. It is I, I do want to. It is a stupid movie where like he shoots a rocket at a man doing parkour and blows him up. Like it is it is a Punisher ass movie. Um, I it's I think it's incredibly underrated. I'm not just saying that because he unfortunately passed it's, away. It's I've moved, always said that it's moved much higher up on my like priority list now. Uh, where I'm like, no, I think I really need to do this. But yes, Rome. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, frankly, like he and other members of that cast, but like him, uh, are partially responsible along with Sopranos for like HBO's powerhouse yeah. uh, domination that has. I think, frankly, carried it into the current age and like the origins of prestige television, quote unquote, starts with Roman Sopranos. Like that's where it's all based in. And yeah. Ray Stevenson is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ray Stevenson um, last year was in RRR and yep. that yes. was God. such a great moment when he came out of that carriage. I'm like, oh shit. Here yeah. we go. Look, and, and like on like the MCU does him dirty, but goddamn, yeah. does he have a good time playing Volsag? Yeah, uh, he really does. Like, he really does. Like I, I can tell. Like he's having a good time. They don't utilize him well, but he's having a good time. It's also great that like it wasn't that long ago that he was the Punisher, and they're like, yeah, you can come back and do a Marvel has, thing. We don't care. You're awesome. He has one of my favorite bits in Thor, which is uh, the the like when I'm upset, I eat, and just like yeah, being very direct and honest. Oh, he about says. It. He says. He says. Do not, do not mistake my appetite for apathy. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's the line. So good. Great line. Uh, yeah. He's also, you know, he does, Ben quotes this one a lot, but found you. Yeah. 
<laughs> I yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not bad, guys. Thor's not bad. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I sincerely and deeply look forward to seeing him in Ahsoka, but it is yeah. a, just a shitty, shitty blow. Yeah, to know that yeah. that's going to be the last time we see him. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I they really... confirmed. I think they confirmed that there's no other projects he'd worked on that were like in the pipeline. Oh, they are. Yeah. He. So what? I tried to look at to the cause of death because 58. That's really young. Um, yeah. Too young. And and uh, no cause of death at the time at this moment has been given, uh, but apparently he was rushed up, rushed to the hospital because he was filming something in Italy, and so uh-huh. he was he was in an Ita- he was rushed to an Italian hospital um, because he had collapsed on set. Yeah. Sometimes just the human body just like sorry guys like, not today yeah it's, and it's yeah. just unfortunate yeah it sucks this one this one like this one hurts. Frankly. It honestly like 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 Lance Reddick, that's like I don't know how like a couple weeks or months ago, but it's like like yeah. it's people you don't expect. Like you know, obviously you never expect anyone to die, but like young people, it's just like the world's just oh, cruel sometimes. Sometimes I think especially with like people who are loved as actors and and singers and such that we really, really admire and love. Mm-hmm. Like you expect them to make it all the way who like, you know are good people the eighties, nineties, yeah. uh in their ages and, and not go away. And it's just awesome just awful and devastating yeah. um, when you lose them younger than that. Uh, but I think especially like the Ray Stevenson one, you knew he was about to like open up a whole new audience to wanting to see him in things because of Ahsoka. That yeah. was going to, that was going to get people going back to previous works of his. That was probably going to get him even more like iconic work um, because he's not necessarily a household name, but like it looks like a pretty good performance to me uh, from the trailers and knowing him, I bet it, I bet it's going to be. Um, so yeah. it's just, awful it's just it's just a huge sadness then you haven't seen our correct i have not not yet so i so i'm this i don't care um so there's the he gets a really awesome action sequence where he like it like is thro- thrown through the air as his gun is coming he's up in a, he's in a jeep that gets hit so that the front like caves down and the jeep flies up and he flies up with the jeep yep. but he doesn't lose his poise and his rifle is in the air next to him and he just grabs it and then takes the shot <laughs> like it doesn't lose a beat regardless of the fact that he and his rifle were just flung up from the jeep it, I it love is that. incredible it is incredible it is. it's truly we're, we're gonna talk about rrr at some point i'm gonna find an excuse for it the one um, year anniversary good, good lord coming, yeah 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 basically like you promised me you would show me rrr are your big f off tv I would love to, Ben. It's yeah. it's cinema. It's been enough time. <laughs> like, it's been it's been a year. Yeah. I would love um, to watch. I would love yeah, to it's going to happen. Um, truly, like, uh, unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. wish I wish the best to his loved ones. Yeah. yeah. All right, moving on. Um, more productions have shut down thanks to the writer's strike. Keep Good. them coming. Hell yeah. Uh, Spider-Man Noir and Silk was just confirmed today uh, that they shut down thanks to the writer's strike. Holy shit, those things were, were really happening. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of the quality, like Spider-Man on TV is happening in multiple stages. That's right. awesome. That's really cool. Miller and uh, Lord Miller talked about like, yeah, we were actually moving, but the writer's strike happened and we we stopped production. Like, good. Right. Love it. Um, um, I don't think it's in your news, Deadpool 3 stuff, is it? It is. It is. Okay. Uh, so Blade, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say all those things that shut down first. No, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Blade Runner 2099 stopped filming. That's the, is that the Amazon show? Yeah, they were filming and they shut down filming. Crazy. Wonder Man and Thunderbolts they paused. Wonder Man. 
they they were not filming, but they were still in pre-production. Um, yeah, but yeah. they were, uh, but they're paused uh, for now. I love that. And Deadpool three has started filming. Yeah, I I feel like they're gonna go for like two weeks and then have to call it because they're gonna be like, no, nah, we just we, we can't, can't not we improv. can't we can't put a muzzle on Wade. Um, yeah. so it is. Yeah. He legally cannot do improv, and that you're telling that to Ryan Reynolds. Who who improv probably in his sleep and Deadpool one and two are and, built yeah. so much off of that like there's no and the in the with Hugh Jackman being there like you know they're gonna want a riff like this is uh meta- I hope this yeah. is metaphorically taking away his mouth like they did in the, the Origins movie so yeah. like uh, yeah don't be I scabbing. think they're gonna I think they're gonna have to put press pause yeah which is or, big things happen yeah which is really hard with like actors contracts and stuff because like what we're talking about is like. Hugh Jackman's been getting into shape. He now has to like stay in shape for whenever it can go back into production and that kind of shit. And I'm like, I get that. That's, that's true. That's hard. That's tough. Um, I will interject just a real quick. Like I had a conversation with a friend of the podcast um, who I'm not going to name because I don't want to put on blast in any way, but like is related to the industry. Um, and their company is being affected by, by it. And we were talking about, he's like, obviously I support the writers because you know he does and we're good friends and we talked about that however he said it's really unfortunate how much of the industry we know is being convinced by the headlines to blame the writers for striking rather than uh the amptp for not coming back to faithfully negotiate yeah um and he's like it's just it's just really hard it's just really hard when you're here and not necessarily bosses he said um not necessarily the people who have been at this for a long time but a lot of the the like fresher faces are really upset because like they've just gotten in and it's really upsetting and so they're they're looking directly at the headlines and they're turning to it and they're saying like why can't the writers just stop striking so like we can do this and it just i got that perspective shared and i, I just yeah. want to interject it that like it's really shitty that we have so many like uh the deadpool 3 like uh i don't remember who it was deadline or or whoever who said like you know Oh yeah, it's not going on because of the right. It's going to have these issues because of the writer strike. Or uh, Blade Runner twenty nine nine has been postponed, uh, put on halt because of the writer strike. And it's like, no, you should say it's because of the AMPTP. Yeah, the writers yeah. should have you on their side, but they don't. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right because we we this industry devalues writers writers, and that's what we're that's what they're fighting against. Well, and the me- the media gets sponsorships with some of these companies, and it's a union busting tactic. Yeah, and it sucks. It sucks that unfortunately, like for some people in the industry, it's working. In this case, busting doesn't make me feel good. Um, the Deadpool. So, okay, look, I would love to believe in the in the best case scenario where two weeks from now they're like, you know, we can't do this because Ryan can't improv. I also think that there's a possibility that they're just gonna do it. And not yeah. say they're doing it. Scabbing it. Yeah. Yeah. It might it uh, might be too far. Like, not that other productions aren't too far in, but maybe they just they're just like, eh, it's not a big deal. Cause I, I'm the right like I'm the writer of the movie, so it's not affecting me, right? Like right. Uh, maybe you'd like to think better, but like, you know. Right. That that is a fear, and I hope I hope that's not true because you know, I want to believe Ryan Reynolds is a member of the WGA. And other members uh, of the crew are morally holding up to that standard too. Yep. Yeah. So I'm 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 hoping that is not the case, but you know, there is there's always kind of a part of me that's like, well, if you're filming right now, what's to say, oh, we didn't do anything. That's the official line, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's not exactly what's going on. Yeah, and it's it's hard for me to believe like 
even on like a movie that like he's like just like i'm just an actor in like i know that dude like loves improv right like mm -hmm. unless it's like a hardcore drama like that's it's just like who he is like it's like people like to like to as actors like to you know be their character and try different things out like it's natural as an actor so like to tell you that like an actor can't do what he fundamentally does on a daily basis i just can't believe he's not going to do it it's just yeah. i can't believe that especially again for deadpool like you have to be as funny as you can be mm -hmm. but also at this point like also like i'm i'm so confused because like weirdly enough this is tied with this is this has kind of come full circle for ryan reynolds and hugh jackman because the last time they were an x-men movie the writers the, the last writer strike was happening yeah so like i'm also kind of looking at like do you guys not want to be like hey maybe we don't let deadpool 3 happen like x-men origins yeah yeah. But like them having like much more involvement in it, like in Ryan Reynolds, you know, like writing and producing it, like he has a little yeah. more creative control. Uh, that still won't, it still doesn't help it. Like this still could be a bad movie because of this. So like, yeah, I mean, yeah, again, hopefully they'll see once like, not necessarily bad, but maybe lesser. Lesser, like, you, yeah. It could be lesser. great and it's going to instead come out as like, yeah, yeah. all right. Yeah. Because movies yeah. are like, yeah, a script is done, but like movies are never just, you. here's they're the fluid. script. They're fluid. Exactly. Like you are always changing things because on the day shooting, it might feel different than when you wrote it in your head. That's how just movies are made. Like it's of it's people. Like you know things change. Yeah, at least good movies. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, real quick, uh, I also want to touch on. You can stop me if this is in the news, but I didn't. I didn't think I saw it. The um, creatives credits on Max. That's not in the news, and I'll say I'll, I'll specifically say why because I, 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 I forgot after the the news came out that they were fixing it. So I was I for so at that point because I, I was going to add it and then they said I was fixing it. I was like oh okay I should remember to do this later and I completely forgot. No, it's okay. So um, they are. It will take time. Yeah, that's this, a lot of movies. They have released a statement which is as many have pointed out an absolute lie <laughs> that the didn't executives realize. didn't know this was happening and were flabbergasted. Um, but the reality is that Zavzlov's an idiot and pushed this forward and didn't know that he could be sued. But the important part about this, and the reason I wanted to highlight it is because, A, again, as we referenced last week, Zaslav is becoming the face of corporate greed in this whole situation. But more importantly, uh, no one has ever in the history of these uh, unions seen the DGA and the WGA so promptly and clearly release a statement together saying, yeah. absolutely not. Credit. Uh, and that was impressive teacher i have a question yeah what happened oh, you don't oh see okay this. so no uh, idea what's going H on then when hbo max changed over to max, max. this week on its yeah. app the place you go for hbo they eliminated writer and director and all kinds of other crew credits it and just says just like, lumped them under the term creatives so like actors are, are in front of directors behind writers like it's all just like it's like the like the third actor in the movie might be the first build. Like it's just nonsense. It's total nonsense. What is yeah. a flying? Yeah, that's important. What so the they said. So they said. So the the so uh, as 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 Spark said the oh he's still going. Uh, I didn't realize he. Ben, it's okay, buddy. You don't need to. All right. Anyway. I was going on a string, buddy. That's why. So the WGA and the DGA, as Spark said, they released a statement saying this is we're not this is ridiculous. Uh, this is against contract. Quick reminder for the listeners: if you don't, uh, if you haven't been keeping up with us, the I'm sure you know the WGA is the Writers Guild, but the DGA is the directors. Yeah. So the um, so the statement released afterwards from 
HBO from from Max um, from Warner Brothers was to say that oh this was a mistake this was um, uh, this was just a glitch go when we made the switch to Max and a lot of people kind of pointed out that like before a streaming service is launched there is excruciating attention to detail to make sure everything is exactly what it needs to be that was not a mistake or a glitch you did that on purpose thinking you could get away with it mm-hmm. yep. yeah so yep. anyway absolutely 100 but the important part of this is last week we were talking about how sag aftra was uh making moves that made it look like they were either going to move towards a strike or at least have the power in bargaining when their contracts come up to say they would strike well this is definitely going to hang pretty heavy on the minds of the DGA when their contracts come up a little later. So uh, this is an important move. Everyone's been talking about, you know, like this is, this could be like the final straw that puts like all three unions on the same page. The Triforce. And if that happens, the industry stops, just stops. We've been talking about it. We've been talking about it almost every week since this, since even before the strike happened, um, which is that these studios these streamers these these tech bros and uh uh non non uh filmmaker executives have been trying for years to undervalue the people who make the things that makes them money and they need to be reminded of the fact that that cannot stand and importantly like the dga i think is maybe one of the most crucial ones to get everything to be taken care of quicker purely because the writers can strike and the actors can strike and the studios can still make reality television shows because they don't have actor contracts that they have to honor if they do it certain ways. And they don't have writer contracts that they have to honor if they do it certain ways. However, they still need directors. Someone's (laughs) got to make that show. And if they can't have directors, then TV can't make anything new. Yep. And they will run out of shit. (laughs) So I, I so remember an ABC put put out their like their strike proof um, uh, uh, schedule, uh, like yeah. Dancing with the Stars and whatnot. Hundred thousand dollar pyramid. And I was looking at that. I was like, you know, you're taking some things off of Disney Plus. Maybe air them on your TV channel. No, Whatever. Because then you have to pay the writers. <laughs> that is true. That is true. You got me. Yeah. Did you hear that? I don't know if this is true. I didn't really look into this. Someone someone on Twitter said this, and I'm. I'm it, it, it could very well be true, but apparently the reason why they changed the name from HBO Max to Max is because HBO is a network and therefore they had to pay residuals and Max is a streaming service, which means no residuals. Yeah, and that, but that only does apply to um, original content made for the streaming yeah. service. So like shows that still are on HBO, like Game of Thrones and The Last of Us, even if they go to the streaming service too, those still have to get residuals, which are still, for the most part, the most important shows that they have on yes. Max are still the ones that air on both. Yep. Um, there are Max originals that are pretty good and pretty big, but like nothing beats House of the Dragon or The Last of Us this year. Peacemaker's, um, Peacemaker's great. But or Succession. Or Succession, yeah, but like Succession, like, yeah, like the HBO proper, like, yeah, those are the big money shows. So, yeah. like, it's it's helping them in a way, but it's not it's not doing the amount that they think it'll do. But what you're talking about, what you just said, what you just said is kind of my, is kind of why this whole thing is baffling to me. Like, it's helping them in, kind of, like, this thing of, like, these penny-pinching methods to make, to make it look like you're growing, it, 
I, I I'm just so confused. Who's losing a house over over this? No uh, one. No one's going bankrupt. None of these studios are going bankrupt. No one. None of these executives are losing a vacation home. It's just greed. It's very. It's very much a like. You're not. None of them. With what's happening with the residuals, what's what's happening with the strike? No studio is planning for the long term. Mm-hmm. And it, I I said it last week. Like I think this was last week. Streaming services should be should functionally for these studios at this point. They should look at them as libraries for their content. Yeah. yeah. And like pay your pay your people. Like you can afford it. There's 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 no reason why uh, anyone who's making the content that is making you that much money should have trouble earning a living. It's yeah. Especially in uh, the majority of these folks uh, on crews, not the actors necessarily, but the writers and directors specifically. So many of them have to work in California, in Southern California, and it is expensive to live here and it's only getting worse. Yeah. And as long as that continues to be their thought process and they don't start looking at what is streaming in the long term and keep looking at it in just the short term. Like, how does it make a profit this year? How does it make a profit this year? When is the service considered absolutely profitable to us? They keep thinking of it in not in the ways where they are able to maintain it as a potential future of the television industry. They're always, are you going backwards to networks? Is it all a grift? You need to make that call. And the first studio that does it and decides we're committing to it and designs the path forward, they're going to be the ones who come back to the table and say, yeah, the we'll do the residuals because this is the path forward. And that that's the whole thing is for, for the writers, directors, and actors, they have to fight for their pay. But it's also that the studios need to wake up and make the plan like, what is the future of the entertainment industry? Because uh, it, is be. not, it is not the things you think it's going to be right now. You mm-hmm. need to make a new plan. Freebie. Yeah, the the industry is as a whole is always behind the times, and they're always trying to catch up. Which is why all these streaming services came out so late. But well, and part of the problem is I think we are living in an age of most CEOs. I won't say all who are running these studios. Zaslav's definitely one of them. But we've seen it with the previous ones who had Warner's and with um, those who are running Netflix. Uh, yeah. It's it's all about like pretty much how do I gain the most in my time here before I bounce and mm. leave it to someone else's yeah. problem. It's, um, yeah. And as long as you are thinking like, this is someone else's problem after me and not planning to build for the future, that's always going to be a shortstop. Yeah. yeah. This is a really good point. Um, Cause didn't Iger even come in saying that like he wants to get Disney in a place where it can succeed after him. Mm-hmm. So but he's not necessarily thinking how to fix Disney Plus. He's just every, thinking the company as a whole. Every every single CEO, because none of them seem to stay around for a long time. They're all always thinking short term. No one's ever thinking yeah. long term. I think Iger's the only one who's ever thought long term. Yeah. I just don't know that he's brought that around no, on yeah, the streaming yeah. service. But like everyone's like, how can I make money the quickest in the short amount of time that I might be here? Or even if mere five years, we need to cut costs. It's always about cutting costs instead of planting seeds for the future because no one cares about the future. They care about themselves. And that's honestly, at the end of the day, CEOs don't care about people. They care about money. And the higher you go, the less you care about the people underneath. I think I think Brandon made a great point that Paramount Plus might be the only one that's doing it. Paramount <laughs> Plus might be the only one that's thinking about long-term future. Yeah. They are, they are paying their residuals. Um, granted they should be paying more but they're doing it they're Mm -hmm. keeping all of their streaming content they're releasing physical media regardless of sales every single star trek show comes out on blu-ray sometimes they're making huh sometimes steelbook 
Right. And they've made partnerships with Showtime, which has only benefited both parties. Yeah. Like they are thinking, what is the best way to make this the most versatile that we can? Give it a week. Ooh, and then uh, before Paramount right. Plus makes Ooh. a different decision in this economy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying. Like, I, 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 I didn't think Disney would do it. Like, I thought they were like, no. Of course, every company's shitty in some ways, but like Disney, I felt like they said had they had like we won't get rid of the things we make, and like they did. So like, I honestly anybody could do it at this yeah. point, and I wouldn't be surprised. It's true. Well, Z- well, sure. Z- the second Zaslav came in, he was the linchpin. Yep. The second he decided to take, um, I'm still upset about Close Enough. I love that show. I absolutely adored that show on HBO Max. And the fucker took it away because he saw it as, oh, it's not getting enough views. It's not what, and he decided to gut the entire animation department. Cartoon Network is a shell of, I mean, there's a whole tangent here. I won't go on it, but he's the lichpin. Because of him, Disney saw, oh, we can do this too. And of all the companies that should not have taken their stuff off, especially their original content, it's Disney. Yeah. They should never have touched any of that stuff. I'm even, I looked ahead in the news. I saw more stuff that was was coming (laughs) off of Disney plus. And yeah, yeah, I'm still mad of all the companies. Disney should not be the one to be like, Nope, we make it. It's there. It's done. We're not moving it. But no, the only, the only defense that I'll give, Something like Paramount. Look, I'm I'm not one to just a, a multi-billion dollar company doesn't need me to defend them. Um, but like just kind of like Paramount as a company has been we've talked about it before on an upswing. You know, they they are uh, they are uh they are not gouging VFX artists, they're giving their creatives time, they're putting more they're putting like they're really trying to do some creative work, especially in the blockbuster field, which is shocking. So like I I hope if, if Disney Disney doing what they did, yes, it broke my heart. Uh, May clearly. I? But real quick, real Paramount D and D. Paramount D and D. Yes. Paramount D and D. A plus. So, uh, so if so if Paramount does it, it'll really break my heart. I think the important thing is like, Brandon, you did a thread about like how companies are doing with releases of their yeah. original content and thing like that. But um, what I what you got me thinking about specifically is that Paramount Plus, from an external perspective does seem like the only one since it launched that is not concerned with profitability of the streaming service alone, but sustainability. As long as it is keeping a consistent audience, it doesn't care, seem to care so much about we need to continue to get new and new and new. As long as it's maintaining an audience that either wants to subscribe to the service or wants to buy the original shows on Blu-ray, they seem pretty content with it. Yeah. I just got that that the Strange New World steelbook. Looks nice. I got that um, too. Yeah, nice. Um, all right, let's move Mostly on. Mostly because it's a nice steelbook. I wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily going to go for the steelbook, but the steelbook was the only way to get 4K. Mm-hmm. And I wanted um, that show in 4K. I mean, Fair. not to bring up uh, one of my favorite steelbooks that I've gotten in my entire life, but I don't know which executive said at Paramount said, yeah, let's make the Sock the Hedgehog 2 steelbook like the video game cover. Oh my whoever god, did, so whoever, good. Whoever said that, I mean, I know a multi-billion dollar company doesn't need, like Brandon said, I, I don't need to defend him, but whoever said, let's make the steelbook like the video game cover, let's just go full ham, and oh, look at that. They have the most critically acclaimed video game movie under their banner. No, man, it wasn't the CEO of Paramount that, it was a fan who worked there. <laughs> Yeah, and well, like, they were yeah. like because they'd already made the movie poster to promote it, and they're yeah. like, we should just make that steelbook art. Like, 
the the nerds who love to collect Sonic are going to eat thank that shit the up. DVD designer guy who works at Paramount. Thank yeah, that guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I do thank that guy because that guy was like, "Oh, this is going to be. We're going to make so like, much money." You. Oh, they they uh, got me good. All right, let's move on to some real quick Disney news. Okay, because there was kind of a, some there was kind of an update on. Uh, we had a list last week of all the things that were being taken off of Disney Plus and Hulu. It apparently was not the complete list. So can I just say, like, it has been weird because it always was weird. And the reason we never had a complete list is because Disney never released a list. Yeah. Disney never made an official, like, here's what's happening. They left it to other places to pick up the pieces. So, of course, we never got a complete list. They still have yet to talk about what they did. They're like, yeah. shh, what move? And I think it's because they know they'll lose any kind of public discussion about it if they try to enter that arena. So they're just tr- staying out. They're being it. sneaky snakes about it. So, I picked. I've picked only three that I know of that we had not known prior. Sure. Um, which are shockingly Runaways. Yeah, that's a weird one. That's the first Marvel show to be taken off of. It had moved to Disney Plus from Hulu, but it was airing on both. It was, was airing on both, and it was a Hulu original. That also. Yeah. Really doesn't give me hope of those characters ever returning. It was a Hulu original that aired on Freeform. So it's very, True. very weird. Yeah. That they um, did this. Also, sorry, save the next one. Motherland Fort Salem. I mean, one of the best shows ever. Um, and I'm very upset about it. And it's it's a very upsetting thing. That show is Freeform first. Yeah. Um, and so this is really, really jarring. Does that mean is it on Freeform to watch? I guess not anymore. I'm gonna Google um, it. I'm gonna look. I don't know. I, it would be reruns at this point, and I don't know if well, they're we didn't that. watch the last season, so I'm, you know that is reruns to us. That's true. Um, but importantly, both Runaways and and Motherland Fort Salem up to this moment had been available for digital purchases yeah. through Amazon and iTunes. They are apparently no longer in certain countries. The breakdown is not clear yet. Mm-hmm. Uh. But that's another reason why this is particularly strange, why they went for these ones. I don't know how much this really benefits them in the, the residual long run. Runaways was, was really surprising to me because, you, you know, like I get it's two seasons, but, you know, Ryan, Ryan said that this doesn't give you much hope of those characters returning. We know that at least one of them is returning in What If... Or right. no, no, sorry, no, not it's a Spider-Man show that might not come out. Right, that Spider-Man show that might not come out. Yeah, and that's also like a... Not even six one six. That's like an alternate version thing of it too. So like, you're right. But but it is that character though. So technically, you are right. But like, that's just like, just uh, come on, guys. <laughs> Why? And then, and then good too. yeah. I never watched well, the last season. Sure. I I wanted to. Same. Um, and then prop culture is another one. <coughs> yeah. That's, um, that's... <coughs> it's very weird that they're going for things like prop culture or I, I, not that I, yeah, it's not on free form anymore. Yeah. I, you're making me be a pirate. You're making me do it. <laughs> Piracy is always correct in the face of erasing <laughs> art forever, um, especially incredible art. That is what pirates were. Pirates were meant to be free. Well, they did a lot of bad stuff, but they were trying to be free. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're not going to, we're not going to hurt anybody in the process. We're no. just going to, we're just going to watch some shows. Watch they some art. And Yeah. Um, but it's unfortunate because like you can still find these things if you know where to look on the internet and you will be able to. And like, that's, that's one thing. Um, but the real shame about it is like that these artists, you know, 
unless part of the contract negotiations forces these things to be returned, which I think they should. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it, this is another reason why it's kind of a weird move for Disney to take right now. Um, because I feel like it only prompts and pushes everyone to, to continue the strike and make new demands in the negotiations when they come back to it. Also taken off uh, a one hit season show, Deadly Class by Rick Remender. Mm. All the great comic shows get taken off this week. Awful. Awful. That's... That's... Uh, the Deadly fir- Class the- you can buy on Blu-ray. That's, that's uh, the Runaways first. and... Um, Motherland Fort Salem never got physical releases. That first list that we saw, the the, the list that was kind of going around that you guys talked about last week, like those were all, I believe, all original content created for Disney Plus. Um, mm-hmm. And and now, man, I was so bummed that World According to Jeff Goldblum was gone. But that's crazy. But like that, they launched Disney Plus with that show. Whatever. Yeah. So like, the thing that's so surprising to me was so surprising to me is like, okay, well, this is all your original stuff i don't understand why you're taking off your original stuff that stuff that stuff should at least be there should stay and then now we're learning that they took off stuff that were that were played on networks first um yeah. also prop culture though prop culture is like that's the stuff that disney plus should have these kind yeah. of gems of of um uh, uh of uh, docu-series and things like that like imagine if they took light they magic took- off and they took away the Marvel 616 documentary they made for Disney Plus 2. Yep. Wild. Um, that, uh, that wasn't that old. Right. No, I mean, Willow's six months old. Less. Like, <laughs> like that's crazy. Uh, the, the other thing about this uh, that I want to say real quick is um, I tweeted about this. We're a small thing. You, you, but if you care about this um, and you have these services, I understand not canceling them. I do. Um, because there's other content coming on them that I do want to support. And, um, you know, like I, I do want to be a part of the audience and discussion about those things. Cause I value what those artists are making. We just talked about Ahsoka coming out on Disney plus with Ray Stevenson on it. I absolutely want to see that and have a conversation about Ray Stevenson's performance and the appearance of Thrawn and the rebels characters. I care about that. So I'm going to keep it, but you can go on these services, Disney plus Hulu and max and there is a section where you can give feedback to them and you can just say like it's a feedback on the service about the content that they offer and tell them you're not happy with how they're doing this. Um, I'm not saying like, you know, it's going to make a big sea change, but it is more than just tweeting about it. And it is directly giving feedback and saying, I am not happy about this. And it is something that is making me consider no longer subscribing to your service. Mm-hmm. Because how can I believe this? I did this. I'm telling you flat out, I did this on these services and I went and I gave feedback and I'm like, I mean, if another purge like this happens, I'm probably going to unsubscribe because I don't have faith that you are going to maintain the content I want to watch. So why should I invest my time into it if you're just going to wipe it away before I can finish it or get to it? Because that's how it is. Uh, Or if I want to revisit it. And obviously nothing is safe now on the services. Any um, any like main IP thing is probably I mean, safe. Main, yeah, you're right. Main IP is probably safe, but but even like if they're willing to take away originals, like right now, my house is is watching. We just my entire household is finally finished watching the Owl House. Sure. And part of me wants to rewatch it again because I absolutely adore that show. Part of me also wants to introduce him to Star versus the Forces of Evil, shows that I watched at first, but also 
both shows got unceremonious cancellations, rushed third seasons. What's stopping Disney from taking away these shows? I mean, granted, Owl House is getting a little bit more popular now, thank God. But at the same time, what's stopping them from taking those off? Nothing. And I think part of the problem is that it's not necessarily a popularity thing. Like, it's not about popularity. It's about residuals. And it's about, like, you know, very measured decisions of what can we cut that's probably going to not move the needle too much and uh and save us some money um and that's the thing now frankly ben you bring it up like i'm impressed that the owl house is still there because they cut so much queer content uh it's hard to not call homophobic Mm -hmm. no like no i'm i'm i understand i understand i I i'm taking the loss of willow of the service really hard i get it um but i'm calling homophobic uh, notably, both Runaways and Motherland Fort Salem feature queer relationships. Yep. Uh, both of them. Yeah. And yep. Motherland Willow Fort Salem was maybe... Will- Willow featured a prominent lesbian relationship at the center of the story. But Motherland's all about multiple queer. Right relationships. there, you go. Like the, Owl- the, I'm saying, I'm saying it. I'm saying it. This is homophobic. This is homophobic. Owl House, like straight up, went gay. Uh, I mean, it was the the. the the coding was there in season one, but season two, they just went F it full on. I think the weirdest, the weirdest thing is that they clearly listened to the response about the Howard Ashman documentary. Right. But they just trudged on forward with all these other queer representation things right before Pride Month. Uh-huh. Um, and I look forward to when Disney puts out their like celebrate pride because you know they're gonna have like <laughs> oh, yep. the, you know the Disney plus pride collection for the month and it's gonna be popping up and you're gonna see people talking about it and being like, hey, where's Willow? Hey, where's Motherland? Cool. Hey, where's Runaway? Can I buy a runaway shirt? Yeah. No, it doesn't exist yeah. anymore. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it even sucks because I've seen like some um activists on TikTok who some live in Florida, so a lot live out, and they're like they don't want to do it. They're a bit of it's for them that they're a bit of a rock and a hard place because especially with Disney plus doing all this stuff, like taking away all these shows with queer characters, but at the same time, a certain shit stain of a gun governor decides to run for president and you know, it's going to piss them off when you buy rainbow Disney stuff. I know you I guys, mean, saw I, his, I know you guys saw his Twitter spaces thing. I did it. I just saw the aftermath of it because on one hand rainbow capitalism, but the other hand pissing him off so he could yeah. continuously the flub. Actually, here's 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 a really good point that that both that that Ben and, and Sparks are bringing up. This year, don't look at the Disney Pride collection. Don't like clearly they don't, they don't care, and never has it been more apparent. We all knew, we all knew that they were only doing this because they they were only supporting LGBTQ people because it made them more money than it than than not. But now now it's mask off. Now it's yeah. mask off. Anything they do from here on out, it needs to be seen as hollow and needs to not be supported. This is maybe the most shocking move in Bob Iger's CEO career. Like as far as like upset. Yeah. Um, he's played it pretty, pretty well where he's able to kind of please the majority of folks with a lot of the decisions he's made with the company. And again, like notably, we talked about last week and i have to highlight like it is a positive where they reversed the decision about the campus in florida and a whole lot of queer employees who didn't want to move out there no longer having to and like good move right move undoing a very dumb thing chapek was doing absolutely but in conjunction with a decision like this and i don't we obviously don't know how much bob Iger curated 
the list for this, but he definitely approved it. I don't think he had anything to do with it. He just approved it. Yeah. Right. But that's, yeah. but that's the thing is, is like, I, and I don't think he's, I don't think he's so ignorant that he doesn't know the conversation that's been happening for the past two weeks. Yeah. And this is a weird move for him to not get out ahead of it, to not get out. And I'm telling you guys, like the fact that like cast members haven't gotten a message about it. Queer cast members who are upset about this haven't gotten a message from the higher ups about what's happening. They haven't. And it's a really weird beat for Bob Iger because he usually comes out like he would toe the line and be like, you know, it's more about like the exact same thing he said about having to cut 7,000 jobs earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not saying it would reverse the decision, but it is very weird that he's not trying to smooth the decision over. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't think about that. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Billionaires, am I right? Billionaires, right? They shouldn't exist. I should not exist. All right, so Captain America: New World Order continues to film, and we uh, now know that Rosa Salazar from Alita: Battle Angel has been cast in the film. Oh, that's she's cool. great! That's, that's awesome! Cool. I love. Yeah. I'm so excited for that Hulk movie. <laughs> uh, and then Mortal Kombat Two cast uh, Adeline Rudolph from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and Resident Evil, the the Netflix show. And they really, uh, as, they really like Sabrina. That's two Sabrina cast members that are both uh, bad bitches. So like this cast is just getting better and better. I love it. The cast is Katana. Love it. She looks. She's fan- that is great casting. I'm so thrilled. Uh, maybe we'll actually have a tournament in this movie. Oh. <laughs> well, the we got it right. They were like, next time, next yeah. time we're doing the tournament, right? Yeah, next yeah. time we'll do Mortal Kombat. Maybe, Mortal Kombat. maybe we can just follow all these characters and forget about Cole Young. Guy, I, I hope he just kill gets killed like the first five minutes. No offense to that guy, but like, what a mistake! Oh, <laughs> like, I, like, killed, killed. I hope he's the first guy in the tournament. He thinks he's got it. He's like, yeah, I'm That's on it. Twist and he gets the... he gets eviscerated. First act twist: we lose our main character, and no one like he gets it. like flawless victory fatality. Right? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and he doesn't come back from that shit. So, you guys talked about last week. I haven't listened to the whole episode, but I know that you guys talked about uh, Mortal Kombat One uh, because of this. I just want to throw my two cents in. It looks incredible. Can't wait. Gonna buy it. I think this will be my first Mortal Kombat game I bought since I think Shaolin Monks. Well, let's hope you beat Eleven first, so you have any context of what's happening. Right. Well, I know, but it's 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 like I've been doing a lot of research on this because you know Mortal Kombat One. It is yes, yes, it does continue from Eleven, but it is also meant to. Kind of be like you know you want like like nine was a new jumping on point. This is also a new jumping on point. No, right. I, I understand, but like we're just gonna have to play the game because like reading it and playing the game. Are, are... I mean, I'm gonna I'm also gonna get Mortal Kombat one, but I'm not playing the story until we do it together. Yes, that's what I'm hoping. No, I I didn't say that I was. I, I just know I just I know that this is. No, I know, but I'm we're all clarifying. I am clarifying uh, because because uh, Ryan made an assumption. And I just want to clarify that uh, it is just. Uh, because I'm excited for it and I want to play it. Obviously, I am me, and I do not play games until I have beaten the previous game. And we are going. We have been going through them yeah. on Basement Arcade. On Basement Arcade, and I will continue I, to do that. I I totally get what you mean about the yeah. fact that like this will be the first Mortal Kombat game you've purchased because you're not necessarily going to purchase Eleven right now, but yeah. you are going to jump in on this one because like clean clean beginning in a sense here. Uh, yeah. Once we've gone through Eleven, I hear you. Yeah, I get you. Uh, John Wick, a fifth entry, is in the early works. Do cool. tell me, is it being written? How that's interesting! A, that's a good question because it just said early works, and I'm like, what, okay, what's what does that what, mean? What else would early works be? They're just talking about it. 
They're just being like, so they're just sitting in a room. So John Wick five. There is a part of me that wonders if um, they've just said this to like put pressure on and say like John Wick five is happening. And Chad Stahelski and Keanu Reeves are like, no, no. It isn't. <laughs> I mean, hey, John Wick will return, and they're like, "Will I, You know what? After that ending of From Four, um, no. The only the only thing I want, in which everyone's saying online, is like, "Oh, he arrives in hell, and he has to re-kill everybody." He's Actually, ever killed. I have a different thing I want, um, which I thought about for a while, and I one hundred percent would watch would watch this movie. Um, I don't know what you call it, uh, because John Wick would not be in it. Not but it is like, but it is the 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 next part of the story, and it's about Donnie Yen and Common and Halle Berry coming together in his name mm. to take out the table. My name is and um okay. and what's his name from uh, the other one from the end of John Wick Four? I forget yeah, his the, name the right hunter. now. Yeah. yeah, the hunter. Those four coming together and saying okay. no more table. Working with Ian McShane and Lawrence Fishburne, like no more table. I'm John Wick. No, I'm. They John did Wick. say did they they did say that they're going to make spinoffs, and now I don't. I've not wanted to spin off more than what you just pitched to us right now. Well, yeah. because like okay. John Wick is infinitely more dangerous now as an idea amongst yeah. those characters than as his singular entity. And I think you can get away with like a, the rise of John Wick, a, a, a spiritual continuation with the characters we met along the way who were on John's journey and are like, you know what? John was right. Yeah. <laughs> F the table. <laughs> and like, yeah. and like, it was always hard for me to believe that John Wick on his own could take out the entire table with the way they structured it. But I can believe like these guys could go do it yeah. in his yeah. name. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'd watch the that. shit out of that. Uh, and they're also working on a video game. So, cool. yeah, we'll see cool. that in five years. Um, all right. Video game news. Oh. PlayStation news. Why don't it's you guys take me talking for half an hour? Yeah, why don't you Not guys take over? Thank God. I did you watch all of this uh, PlayStation thing, by the way, Brandon? Uh, I just watched the I watched every I watched every trailer and gameplay thing released of everything of everything we're talking about okay but you did not watch the whole thing no okay there were 35 games that is why i wanted to check because i just wanted to know like what you what your knowledge base was we'll get into some stuff uh ben why don't you take it away welcome gamers to basement arcade pause (laughs) hit pause sit back just chill mini edition i'm ben magnet and we're coming to you live for right in the middle of the fake nerd podcast episode 329 because the playstation showcase happened and who boy who else heard ryan scream at the top of his lungs because i sure as hell did but we'll get to that bit uh anyways yeah playstation showcase the biggest one that we've had in a while a lot of shit to go down of course i'm here with brandon t mcclure ryan eliopolis and sparks witty um so ryan how happy are you on a scale of one to extremely uh, not as happy as you'd think, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, really? I, I yeah. think I, I think because you have no context except for an announcement, and the context is the most important part of the announcement. <sighs> okay, there were like thirty-five games announced, and we're going to talk about like eight of them, just so yeah. everyone knows. We're going to talk about all of them. <laughs> yeah, God, do I wish we were here to talk about all of them? I do. Too. I just want to say in a quick moment, almost every game in here. I'm excited about. There's a game called uh, 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 Cats of the Caribbean. It's a cat uh, playing pirate. Game. Holy crap! I'm yeah. gonna buy that. Yeah. I can't even. There's a there's another one that's like a about the towers. I forget yeah. the name right Tower now. Tower of like, Yes, yes. It's Breath of the Wild, but like you, but it like like different. just like beautiful, be- like I it just has wanna, a paraglider. You know what I thought of? I was like, um, 
this is the video game that whatever the Avatar video game wishes it oh, was. Oh, sure. When yeah. it comes out. Because I was like, you you are just exploring this vast, incredible Pandora-like yeah. like level world of cool creatures and plant life and everything. Giant looked, flying like uh, stingrays you can hop Looked on. amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, I've never been more excited I, about being a PlayStation owner. <laughs> there's I want to... I really want to talk more about the Plucky Squire. That is my yep. personal favorite. Um, God, yes. Absolutely. I mean, outside of Spider-Man 2, because, oh. Yeah, that's, of oh. course, everyone's excited for Spider-Man 2, of course. Yeah, everyone's, but Plucky Squire, I have been into this game, into this concept oh, yeah. of this game ever since I first saw that trailer. And I want that on my Me PS5 too. right now. That's the most like that. That in terms of obviously, it's like it's like a small indie game. But in terms of this is what I'm talking about about video game design, like pushing forward. It is combining yeah. every type of game into like one game, and it is like a narrative version because it's a storybook being told. And mm -hmm. it's just incredible looking how you're transitioning from 2D to 3D. You're going to an open world from like it's just I can't. It looks so charming. It's so charming. I, I also just love. Sorry, Sparks, but I also no, just no, love no, how I just love how the design of the game is. It's kind of and this one is like an. I'll, I'll, Obviously, with Plucky Squire, I don't want it's a completely different developer, but same publisher, Devolver Digital, because right. with Plucky Squire and Cult of the Lamb, Cult of the Lamb was cute, but it was also menacing because it was it's like, oh, look at these cute little animals, instant eldritch horror, like yeah, sacrifices, yeah. got people dying. But with the Plucky Squire, it's going balls to the walls with the children's book theme, and the whole game looks so wholesome and heartwarming and cute. I mean, you get the cuteness with, yes, you get the cuteness with Colton Lamb, but this one, it's like, you get the cuteness, but it's a storybook, and it fits. Whereas one game is shock value, the other game is true wholesomeness. But the gameplay itself just wants me to play it, because I love how seamless, I mean, yes, it is a trailer, it is a pre-rendered demo, but you get going from a 2D space to a 3D space seamlessly. Not a lot of games have done that very successfully. And I'm yes. really looking forward to how this does it. And, and yeah, go ahead. I don't even want to talk. So. Uh, I was just going to say, like, there's a, there, this is a, one of the like crown jewels, I think, of many good looking indie style games that were oh, yeah. in the showcase that I'm just like, thrilled to the gills with if you have anything more specifically about plucky squire yeah just I, again like this like the transition from 2d to 3d it's just like it's so beautiful and seamless and i'm like how how are you making this game it's like so impressive i'm i'm genuinely thrilled to see this run on a playstation yeah. 5 i will say real quick because i just want to contextualize this state of play i'm so excited because my personal job life is about to change to where i have a more fixed schedule so i'm gonna play more games whoop, and i'm whoop. so thrilled about it some of them are gonna be for basement arcade some of them are in the state of play announcement for sure i know it so i'm just so happy and i real quick before we get into the ones that we highlighted in the news i did just want to ask Ben and Ryan, yeah. what did you guys think of Foam Stars? Get it out of my face. <laughs> no, that looks like the biggest... Are like, you... This will be the most negative I've ever been on this podcast, and I try not to be. That is just ripping off Splatoon. That looks like a piece of shit game. That looks awful. That looks um, like that looks so bad. Why would anyone want to play that game? And I'm sorry if you want to play that game. That's great. I'm happy for you. I am never touching that game. No, for <laughs> that sure. That looks awful. Instantly instantly the second the foam started going and i started with see was like i'm like this is splatoon i'm sorry yeah. nintendo has this shit locked down i laugh I feel so like hard whenever i feel like whenever another company be it square um be or another developer in this case square because square enix is developing the game whenever they try to take something that nintendo made it super popular random like they're able, it made a runaway success and they try to copy it it's not going to work 
They're big on fads because they did the Final Fantasy VII Battle Royale like Fortnite 2 that failed. This is this is why I I wanted to bring it up only because I was like, it was weird to me. This was Square. It was I was just like, wow, what a weird choice square yeah. enix right it's, now yeah. they this have is just, this is just bizarre square enix is huge and we mostly talk about yes, their course. their well i mean just because like we mostly talk about like their really good games and their jrpg stuff but they also put out a lot of stuff that we just don't talk about and like it just this got vote this got a showcase for some reason yeah, yeah and there were so many other games people were looking forward to that didn't get announced so i'm like how much money did they give you for foam stars i, wow. I don't know all i know is that i've never played splatoon and I'm never gonna play Foam. St- uh, foam I never Star wanted to play Splatoon more than after seeing this trailer. <laughs> I do think Splatoon could be fun. No, that if we play has together. a huge. That's that's like Nintendo's biggest multiplayer yeah, franchise. Yeah, it's for sure. huge. I just like it's just not for me. I I, I feel like if Brandon had a Switch, that could be like a supplement into for Ko City. Um, there's in a terms similar, of movement and stuff, absolutely. Actually, there's a yeah. similar construction design in terms of yeah, movement and everything. That's that's what I was thinking. Too. Yeah, it's a great game. Just um, yeah, just not not my jam. Yeah. Uh, uh, I will say, like, it did surprise me a little bit. We've talked about, like, game companies being a little better about, like, you know, not getting too far out in the weeds on their release dates. This one was pretty bad. There, were some, it, though, there were some 2024 ones. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think they were too, too terrible in announcements, especially because um, most of the 2024 ones were not AAA titles. And I think AAA titles are the ones that get stickier. Yeah. And I don't think it's so bad to hype people up That's about indies in advance. Most of them were smaller games that yeah. were getting the 2024 announcements. And I'm like, that's okay. I don't mind like waiting to learn more. The biggest thing, because a lot of people were disappointed with this. Um, This is a PlayStation like showcase as opposed to a state of play where this was supposed to set up like the future of PlayStation for the next year. And in mm-hmm. terms of setting up your next entire year, people were disappointed because only truly the next big game we are getting is Spider-Man because Metal Gear is not coming out next year. That was a CG trailer. That game is not even close to being done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So really, we only have Sp- the big Spider-Man game to look forward to because a lot of those games, they're not coming out next year. Well, we have Spider-Man at the end of the year, but we have Final Fantasy 16 next month. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> yeah, that's- but I don't. God think, damn it! I'm gonna be off. Yeah, I don't think we were expecting. At least I wasn't. Expecting the industry was. Big. The industry was. Because no, I get the it. The last time this happened was two years ago. Yes, we get um, state of plays every couple months. This was supposed to be the next year of our launch or our lineup. And so, like, I get, I get it. But I this, wasn't is, this was part of my point of why I was saying with the 2024 thing for the smaller title games. I think that they have confidence of those games coming, mm-hmm. and I think they're being reserved about AAA. Like, I do think we'll hear more towards the spider-man 2 release date of what's coming in 2024 and there will be something triple a to get excited about but i think they're being careful right now i yeah. think they don't want to overhype because everybody in the industry is looking at what's happening with uh suicide squad and saying i don't want to be that it's true also just don't make well here's the thing you half these games that that were announced were live service games that's true like literally all the shooters that we're going to talk about like hell divers uh a uh, 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 marathon uh, uh these are all live service games so like PlayStation has said that 60% of their budget next year is going to live service games. 60% of all of their games are going to be live service next year. So just get ready, guys, that a lot of these games look cool. They're not going to be games we're actually going to want to play. I, I'm just like, you I know, will, unfortunately. I will admit that um, more than anything uh, outside of a couple of select ones that we are going to talk about, um, it was the it was the indies that were getting me. I'm yeah. like, oh man, indies look so good on PS5. I'm just so excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have... Indies- uh, waiting for me to finish jedi survivor i have um season which i'm just thrilled to get into hell yeah baby. 
Uh, Brandon, do you want me to go down the list, or did you want to go down the list? Oh, I know. I I will I will talk when I have something to say. It's your guys' show. All right. Well, first first on the list that uh, Brandon um, so gracefully supplied for me is the Last of Us. The multiplayer project needs more time due to quality and long term viability concerns. Honestly, I didn't know that Last of Us was making a, a multiplayer thing. So this is honest. for these two. These are this is for these yeah. two. Uh, uh, so. Okay. This is really funny after last week, after the Overwatch 2 news of, hey, the game that we announced, Overwatch 2, that was going to be a PvE, you know, player versus enemy. Doesn't exist. Uh, that game doesn't exist anymore. So the game that people have been waiting for, like me, have been waiting for years, that game doesn't actually exist. And that really pissed off a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. Luckily, Overwatch 2 is free to play, so it's not like I bought the game. So, like, there's a little leeway, but it was it was a big dent in, in video game news, right? A week later, this was announced. Um... A and, key, a key difference being at least that this was not the core team of Naughty Dog, yeah, uh, having dedicated a bunch of time to something they ended up scrapping. Yes, uh, but it was much like Overwatch Two. Uh, it was a project that was too ambitious for them to finish. Yes. Um, and Last of Us Two came out four years ago at this point, and we we were heard about this game three years ago at this point. Yes. We haven't seen a single trailer for it. No. And then they put out, hey, the thing we're putting out is way too hard. Uh, we're going to scale back significantly, which makes me significantly less excited because hey the last of us multiplayer is really good they were not just making another multiplayer game they were making basically another big ass game everybody and they thought it is then they couldn't do it and i get that that sucks and like it's just yeah. a situation where like i i guess uh, sometimes you just you shouldn't have to try you shouldn't go so big you know this is their first live service game this is going to be a live service game battle pass multiplayer cosmetics all that shit and naughty dog has never made something like that before and i think they were failing at it unfortunately yeah um that a lot of people have said this was basically going to be the division with last of us and that sounds cool setting. and that like that cool. does sound cool like the division had its its advantages but like yeah. i was also nervous uh when they first announced it because i was like it sounds like cool a cool idea but I don't know how I feel about how they can pull it off because The Last of Us is just so driven narratively. Yeah. And I don't, and Naughty Dog is driven narratively. And so like mm -hmm. as a studio, I just don't think it was in their full capability to tackle what this was without cheapening the product. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Right. Honestly, when I hear Last of Us, I think narrative gameplay, amazing story-driven um, video game. I don't think multiplayer. But I this is not me like discounting that. But Ben, The Last of Us 1 has multiplayer and it's very good. That's right. why oh. they're making Last of Us 2 multiplayer. And the, oh. it, they wanted to make it bigger than the first game. And they said, okay, cool. We're making it bigger than just traditional 5v5 deathmatch, right? They, they wanted to make it into an actual game. It, it was too big for them to do, unfortunately. Uh, uh, I, I respect the hat of them just saying, hey, we can't we couldn't do it like it's, i know it's a hard decision to make instead of just buckling down and we're going to spend the next six seven years of our life making this multiplayer component to a game that came out seven years ago mm -hmm. it sucks man i get it uh it's just unfortunate this is naughty dog it's happening to because that multiplayer game would have been awesome because that first last of us multiplayer is awesome mm -hmm. that gameplay is incredible and doing it against real people is super tense being stealthy trying to kill all the people against real players it, it's incredible like it's better than it ever should have been um mm -hmm. And we're not gonna we're not gonna get that unfortunately. Um, hmm. So it is just it isn't a bummer. Yeah, um, it is what it is. But we got actual you know good news, which is which is good. Yep. Uh, Marathon. Bungie is developing a new shooter game, a revival of a 1994 game that uh, that was developed. Uh, it's not a sequel or a reboot, but it will take bits of inspiration from it. PvP extraction shooter where you can either play solo or a squad of three players, and it will have cross save and cross play between PS5, Xbox Series X, PC, 
as it is not a Sony exclusive. Yeah, this was one of the biggest, like, um, hell yeah moments. And then, because uh, they didn't tell you what the game was. It was just a CG trailer. Like, hell yeah, Marathon's back. You know, that's a, it's like a Doom clone. You know, like, like, like you know, a dude like this. It's like an old yeah, school yeah. Doom clone. It's before Halo. Um, the announcement trailer looks awesome. It's a great, that's such cool style. Bungie's so good at developing their own worlds. And then they saw that it's a live PvP extraction shooter. Uh, and that's like what that's like what the division is, and it's what uh, uh, Ubi. Uh, there's a lot of Ubisoft games that do this too. It's like the big new thing that's not Battle Royale, mm-hmm. and it made a lot of people really bummed out because the days of Bungie ever making a single player game again are over. We are never getting a Halo ever again. They are multi. They are now owned by Sony. They are a multiplayer studio for life, and that's just a bummer. That's just a bummer because Marathon. Uh, I've never played Marathon. It's an old ass game, but the aesthetics of that are really cool. And I was ready for a story, and they'll have some multiplayer story, but not like a Halo story, you know. Uh, yeah. So it was kind of like a oh, here's yeah. that Sony initiative happening right now. <laughs> I won't. I won't deny there's still an excitement level because like Bungie knows how to make a good shooter. They're the best. Um, they're, top, they're top. Like tier. I keep going back to Destiny partially because I like the world, but also because like every time I go back, I'm like oh yeah. Shooting feels great here. It feels better than any video, other video game I play. It's true. I just, I, I don't know what they know, but they know. They got the juice. They got the sauce. <laughs> um, so, like, it's going to be fun to play for sure. But I do echo Ryan's sentiment that, like, I kind of want more meat on them bones from Bungie because, like, it it feels like it's too close to Destiny. I just, I don't know how many looter shooters or games based on loot were just, like, I increased the number by one every mission. I'm just like, I just, I don't need every game to be that. Honestly. We've talked, we've talked before on pause menu about, like the future of live service is not the future of video games because um very much in the same vein of what we talk about with streaming services like the the idea of endless profitability is not the goal and it shouldn't be the goal and as long as every video game keeps chasing that they'll never succeed because like only only a handful of games can wear that crown for a long time and they've pretty much been chosen it's Fortnite yeah. and kind of overwatch still and uh apex legends yeah Call of Duty's hot. And Call of Duty. And, like, you're not going to break the ceiling of those games. Yeah, that's true. You know, that actually reminds me of a really good point. Um, Friends of the podcast, friends of pause menu uh, on the the podcast, um, Gamers Week podcast. Mm -hmm. When Tears of the Kingdom came out, there was an article. I forgot where exactly it came from. But Tears of the Kingdom... um, Essentially, this the author of that article said that 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 game is one of the most important things and it needs and it shows the and it's essentially going to shake up the gaming industry in some way shape or form because it's an offline single player only game and that game sold 10 million copies in three weeks in less than three weeks no spend three days the game's three days excuse excuse me three days it's, it's, technically less than three weeks was was it's, true it's it's probably sold like up to 15 at this point like it's doing elden ring numbers it's doing bananas yeah. like genre defying numbers yeah it's, it's and and because this game not only is it critically acclaimed gamers everywhere are loving it it is sold like hotcakes this is gonna hopefully something like this is gonna put into the minds of developers and publishers and pretty much the entire game industry that single player narrative games are not dead and experiences like that i mean we have elder ring beforehand we i would even say our our god of war ragnarok that sold batshit crazy too absolutely those games are the ones that are always front runner for game of the year those are the games that everyone talks about yes all these live service games are going to go under the water. 
Oh, they're right. going to go under the bus. So, I mean, while it sucks that, yeah, a lot of live service games, they don't happen. We have the Kings, Fortnite, Overwatch, Apex, and uh, Valorant. But everything else, all the games that people want to play, that people talk about, single player experiences. No, you're absolutely right. Like as we've talked about with Tears of the Kingdom and and hand in hand with Elden Ring being game of the year last year and sandwiched right between them is the narrative game of God of War Ragnarok. Yeah. Like those those three heavy hitters uh, just a year apart uh, amongst each other. That is a signal that like, but it takes time, right? You know, we're not going to see, mm-hmm. we're still seeing so many studios chasing the live service thing. And we're going to see that for another like four or five years before it dies it off takes and so they realize long. that it's not... Because it takes so long to develop games. But I do think you're right, Ben. I think we are at the beginning of the recognition that innovation is important. Yeah. And yes. uh, and that, like, the single-player experience is still valuable. But not only that, just, like, individual... Sorry, individual identity yeah. for a video game mm-hmm. is more important. And the thing is, like, the more live service games we hear about, they can sound cool. There's a lot of fun things you can do with them. But the fact that they are driven by the model of constant, like, uh, sustainability of, of what they're doing and, like, all that. Like, it's the difference between something, like, feeling like a fun multiplayer experience like Aliens Fireteam Elite or feeling like something where you're constantly being drip-fed content rather than getting yeah. a whole a whole meal to enjoy in a multiplayer experience at once. Yep. Yeah. I, and to be fair, I don't want to knock multiplayer games no, absolutely not. No. I mean, we multiplayer, play multiplayer game all the time. Yeah, multiplayer games are awesome, and there's always that, like, like you said, Last of Us has a great multiplayer. I didn't know Last of Us had a great multiplayer, and I'm like, oh, that would actually be really cool. I didn't play it for the multiplayer, but Doom 2016's Doom had a decent. I thought it had a decent multiplayer. I loved playing death matches in that game. I love being monsters. Yeah, I love. To me, I always feel when it like okay, Halo. Obviously, Halo took off because of its multiplayer. But when you actually look at the story of it, it's a fantastic story. It's a fantastic campaign and co-op. Mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, like if you really want to get into the weeds on it, like I think Halo takes off because it it was like at the moment of Halo's release, like a match for match of, you know, single player and multiplayer experiences. Whether that was multiplayer yeah. in the campaign or multiplayer in the PvP, it all gelled and yeah. it all work together and like they had put the same amount of care and thought and work into the multiplayer experience as the single player experience and like halo forms a unique franchise and beast because of that it's just Mm -hmm. unfortunate because and honestly like i'm not gonna put all the blame but a lot of the blame is call of duty because call of duty became the highest grossing not just shooter franchise the highest grossing video game franchise like a year after year because they had one a great campaign and incredible multiplayer and then they did one year of an experiment where hey it takes so much money and so much like so much time to make these campaigns. What if we just did one year where we didn't have a campaign and it sold just as well, if not better? Because it was just, it's always growing. And it turns out like less, I don't know the statistic, but I know it's really small. It is less than like 10% of people play the campaigns who buy Call of Duty. This it's there for the multiplayer. Like that right. was that is the core, you yeah. know, like not it's not just all dude bros. Like people love Call of Duty because it is incredible shooter. You know, uh mm-hmm. it is a different type of shooter than what Bungie makes. I prefer Bungie shooters, but Call of Duty is a popular for a reason. Yes. Yeah. Uh yeah. 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 Uh I think I think like you know, we've talked about it plenty on Pause Menu and we can move on to other things like that that are in the showcase specifically, but it is the the eternal chasing of that uh 
infinite growth model of getting subscribers into a brawl pass yeah. that is not going to last forever you cannot have that many there is a finite amount of gamers in the world and they will only subscribe to so many games for live service passes sure. and yeah. there are ones that have risen above the heap i'm not saying that there probably won't be one or two more that are going to rise up to sit not at fortnite's level but maybe just below but it's going to be only like one or two more it's not going to be like 10 yeah it's yeah. never going to happen. And to no. say one one actual positive, and you did say it, like this being a bungee game marathon, it will it will be a great, it will feel great to play. Whether yeah. I want to play it is a different story, but I know it's going to be at least be a good game. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, and like yeah. it, that's the thing is like I just don't want the brawl pass model. Like if you're going to give me something that's on the scale with Bungie of Aliens Fireteam Elite. Yeah, I'm there. I'll yeah. play I'll play some missions with some friends and like get better equipment as we do it and maybe want to go back because that's fun yeah and especially if the shooting feels as good as bungie's shooting does yeah you got me but if it's like yo you gotta commit to like that brawl pass you gotta be checking in weekly i'm like no that's not gonna work like i'll play it once in a while but you're not gonna get me like that destiny didn't do it you're not gonna do it nope well anyways moving on from that in other news dragon's dogma 2 we got an announcement trailer and that's it that's Ben. That's more than enough because this game uh, is a cult classic. The first one that no one ever thought a, a, a sequel would ever come out because it sold horribly. But it is one of like the biggest cult classic in cult classics in gaming because it is the, it is one of the few games that like I I would call it like a seven out of ten at best. But mm-hmm. it is a game that tries to do so much more than what it's capable of, mm-hmm. and it it's not a broken game, but it's a very janky game, very janky. But it mm-hmm. is an open world Skyrim esque game where you can climb on all the monsters. Uh, like Shadow of the Colossus. So you're fighting giant snakes and hydras and ogres, and you can climb on top of them and stab them in the eye. It had a great system where you can customize and create your own minions called pawns. And they're basically, for all intents and purposes, your slaves, but they're like mindless people that you can create. And you, they can, you can create your own D&D adventure group, basically. So you can have like every type of class you want, and you go and just do adventures in the town. And it's incredible. Like it was very simple, but but the combat was really, really deep. Like some of the deepest for a 360 game and it's beloved, really janky. Um, okay. This, a sequel's coming out, and the most exciting thing is it looks just like that game. It looks like an incredibly polished version of the janky-ass combat in that game where you're climbing over monsters and you're hitting things that are not really reacting to it. Mm-hmm. Like It has the jank that you kind of want in one of these games that gives it the charm, but it looks like a PS5 game. And now that it's on a PS5, it could be so much bigger and so many more moves and so many more pawns. Uh, and it's, it's building off a foundation now. Yeah, and like it, it is the same world, and yeah. like that'll make me revisit this game uh, that I haven't played in years. But like, man, like it is—it was such a fun, like unexpected reveal. Um, very, very excited for this one. Uh, a spark total side tangent that I was just thinking about because we were talking about like the the like takeoff of live service and like how that cr- created models and how other things create models and what Tears of the Kingdom and Elden Ring will create. Mm-hmm. Do you know what is a stunning feature i'm surprised didn't become like renowned in like a whole bunch of games after it came out the nemesis system the nemesis system i know exactly the reason because everyone brings it up warner brothers patented it patented it so nobody else can use it uh... and they still haven't used it to this day good rumors is monolith the company who made shadow of mordor is making wonder woman and the rumors are it's in wonder woman's game where you're fighting like greek people and monsters and battling the legions to go it up to tenants. Because, like, yeah, that is the greatest thing to happen in video games. And Warner Brothers was like, we know we got this on lock. So nobody can use it. So stupid. Mm. Yep. Rat bastards. Well, anyways, moving on. Assassin's Creed Mirage. 
we have a gameplay trailer of the next installment of Ubisoft's Assassin's Creed series. It looks cool. Yeah, it looks uh, like all back I'm say. Weeks after the last three. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I have played almost every single one, and that is too many. But the last, yeah, the last three uh, have been giant open world RPGs in the vein of like uh, Dark Souls combat with parrying and shield and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, it's been great. I love those first two. That third one, uh, I it was it was too much. It was it was a huge game. Valhalla. Uh, I was it was during the pandemic. I was in my Viking mode. I was watching all my Viking shows. I was ready for Valhalla. And it's just such a big game and not not in the big where I'm enjoying it. It's just like that's a lot of shit that you didn't need to make. It's a lot of chores. It's just a lot of chores. And it's like it's, guys, it is so big. And like not in the not in like the Zelda way where I'm like, oh, I don't want to do any of this stuff. Like it's just the same shit. Right. Um, so it's really great that they're going back to basics. Uh, it is going to probably still be like a, like an open world, but it is like considerably smaller. We're not doing boat shit. It is more about like you investigating your targets. You have to learn about the people you're going to kill before you can just kill them. Cause you know, in, in, in the recent games, you just have like magic and you just know where your opponents are. But like the original games, you have to do detective work too. Like, Oh, my guy that I have to kill is wearing, he's wearing a cloak and he has a beard and, um, he likes to smoke. So you have to look for those things, that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's coming back to the series. So like, it is it is going back to an Assassin's Creed game that I personally don't like as much as the newer ones, but it is look it does look like a better game than the last one was. So I, like it, I'm excited to be here. I will it looks say like just it's a, like oh sorry go ahead Ben. No I was gonna say it looks like it's going back to basics. Yep. I'm oh, sorry because I mean because I really wanted to hop on the Assassin's Creed chain when I first heard about the game. Like when I first saw it, Assassin's Creed Two, I thought it was like the coolest thing. Uh, Two thousand seven. Oh, God, I'm old. Um, I know. But yeah, but then, of course, Ubisoft just kept cranking out Assassin's Creed after Assassin's Creed, and I heard the quality just kept dipping, and that's why my interest in the series also left. It's like, ooh, other games instead. Yeah. This game does look, like, very interesting. And mm -hmm. one of the things, of course, with any new Assassin's Creed game is, like, what time period are we going into? This, um, this Middle Eastern um, setting looks gorgeous i mean so, i know it's because of the ps5 but it looks absolutely stunning fun fact it's from a character based in, in assassin's creed valhalla the newest game it is it is a character that you as ivor the, the the viking lady you meet uh and then it's his side story that was going to be dlc that they turned into a full game so oh. like this takes place during during the viking era of like 1100 1200s england but you're just going to the middle east so it's like around like 1200 uh i do want to say just like from the small bit that we do have given to us it looks <laughs> far more considerate of the representation that it's putting to the game than the earliest releases sure. of Assassin's Creed. I think it just looks like there's a lot more culture and thoughtfulness put to the environment and character mod like I will say and everything. The last like the last like like three they've been really really no 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 no, that, no. Yeah. but that that's what i'm saying is like it's going back to the roots but it looks like they're trying to take some lessons over time sure yeah, yeah. Uh, because like assassin's creed one and two are fun games there's some cultural stuff that's maybe not the best what do you mean the like first with... in assassin's creed 2 you meet your cousin he says it's a me mario <laughs> uh so but this especially doing like middle east stuff i think that they're bringing a lot it seems visually to the table to be more uh, positively representative absolutely than yeah. perhaps like the initial assassin's creed was and that's why i was mm -hmm. highlighting like the going back to roosting I, I i haven't played them but i'm well aware of what you're saying like with the previous entries that they've been far more like 
conscious of this and i think they're bringing that element with them in going back to the, the roots. Absolute, I think that's something yeah, really cool the absolute coolest thing that the last three games have done is they have had a they have had a museum history mode where it is the entire open world game but there's no combat you are simply walking around or flying around and going to the actual like places and learning about them and there's videos and there's and there's historians that talk to you about the places you're visiting in game so like the last like decade of Assassin's creed has been like hardcore despite it being magical and shit like these are all real locations with real history and all the real people you're interacting with all like Cleopatra and all these nonsense people. Like, you know, I, in, in Assassin's Creed three, you meet like Ben Franklin and shit. Cause it's during the revolution. Like it's nonsense shit. You, yeah, you hang yeah. out with George Washington. Like it's a, uh, it's really great. Like that is why Assassin's Creed has withstood the test of time because you don't get games. that are giant open world representations <coughs> of the real world like this. Like you don't get of... like, a, like, like entire Rome rebuilt or, or the middle East and, or in somewhere in Japan. Like you just don't get yeah. games like that, especially if they're in olden times. Like, not a, not a lot of period piece games that go back pre pre noir with this budget, at least yeah. for sure. Yeah. So like, I always respect and like the newest, like the next one is going to be like the Japan one, the ones everyone's been waiting for. They haven't done a samurai one yet on the big scale. They did a, uh, uh, a Nintendo DS one. Uh, but like the Japan samurai one is going to be insane, uh, uh, with everything they build up to. So like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. And another news, Alan Wake two, a new trailer was released and also, some news that this game is going to be digital only. Yeah. Um, which has a lot of people up in arms about it. Yeah. Um, I, and this is just rumor that it is so they can actually make it cheaper than $70 because that is now the base price of games. They want it to be cheaper digitally because Remedy is the dopest video game company. But that is just rumors right now. So, like, I hope that's true. Um, ben, guess what? One game you're going to be playing for an hour in Basement Arcade this, uh, Basement Arcade this summer. Let me guess. It's called Alan Wake 2. No, it's called Alan Wake 1. <laughs> I'm not going to make you play a sequel of a game you haven't played yet. Uh, I'm taking right. some context. Um, this which game I'm going to be playing this year. Alan Wake 1. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, Alan Wake 1 is an incredible game. Every game Remedy makes is great. Oh, they did Max Payne. They did Control, which was my game of the year when that yes. game came out. Um, uh, it is a literally Stephen King inspired because in the first five minutes of the game, he's talking about how Stephen King is his hero. Uh, it's about a writer in a small town and how his writing is coming to life and it's ruining his life and how it is a very, very psychological Twin Peaks. He literally like the most inspired by Twin Peaks game ever made. There is literally a log lady in the game. Um, it's incredible. And it is also a huge cult classic that no one thought we'd get a sequel to. And baby, I, I'm just... And they did a great uh, remaster remake. They did. Of, um, of it just a little while ago. Which Ben will be playing. Which Ben will be playing and I will be playing and it's going to be a good time, Thank friends. Thank you, PlayStation Plus, for giving it to me for free. I love it. The thing that's so exciting about this game is that first game is very spooky, but like they're calling this like their first true horror game. And they already, every game they've ever made has been spooky and horror. So I don't know what the hell that means that they're actually going to make a horror game now because Control is the scariest game I've ever played. And that's like the X-Files in a spooky haunted house, right? Um, I'm so excited because one, you're not only playing as Alan Wake, who is back and has amnesia or whatever. You're playing as a black uh, FBI protagonist. I don't know if I've ever played a video game where you're a black FBI protagonist in a horror game. That's incredible. The dual identity thing is going to be great. It looks like uh, Alan is like in a spooky New York. Uh, all the shit could, could be happening in his mind, or is it real? It's a video game. Who knows? Uh, just so thrilling. Uh, looks real, real good. I I echo all Ryan said. Does look pretty good, and part of me is like excited to experience Alan Wake because a lot of my friends on Twitter were talking about how much they loved the first one, yes. but then I realized, oh no, it's a horror game, so I'm like, ah, I'm good. It's gonna be torture it, for me. 
it has honestly one of my favorite like gameplay mechanics of like the bad guys are covered in shadows and you and light is the main mechanic of the game and it has some of the best lighting in games that's why Alan Wake 2 is gonna be look so good because it's all based in lighting you have to shine light on enemies to despair to disperse, uh, disperse the light before you can shoot them because they're covered basically in like demon goo uh it's incredible it pushes like tech forward uh in terms of lighting stuff so like i'm so excited to like like ooh, aim my gun and my thing oh i'm just i'm jumps for it all right well this is the one thing i thought you were super being jones for and actually the second part of this bit i'm excited about metal gear solid snake eater um remake of the third MGS game is finally confirmed, but they also announced in the and the same beat right after the announcement of the, of the trailer, the Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume One, which is a collection of Metal Gear, Metal Gear Two Solid Snake, Metal Gear Solid, which is including VR missions and special missions, Metal Gear Solid Two Sons of Liberty HD Collection version, and Metal Gear Solid Three Snake Eater HD Collection version. Essentially, a giant collection of Metal Gear Solid games on modern consoles for me i'm excited about that because it's like cool collection games in one one system done it's also important that that's called volume one which means yes um of all the games that you cannot play metal gear solid 4 remains on the ps3 right. you can't play that game unless you unless but you, it's coming but it's but it will be coming after this volume because right. this is gonna sell like oh sell yeah like gangbusters see i'm thrilled about this because i've wanted to go through the metal gear solid franchise and i'll tell you right now my, my intention my intention is i don't know if it'll be me joining ryan as he plays through this version or if it's going to be ryan joining me but, no i've played him a hundred times i need you to play it yeah i will be uh, your man in the air just like snake but I, I definitely want to do this, and I want to do this journey with Ryan. So it's I'm exciting. excited about these originals coming to PS5. I think this is wonderful. To be honest, I am more excited about the the uh, the remasters. They're not going to be like like 4K super. We're not remaking they're all the games. Look. They're just gonna they're gonna be up res HD yeah. version, yeah. which is all I need. All I need because those games yeah, look great if, anyway. Yeah, if I remember correctly, there was an HD version on the PS3, and there yeah, was actually like were. two Metal Gear Solid collections for the PS3 that came out. But what's but. If I mean, if you have a PS3, cool, because I still have one. It's plugged in, but yeah. at the same time, I would much rather get this for my PS5. Yeah. Oh, with the with the PS5 controller, dude. Like, I oh, want to. Yeah. I like because so much of what of those original Metal Gear games, like the original PlayStation controllers, had contact sensitive buttons. So Metal Gear specifically, you would slightly press to hold up your gun, and then you hold it down to shoot it. So like that stuff is gonna be really cool with the PlayStation yeah, 5 controller. Yeah. Not only that, one of the big things why the PlayStation Classic was heavily criticized was because it came without the analog controller, without the rumble. And yep. of course, when you're fighting um, Psycho Mantis, and you have to like take and he you let it down, the the controller starts vibrating. That's a fun and then, thing. and you have like a whole bunch of other cool stuff with the psychomantis, like messing with your PlayStation One system. Well, and... that's just like he's just reading your memory card. Like if you've yeah. played, if you have Castlevania memory on your card or something else, it's like, oh, I see you've played Castlevania, and it's like, whoa, you, how are you doing this? It's like you're reading my memory card. It's really <laughs> in 1999, it was destroying people's yeah. brains. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I bet, I bet. Well, I mean, there was like this huge thing with like the controller not having the rumble function, but like you said, with the PS5 haptic controller. With the DualSense 5, they can do so much with the Metal Gear Solid games. And That's also, cool. it's not just the like the PlayStation games, also the NES games too. Metal Gear and uh, Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. Those came out. five games. Yeah. We're getting, yeah. That's yeah so we're getting a great collection. I'm looking forward to it. I've never played any of the Metal Gear Solid games in my life. Um, besides playing, trying to play Metal Gear Solid on a demo disc and failing miserably mm -hmm. at it. 
it's and, not uh, uh it's, uh, it's not understated of me to saying that metal gear solid is one of the most important video game franchises of all time not just in terms of video games but also for cinema mm -hmm. because in the way that hideo kojima was inspired by hollywood cinema of the 80s and 90s uh people love how weird hideo kojima is and he inspires so many people both in video games and movies as well because right. he is just as much a movie guy even though he's never doesn't make movies he hangs out with celebrities every day all day he's just like hanging out with mads milkinson smoking because he's in he's in his game that's stranding like it's good shit it's awesome uh, let's talk about Metal Gear Solid yeah. Delta Snake Eater, because mm -hmm. they're not calling it Metal Gear Solid 3. Uh, for no, those of you Delta. who don't know, people might be wondering, wait, they're remaking the third game? That doesn't make any sense. It's because it's a prequel. It's the first in the chronology. It, it's like making Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, first instead of A New Hope, right? Mm -hmm. um, people are speculating that it's because they're going to retell the story from chronological order, which I think is a mistake because, again, stories are told in orders for a reason. You don't actually release the Phantom Menace first because it ruins the storyline of building stuff up, blah, blah, right. blah, that kind of stuff, right? The thing that is the most concerning is, uh, one, no Hideo Kojima. Obviously, uh, they booted him. They hate him. He hates them. That's that's fine. I get that. Uh, there's no mention of who's making this game. Right. Not a single mention of the developer team. Uh, and then the developer team has come out and saying, hey, it's going to be the original cast. We're so excited. We're going to adhere to the vision. It's going to be, you know, extremely faithful. We don't know who's making it. Just Konami's making it. And y'all, Konami doesn't make video games anymore. Right. The last video game they put out was Metal Gear Survive, which is a Konami-less video game that was one of the worst games ever made. And they used they, 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 it was awful. It made me It made me really, really sad. So... I have no faith right now in this game. The fact that I'm getting the the HD remasters of those games, meaning I'm just getting the original great trilogy. Right. Uh, I'm hoping for the best. Like nothing would make me happier than to play one of the greatest games ever made in PS5 fidelity. Like mm -hmm. that is that is a, a true a true dream. Um, but, but if they're going to be changing it and taking away from Kojima what he stamped on it, I feel like that's a a cause for pause. And it's not like. Hideo Kojima is such a, a singular person. Like he is on, like he is very much like a comparative is someone like David Lynch. He is a weird ass man, and he makes weird ass art. The fact that he he has one of the most successful video game franchises, which is about like it's anti capitalism, anti nuke. The whole thing is about how Snake's trying to stop the world from using nukes, uh, and people love that shit. It's incredible. And he just throws out like movie lines, like like Metal Gear Solid Three. Half the time he's talking about Godzilla with one of the girls in his. And he's like, "Yeah, I saw this movie Godzilla. It's a real bright statement on nuclear blah blah blah." And I'm like, "What is this game you're making, dude? This is insane." Um, without him, I don't know, man. Like you can try to recapture like the energy of someone like David Lynch, but if you're not David Lynch, it doesn't feel the same. Um, yeah. so like, I, I I don't know. That's the thing is that to me like. I'm I'm more hype about getting to play the originals because I yeah. want I want the experience of Kojima's voice. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't seem to me that if you are in conjunction releasing this HD volume one collection of those things, that you are also making a remake that is 100% faithful to the other game you are releasing in this HD remaster. You are probably changing it. Well, I mean, small changes are fine because like remakes are so hot right now specifically capcom mm -hmm. uh all the resident evils have been everyone has been good dead space just came out that was incredible so like i don't mind a remake coming out but like not having like a i don't know who's making the game right and that just that just rubs me the wrong way like normally like when you a big announcement like this like you're remaking one of the biggest games of all time you're not going to tell me who's behind it that just seems weird it just seems weird uh, also, it means that games, I don't think the game's coming out for like four or five years. Mm -hmm. I think this is one of those yeah. unfortunate announcements. And if I'm wrong, uh, I would love to be wrong. But like, 
I don't know even know who's making the game. I don't expect it to come out in six months. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'll get the I'll get those yeah. remasters. Oh, yeah. hell yeah! Even because once again, this was just an announcement trailer of yeah. of Solid Snake in the jungle with a bunch of animals eating each other. So, I knew it was Metal Gear because um, there's a there's a boss in the game called the End. He's like a 150 year old sniper man, and he has a parrot. He has a parrot, and I was like, I know that parrot. That guy's an asshole. He's always oh. talking shit. That parrot talks shit. You can shoot. Him. Oh, oh, great. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, hopefully Delta get, is good. Hopefully, but at the same time, we have a great collection coming our way for PS5. So, hallelujah! I'm so excited. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we got two more left. The f- next one is Hell Divers Two, an announcement trailer, and I could have swear this was Starship Troopers. Would you like to know more? Yeah. Would you like to know more? Yeah. Hell Divers. I would like to know more about Hell Divers. Again, this I feel like this was like the the showcase of cult classics because Hell Divers is a um it doesn't the Hell Divers one does not look like this game, uh, which is why a lot of people are actually really excited. I I wasn't a big fan of the first Hell Divers the way it is a top down perspective, almost like you know like a Diablo or like Marvel Ultimate Alliance, but like top down, top down. Um, and it's more like a twin stick shooter where this is like a 3D, like almost Left 4 Dead ass looking, um, you're building stuff. Like it is the Starship Trooper game that I've always wanted. Uh, whereas or the first fire, or fire team, or fire team getting a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. But like, I, like I, I, I jive with Starship Troopers. More no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. I meant in, um, in gameplay. in gameplay. Yes, yes, yes. But yes, it is. It is. There is no way that Starship Troopers was not on the mind when they yeah, constructed yeah. this trailer. It's so baked in. Yeah, going onto an alien planet and like terraforming it for the good of the good of the Empire and all that shit and like very tongue in cheek and like, yeah, murder, no big deal. Like, I'm encounter the it. local wildlife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am all about it. And like this gameplay change, I'm like, oh my God, like I really wanted to like that first game, but just it didn't do it for me. It just wasn't for me. Uh this is like the change that I'm like, oh, you guys, oh hell yeah. Of of everything in the state of play, this was the one I was watching where I'm like. All right, so this might be the game for the four of us. Yeah, uh, I want Brandon to enter the chat Dude, now we can because I think this is the one where oh, we might all have a good time together with this one. I would like to know more. And I thought this looked incredible. Yes, um, I love the um, the opening of the of the trailer, which. We're, we're... <laughs> This dude just looking at his wife and child being murdered by this bug, and he's just like, no. There's just no way. There's just no way Starship Troopers was not the template for this. Absolutely. Yeah, this this looks awesome. I I, I really want to play this. Yeah, I I was. I I really hope it's good. I really hope it's good because Redfall fell apart. Yeah, and I was hoping that would have been a fun one for the four of us. But yep, I'm, yep, I'm yep. really hoping that this could be a fun new thing for the four of us. That first game is good. Uh, it just wasn't my jam. So like, I I have full faith in the team that this will be a good one. Yeah. All right. And finally, the showstopper, Spider-Man 2's gameplay trailer, was not expecting the symbiote suit that early. It's crazy how he just kept yelling, "Shocker!" Well, you think, "Shocker!" <laughs> well, you, well, you think about it like we got to get the symbiote suit early. Yes, the symbiote suit early because uh, we know we get Venom and we know we get Tony Todd voicing Venom. So like, we gotta get through the whole experience of Peter wearing the suit before that. So mm-hmm. um, well, what's so interesting is I, I guess I just didn't think that we would do the symbiote suit at all because you know what we what we've seen of the Venom of of the Venom symbiote is is in the pod with Harry. Yeah. Um, and that so I thought when we when Harry comes out, he's Venom already. And that's going to be the thing. But mm-hmm. seeing this, I was like, oh, shit. Right. Of course. What was I thinking? Of course, we're right. going to do this. And and by God, the way they've incorporated it into gameplay is just magnificent. Oh, oh incredible. The, the, the really cool thing that people have pointed out is um, 
as you remember in the first game, there's like 40 suits to choose from and you could pick any of them at any time. But they, that also has to work with a symbiote suit now, right? So yeah. basically you can equip any time and you will always have the symbiote with you. And it's just an L1, R1 of choosing different moves. So you can wear any suit and it will just do the mystique of thing of turning you black. So you can be any Spider-Man you want still and become symbiote Spider-Man. Uh, it is a separate ability than being Spider-Man. So I'm like, because you, if you look on the, the the UI, you have L1, R1, and then like the little like four buttons pop up. So you have like Guardians of the Galaxy, like so many attacks. Uh, we see, we kind of get a hint of that in the, in the not the Craven cinematic, but the one when Spider-Man reveals himself. Because when he, when he shoots out, he's wearing his Spider-Man suit and we see the Venom suit engulf him. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it looks good. It looks really oh, good. Yeah. I love this design. Yeah. Uh, idea that the the, the kind of like sliminess i guess of yeah. of, of it as it sits on him the way the sheen is on the eyes and the mask yeah. uh i i i love the look um i love that they already gave us plenty of a snippet to uh get the idea of you know peter's peter's engaging a little with those dark emotions and miles is like oh man do i have to which really is going to create such a fun dynamic putting the two of them in the game i'm really excited about that yep i love uh, you can switch between them whenever yeah that's we incredible got big boy we got we we don't know that yet because it was contextual in this trailer right. of when you uh -huh. switch between characters so i am not fully convinced yet that you will be always be able to switch between them i think i'm I not fully convinced. yet convinced i think for story stuff it'll be controlled but yeah. like when you're doing the missions in i hope the city so. i think it can be like rather than fast travel it'll be like yo miles uh can you take care of XYZ story yeah. uh, side quest thing and you switch over? Okay. I think yeah. I think that's probably that's what I'm... the story stuff is so structured with Insomniac. Yeah. I can't imagine that they're mm -hmm. gonna give us the full range of like you can just switch whenever. Yes. But I haven't um, I think I've... the side stuff. That's what I was thinking. To, yeah, to extrapolate on your point, I have a feeling that there's gonna be because you know, in between major story missions, you have the stuff where you can like swing around New York, do side missions, stop crime because you're Spider-Man. Yeah. And also you could like you have like a list of side quests you could do as Peter Parker, but another a different list as Miles Morales, and you can yeah. switch between the two before you tackle a big story bit. I think that's something they're gonna do, and that's when you could switch between them freely. I hope that's the case. Um, other than yeah. that, I do love how the combat is still kind of different between Miles and Peter. I love yes. how Miles has his Venom strike, and it looks really good in the game. What I wonder, they might not go this far. You might have to figure it out on your own. It might not tell you, but I do wonder if there will be like a difficulty scaling of like certain encounters. Like just think of like the stuff we've done in the previous games, like going into some gang leader's warehouse and like, uh, well, with Peter Parker, this is going to be a breeze. With Miles' abilities, this is going to be a little bit more challenging. Like you gotta, you gotta mm, think about how think you're going to use those things, uh, depending. Uh, I'm just thinking about like how you unlock things because yeah. we still will. It's still a skill tree. It's gonna be right, the same right. Skill exactly, tree exactly. Yeah. But like, um, because Peter and Miles are doing different things because Peter has a symbiote suit, for yeah. example, and Miles has like his electric powers. And things they like have, that. and we know they have um, two different skill trees. Yeah. Right, so. and so depending on who you advance, might make something more like, oh, for this side thing, I'm probably gonna want to use Miles I because I I pushed Miles yeah. into this. Not that the game is designing specific things to work against. You, I think you're gonna be building who... them simultaneously at the same time because they don't want you not to play both characters. Sure. I think they're I specifically. Just... I think Ben's right. You're gonna have, you're gonna do side stuff for both, but they're not gonna limit because there's no way you can play the game. Let's say you only want to play as Miles, and then but you have to play as Peter Parker. Like you have to, so you have mm -hmm. to unlock that stuff. So like, I think they are going to evenly give it to you as opposed to like an RPG where you have to literally, oh, I want to go this path. I think it's going to be a little more free. So you yeah. don't have to be, you don't feel restricted. 
All I know I don't is think you're gonna I, do that. For this time all I know is I need to beat Miles Morales. Oh, yeah, you need to start that. Um, I, I think... I'm sorry, did you want to give a bullshit excuse? No, I was going to say, thankfully, thanks to PlayStation, thanks to my PlayStation Plus subscription, I got it for free. It's on my charge drive right now, ready to go. So you don't have an excuse is what you're saying. Exactly, um, I don't have an excuse. I'm going to play it before... He just has like six other out. games he has to get through in this year before that. So the... <laughs> So, 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 what's really, what's really interesting about this, about this trailer is we, we learn that the map is bigger. They've expanded the map in the, in this game. Is this the most significant expansion in a Spider-Man game yet? Because I don't remember ever playing a Spider-Man game, and I played most of them, uh, where you, where you encounter much outside of like the island of Manhattan. Yeah. Yes. Um. I mean, it's. I mean, they they only get bigger with with technology allowing it to get bigger. So yeah, I will say like one of the things as Ryan pointed out as well, like it's really great to go back to Queens. We haven't yeah. been in Queens since Ultimate Spider. It's the same map. Everyone needs to be prepared. Like New York didn't change in the right. four years since the last game. Like I need like no, but no it's not. The, yes, the island of Manhattan is the same map, but there's it's also bigger because we're going to Queens. No, yes, to, no, I, uh, I'm just so it's not entirely the same map. No. Not entirely, but the map that we played in Spider-Man 1 is going to be in that game. It's just going to be, we're going to explain more outside of it. We're going to places we haven't been. It's that same map that we played in Spider-Man 1 for 50 hours. Right. Like, it's just going to look better. And that's not a bad thing. That's not me saying it's a bad thing. Again, Zelda is a game where we're doing the exact same stuff. But, like, people online are getting mad. Like, the the, the, the people who don't understand how game development works. Like, wh- why would New York look different? It's the same city. Right. Like, people are getting mad about that for, for, for sure. silly, silly I mean, reasons. Well, the, the one of the things they're adding... Is... No, go ahead, Ben. No, I was just about to say the fact that they're adding more boroughs of the city of New York is actually a better thing. I mean, I don't care that the map, the the island of Manhattan is going to be the same thing. The fact yeah. that I have, honestly, I'm not obviously I'm not a New York local. I don't know New, I know bits of New York. I know the yeah, famous yeah. landmarks like everyone does. But I would, st- I'm still going to explore that map like it's me explaining it for the very first time because yeah. I've forgotten a lot of the stuff. And the fact that I have more boroughs to explore, Queens, and I'm assuming Brooklyn. I'm looking forward to it. I'm like, that sure. Spider-Man fight is gonna re- is gonna happen with Peter and Venom on on the f- football field. It's gotta happen. Recreate mm. it. Recreate mm. it. I played that opening Tasty. of Sp- Ultimate Spider-Man like a thousand times. Ultimate Spider-Man's so good. Um, the, I think like the thing that's, I, for me, it's like it doesn't matter that New York doesn't change because where they take you, or is gonna in be terms of like even just where they decide to put um, the side quest stuff, it doesn't even have to be the main story stuff. It it feels refreshing. Like the difference between the first Spider-Man game and Miles Morales, like I still felt like I was going places. I didn't, I didn't feel like I was retreading. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, And, and I think that's fine. Like I, I, and I have full faith. The fact that they've taken us to the water um, and are using the environment off Mm -hmm. the coast is, uh, is thrilling. And like, just going after the lizard in that way, I think is going to be really exciting. With, uh, yeah. I love the lizard design. Yeah. Love it. With how big the map is becoming, obviously like you would need faster traversal. And so they're just giving you like wind tunnels <laughs> just in New York. Uh, and then he's also getting the, the, the uh, spider wings. Like yeah, what are they called? To travel. Uh, uh, squirrel suit, squirrel suit. Uh, wings. I love those. Uh, it, it, just considerably faster. Uh, and I'm like, oh man, that's going to be so good. What's what, in that first game and Miles is so good. What struck me as, as really impressive is that I didn't feel like this was the same game. They didn't just make the same game. They didn't just, here's the original game, slap on a new game and give it to us. It literally feels like they built a new game here. I won't say that. I can tell this is a sequel, but that's not absolutely not a bad thing. 
uh, iteration on on gaming is, is, is I will totally say okay. I will say in terms of like not gameplay but what they're offering in the gameplay um they're clearly like advancing what they're thinking of for you to be able to do to yeah. make it feel fresh like miles has is going to be given a whole new repertoire of how to combine his abilities how to utilize his abilities how to think about using the tools that you will have at your disposal they, yeah, they yeah. are constantly like expanding on what's possible inside of the gameplay that was you know existing um, before in the arkham games when you can do like combo moves <coughs> you hold like square and x like if you're with nightwing or batman and you guys can like take out i guarantee it will be some of that cool shit which wasn't in those first games so like i'm i just i need to see gameplay of you in the open world with you two together because as of right now i'm i i just don't know uh because there's no reason that shouldn't be but i play a, i play a lot of open world games where like restrictions are more there than you think again and you need a game like zelda to open your eyes of like oh yeah we can do more than what you're normally given so like i pray because again grand theft auto uh five came out 10 years ago and that has three protagonists that you could switch to at any time whenever you want mm -hmm. so if we're not doing that in 2023 we got a problem so like i pray we can do that because i'll be sick as hell i want to i want to clarify just what i said about it looking looking like a new game when arkham origins came out it was very clearly the Arkham City map that just they just slapped the new map next to it and said, "Here you go." Yeah, I do not feel this way with this game. Like it, like it feels to me what I get here, and I understand if I'm if I'm the only one that that's whatever. Um, it feels more like, you know, Arkham Asylum to Arkham City. Like yeah. it just it feels like it's a new game. Mm. I feel, I feel I see what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. It is it is it is much more new than like not. Um, like like they could like uh, insomniac is not a company i ever worry about like phoning it in like other like like sometimes an ubisoft will mm -hmm. so like they they didn't have to go as hard as they appear to be in this game like I, they didn't have to like do all this but like it looks like it is going hog wild crazy i think especially the leap from the original to this is massive like miles gives you some of it in between um but at, at, if you look at just the original going to this one, it's like massive changes. Because like, uh, like, like upgrades. Looking things. looking at like some of the chase scenes from those from that first game and the chase scene in this game, there's just considerably more happening because it's the power of the PS5 and they're not limited by the PS4. Mm -hmm. Like like so many more particles, so many more opponents to fight, like so many um, cinematic moments turning that, into gameplay moments, certain back into cinematic moments. Like that's only possible with a PS5. Like. It, it, it looks it is it is that was true miles, so much too. miles was held back by being for ps4 yeah. and ps5 not built entirely on the ps5 engine so you, this is our first real foray with insomniac spider-man going hard ps5 absolutely um and i think that's going to be I, I think like a strong comparison is the um when you are swinging along trying to catch up on the chopper while it's chasing the lizard over the water that looks so much more dynamic and smooth than um pursuing electro at because you're kind of just swinging through the city which is really cool but like so much more like destruction is happening around you in this because like they, they can afford to do it they're not held back yeah. uh i'm so i i was i'm gonna be honest i was a little worried before the trailer because i'm like i've loved like Jedi survivor it's a great game but like it's not the true sequel i wanted i really liked god of war but like I felt it was a little hang back. Like this could be like like Final Fantasy 16 esque same way. Like man, this is the next generation finally here. Like this is kind of what I've been waiting for. Um, and we know Insomniac is thinking in that way because of um, uh, Rift Apart. Oh yeah, Dragon 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 Clank. Ratchet and Clank. That how much they were using the PS5 tools that we saw on display there. We know that they are excited about utilizing what they can do with the PS5 engine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I really like Craven's design. We haven't talked about him, but he looks cool. Yes, he does. <laughs> The amount of people who were who were really worried that the first guy who showed up was Craven, like this guy looks like what? 
And then real Craven showed up in like his like lion garb and like lion skull and like there he is. Uh, we also we also see uh, Wraith confirmed. Yeah, she's in um she's um it's either in the Spider Man DLC or Miles uh that that's the trajectory that Yuri goes. So the DLC. The DLC. the DLC, yeah. So, like, if you didn't play that Spider-Man DLC, you don't know that Yuri's now a vigilante, so play that DLC. Yeah. It's okay. Trailers? Let's do it. Trailers. All right. Out of pause. Uh, oh, yeah, Ben, Unpause. say your thing. Unpause. <laughs> um, all right, so let's start with Problemista. Uh, this looks really cool. This is A24. Um, this is, like... um. Oh, excuse me. This is um, like immigration issues, but like I'm not sure if the people are dead or from another dimension. But like they're not; they just disappear when they're not supposed to be here. So like it's it's a, it's a take on immigration, but like the A24 is like weird nonsense stuff. Uh, it looks really really interesting. Uh, Tilda Swinton's in it. Uh, you know, I trust A24. I, I think I need a second trailer to totally sell me because this feels just more quirky. Uh, 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 but I'm but I'm intrigued. I think the thing that gets me about it is as an immigration story, we so rarely get one about like coming into the country, specifically immigrating to America and coming in and job pursuing. That is, I want to be an artist. Mm, okay. Yeah. It's usually like I have to find another avenue because that is commonly the path um, that, that is forced upon immigrants and like those that want to pursue the arts, it's almost never an achievable dream. So the idea of a creative passion in this and the desire to be fulfilled by it and being taken under the wing of another creative person um, and how, you know, it feels very much like a very modern idea of chase the American dream, but chase the American dream through the art that you love. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we get a lot of immigration stories like that. That's true. That's a very good point. Yeah. Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2 had a new trailer this week. I think it looks awesome. Uh, uh, looks great. Can't wait to watch that first season. I'm going to go to that. Okay. Uh, this looks, frankly, incredible. Um, I am... Ben, did you see this? You didn't. I unfortunately did not. I'm sorry. You should, honestly. like I, it. Actually, yes, you should. You should. should. Yes, you should. Um, so, yeah, I... I really love Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I really love that first trailer we got for season two. I think this trailer looks incredible. It's visually spectacular, as I know Strange New Worlds is. There's a shot of the Enterprise flying through like this beautiful sunset planet. Oh my god. Yeah. Mwah. No, it looks great. It looks like more of everything I loved about season one, especially, specifically, uh, Melanie Scrifano, uh, who plays Pike's off-and-on Captain Love Interest. Yes. Um, tell. I love her. I love her from Winona Earp. She was in two episodes in the first season and looks like she's back for more, a sizable chunk. And I'm very, very excited about it. Yeah. Captain Patel. I was really excited to see more. We also get a clip. We also get a little shot of a uh, Spock and, and Chapel kissing. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, spicy. Yeah. Um, I really love how the trailer starts with Ortega's flying, falling to the air yes. into the planet. Yeah. Man, I'm, I'm thrilled. I love this cast so much. I love this character so much. I'm so excited that they're coming back for a second season that looks this good. Um, there's, I look, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that we got our first look at Jack Quaid and Tanya Newsom as live action Boimler Mariner from Star Trek Lower Decks. And my God, they look like they walked off this off, off the animated cell. It, they look so good. I don't know how I feel about Jack's wig 
in the sense of I don't know that you needed to go for the purple streak, but okay. So, fun fact. In Star Trek Lower Decks, it is confirmed that Boimler dyes his hair purple to stand out. Mm. It doesn't <laughs> it, it doesn't look the best. Sure. Uh, I'll say. It is the one part where I'm like, I get it. I get that's how he looks on the show. It's it's, it's I think maybe because it's like just it, 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 something about it is just a little off. Like it, it, I think it draws a little more attention to the fact that it's a wig that I don't know if it was just all black, it would. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that is the one it, thing I'll say about it. But like, otherwise... It didn't uh, have the purple I'm, hair. Is it really Boimler? I have no opinion on that, Brandon. I haven't watched the show. I, I know. I was just making a bit. I, I can only tell you uh, what I can tell you as a fan of Strange New Worlds and as a fan of Strange New Worlds, the wig looks very noticeable, and I think it's because of the purple. It's just a bit. Um, the uh, yeah, I get that. I actually am curious about that one because um, there are people who watch Strange New Worlds who don't watch Lower Decks. There are pe- there are many Star Trek fans who who did not um, uh, appreciate Lower Decks, like Lower Decks. They it's just Lower Decks was not for them, uh, and they and they skipped that one. And you know, no shame to that. I I really like the show, but um, having this crossover and the it, it's interesting because the tone of Lower Decks and Stranger Worlds are so different. Will Boimler and Mariner be doing Lower Decks bits while the straight cast Stranger Worlds has their their kind of more subdued deadpan humor? Um, or will the Lower Decks people be doing Lower Decks type jokes or will Boimler? Like, it's very interesting to see how they're going to approach the thing and whether or not it will alienate people from Strange New Worlds this season, at least for that episode, because it's, you know, it's episodic. People like, oh, I don't want to watch this one. I'll watch the next one. I, I doubt it'll go over that poorly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Live, live a long time. Um, the uniforms that they're wearing look incredible. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's the episode is directed by Jonathan Frakes, and I was so excited that that Star Trek Strange New Worlds, like that that shot, at least my it, it broke my little corner of the internet, my little Star Trek corner of the internet. It broke it, and I was really excited to see that because like you never see Star Trek do that anymore. Mm, hell yeah! There's a clip. I don't know if you guys watched the clip. Nope. Okay. Um, I I only want to touch on it briefly because it is the um. It is a it is a trial. Clearly, um, there's a lot of really awesome stuff that really harkens back to the menagerie, um, or different, well, maybe a different one. But um, there's a lot of really cool TOS kind of modernizations that I, that I want to call out because I just I one of the things I really like about Lower Decks is how they've modernized the technology for TOS, how they've kind of futurized it. We get these. In, in the original series, there were like these these yellow, blue, and red data disks that they just slip into a computer and the computer talks to them. And we see that in this. And I'm just like, it's, it's incredible that they thought of that. They're like, this is iconic to, to this era of Star Trek and it needs to be represented here. And I just, the dress uniforms look gorgeous. Like they popped out of the original series. I just, man, love the show. Skull Island. Oh, I was going to say, I'm just really glad that we all have things to look forward to in this season. Skull Island. I wish that this looked more like it was set in the MonsterVerse to me. Yep. I but wish... outside of the Skull Eaters on the poster, 
I don't get it. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm exactly yeah. the same, honestly. It, ben, did you watch this one? I, I did, I did. And I'm kind of like, what's the point? Well, I I do think, look, I wrote a whole article about how I think there's benefit to expanding Kong, especially in the MonsterVerse, and going back to Skull Island and doing this. And I was excited for that. And I'm, I am in, intrigued by, the, by, by this series. It's only 50 seconds, so it's not really a lot to go on. But yeah, what I'm right. presented with, I'm not impressed by. Yeah, but right. I... The only thing I could I caught was like it looks like the same animation studio behind um, Young Justice. It is. Yeah. It, it is not Young Justice. It is Powerhouse oh. Animation due to Castlevania and Blood yeah. of Zeus. Oh, okay. Um, it doesn't look as good as that. No, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It I looks mean... very stiff. Yeah, it does. And Powerhouse always looks stiff. Um, and people, man, God bless the kaiju fandom. Love you guys. But you all saying it's oh it's a feature it's supposed to look like this because it's trying to be a Saturday morning cartoon. I'm happy you live in that reality. That is not the case here. No, they just have stiff animation and like they're helped by the fact that there's a lot of kaiju in this. So like because my main thing with them is that they always have dead eyed characters, yeah. um, and the humans look the same here to me as that dead eye look. Um, but mm, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I I want to know what's going on because like it just it doesn't tell me that it's it's deepening the monster verse, which yeah. is what I wanted to do. And there's not a lot here that's saying so. Yeah. I do like that the monsters are 2D animated instead of 3D animated. That's kind well, of Yeah, cool. absolutely. Yeah. Um the other thing is that it's so I really like what Jordan Roberts designed for Skull Island in Kong Skull yeah. Island. The kind of megafauna creatures, the the things that look like these were part of the land. These were trees. These were bogs. These were things, and they but they were actually in fact uh, kaiju uh, titans. I really like that. I do not get that from the monsters, and there's a lot of monsters in this, which is awesome. But I do not get that we're staying in that the same design sensibility for these new monsters at this mm-hmm. moment in time. Yeah. So we'll see. Can you remind me if you remember? Did they establish that all the people, the the like natives of Skull Island, had died in Godzilla versus Kong? It they did, yes. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. They had died because of the storm, I think. I think that was the yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that's what I thought they said too. And I'm like, I still kind of hate that, and I kind of hope that like maybe they can improve on that idea if we even visit them in the series. But I have a sneaking suspicion we won't even see them. Yeah, probably not. Um, June though we got a date June next month. June, oh wow, June June, Barbie. I mean, one of the greatest movies of the year, I suspect. Get everything about Probably. dying. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> that's <such> fun. <gasps> Flat feet. <laughs> Just it's... like the second Margot Robbie said that, I'm like, oh, here we go. Turn. Everyone. Every once in a while, we get like a like a really big budget bonkers movie, and like this one happens to also be a Barbie movie. Um, it just looks like truly insane that like they are going so hard into like the entire Barbie world, where like she has a shower with no water. Yes, God, that I, was one of my favorite things. Like my show. shower yeah. was cold, and I'm like, your shower isn't on, dear. It's not real. She's beca- <laughs> because she's becoming too real. She walks in, and she's who? Yeah. <laughs> so she's reacting to cold water. I love that. I fell off my house. Yes. 
she's experiencing uh, feelings and like what it's like to be a real person so they're like oh you gotta go to the real world existentialism <laughs> yeah um, like, the first one I, w- I want the high heels like no 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 you gotta let's try again i i thought that was one of the best jokes of the whole movie or Ken's, the Ken trying to be a doctor at the end yes i love ryan gosling in this uh yeah but i am a man but not a doctor ah doctor <laughs> man with clipboard <laughs> man uh, yeah. oppenheimer barbie day is gonna be such a great weekend yeah this is really great yeah um i really? feel that will ferrell came from barbie land to be perfectly honest man y'all he is wearing pink y'all i'm just saying like this is not it but like it would be really cool because they're both owned by warner brothers that if he was the same guy from the lego movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my god that'd be great crossover baby that would be bad uh, he seems to have m- it would have to be like post Lego movie yeah. because like he has, he already clearly has more personality than the dad. Like the part of the, the thing about the dad, the dad had growth. in the Lego movie <laughs> is that like, he was very, very much like plain and straight laced yeah. and like needed to be loosened up. His but son I'm, like, grew up and he, he got evil Did he again. get so loosened up? Yeah. Started spending more time with the younger sister yeah, and he got really loosened up. And yeah. so he's like, now he'll roller skate chasing after Mark Robbie. <laughs> Can't wait. Cannot wait. Okay, shall we go into our main topic then? We are now going to be talking about the Mission Impossible franchise. We are going to start with the first two Mission Impossible films. Get ready, because we are going to be going through all six in the lead up to Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, mm-hmm. um, which is coming out later this, t- later this year. Um, so... Let's get right into it. I got a couple of little bits to get to get through before we get started into our Mission Impossible. We're talking about the first one now, so full spoilers for the first Mission Impossible. Came out in 1996, directed by Brian De Palma, written by David Coep and Robert Town, um, who wrote Chinatown. Um, David Coep, however, was fired uh, halfway w- when this got greenlit and then brought back when it started filming because they were like, oh, we need someone to help. Um, mm. David Coep or Cap, I've heard Cap by the way. Um, I've also he, heard Cap. Yeah. yeah, he he wrote King, Indiana Jones of the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, and the first two Jurassic Park films. He's a big Steven Spielberg guy. Yep, yep. And um, yeah, uh, Tom Cruise apparently was really interested in doing this one because he really liked the show. Uh, <laughs> this is this is the last bit of a little, little little bit to get through. It was originally conceived as a sequel. To the to the 1966 and the 1998 series, it was going to be a sequel. It's not clear if it is. By the time it was it was done, I I don't think so. I think they they abandoned that. But they also said it was meant to be. So much so that Peter Graves, who played the character of Jim Phelps, was going to be in this movie, and turned it down because he didn't like the direction that Jim Phelps was going to be portrayed in. Every single member of that original show hates this movie i mm-hmm. I, I get it and uh, i'll tell you i'll tell you my mom hates this movie yeah, she didn't really. watch the franchise because she was a fan of the show yeah she grew up with the show jim phelps is a good guy yeah um and and to be fair like i think for us if someone took something that we really liked and made a movie adaptation of it and they took the protagonist and they made them a bad guy with frankly not very good motivations then <laughs> i also wouldn't really like it that's true yeah i get it i i get it yes uh 
So I, I totally understand why people who are fans of the show bounce pretty hard off this one. Um, I think if you were to try to say, like, I don't know what the point is of it, of making it Jim Phelps if it's not a sequel. I don't yeah. think it should be. I think everyone deserves who likes that show deserves to not interpret this as a sequel to it. Yeah. But if you are going to do that, boy, do you have to develop that relationship and that character better in this film? True. If that's what you're doing. And I don't think that they do that. So I'm like, why do you even have to keep it that way? Like, just let him be yeah. some other guy who happened to be like the, the team leader and the mentor to Tom Cruise's character. Like, just leave it at that. Yeah. I don't know why we I, have to do that. I, I, I watched the video uh, about like behind the scenes too. And like, yeah, like, like you said, Brandon, like, I, initially it was going to be like a sequel with like the main guy being the bad guy and i just don't think nobody liked it so they took it back as much as possible without just removing his name as they kept his name and took everything but else away de palma also didn't want to do a mission impossible movie he's so an interesting choice for this movie because that's this is filmography like he's not really an action director he directed carrie and the untouchables and stuff and like yeah. phantom of the paradise the rock opera horror version of phantom of the opera i will and he didn't want to also... do this movie i don't i remember hearing i don't know if this is true but i i remember hearing that he doesn't even like he doesn't even like mission impossible so that could also be why jim phelps is in this movie because he doesn't yeah, care i I will also say in response to that, that I would say that of the Mission Impossible films, this is the least action film one and it's, far more drama. It is. There's like yeah. action-y beats, but it's far more about the drama. Five the gunshots. There are five gunshots in this movie. Yeah. yeah. It's, it was, and actually I quite like, I'll get into my review. I like this movie. I don't love it. I think it's good. I think it, the, the, what I like so much about it, it does feel kind of like a classic, like nineties movie. Like Brian De Palma is a good ass director. And like, I didn't, the the first two Mission Impossible movies are ones that I've seen the least. Once three hit, uh, I saw three in theaters and I was on board since yes. then. So like coming back to this, I'm like, damn, this is like a this is like a movie. It's not mm -hmm. an action movie. It's a movie. Uh, and like the the like the intrigue and the spy stuff and the paranoia, I really dig. It, this is not the Mission Impossible movies that that uh, it's obviously not what it is now. They are just like giant fun like big action movies. Yes. Um, but like the core of like there's still some of that but like i'm i i like this movie a lot but like i think i like i like it more where it is now i like it being bigger uh because i the spy stuff in this movie it's good but i can find it in other better places i think then mm -hmm. okay. you go uh yeah this is the, my first time ever seeing this movie and i thought it was good i i definitely you could definitely tell that this is a hard this is a a, a movie out of the 90s a 96 yeah. movie through and through um even seeing like the opening credits of the film, I could be like, <laughs> "Oh, that's probably a, an homage to the original television like show." A TV show. I, yes, because I, I when I heard, I forgot when I heard that Mission Impossible was a television show before it was a big movie franchise. I'm like, "Oh, like as I'm watching, it's like, okay, there's the homage. Yeah, of course, the theme song, and I think like you know the fuse being lit. It's like mm -hmm. that's you know TV show, and I do agree between this and two, this is definitely more of a drama movie." But also, I don't know if it's because of Paramount Plus and how I was watching it, but it was really hard to hear some of the, the dialogue. So I was really trying to listen. I like really had to like up the volume. Uh, I, it's probably my television set too. That's probably the reason why. Interesting. Um, you might yeah. want to look into the sound settings there because Ryan and I did not have that problem. Also watch it on Paramount Plus. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, um, I have. I have. I. Here's the thing, Ben. I have fiddled with my sound settings, and because I, there were many streaming movies that I had really hard time hearing the dialogue. So I messed with my sound settings until I got to to a point where I, where that was fixed. So yeah, I also didn't have that that issue. But it could be because I have fiddled with my sound settings in the past. Yeah. It's probably it's probably just my television set. Either way, 
Um, I do agree. Jim Phelps didn't have really good motivations. I always like, but why are you still doing this though? Did you do? But the intrigue, the who's the mole, who's against him, like who's against Ethan? Why are they doing this? Like seeing Ethan's team go out one by one was heartbreaking. And you're constantly okay. trying to be like, you're the mole. No, you're the mole. It's like, oh, it's a, it's a cabal of moles. It's like, oh, no, but it was just there was just the one or those the two. But it was more. It was more spy, less action thriller, but to finally see the scene where they're going into the terminal and you see the, the infamous scene where he goes down and he like catch it and it's caught right before he hits like Leslie Nielsen is doing right behind uh, Ryan and Sparks right now. To watch that whole scene play out, I was watching with my fiance and we were on the edge of our seats just like, no, we yeah, were actually good, reacting. Man. We were constantly reacting with the scene and how it was playing out it was it was great it was a great thrilling scene especially like when the poor guy is constantly going in and out of the bathroom poor he's, guy. he's just like Ugh. poor it's, dude it's uh it's iconic for a reason and a mm -hmm. decent chunk of it is like to your to your point of uh brian de palma like because he's far more about like the drama and the tension rather than the action like what's so powerful about it is the, the structure of the scene itself with the silence the absolute silence that's necessary for john it. reno up there too um, yeah. the fact that it's not just like trying to be sneaky it's that there is a sound sensor in the room and that is part of the tension of it and i think that's all crafted so very well mm -hmm. um that that scene itself earns mission impossible a pretty high mark with me just because the the construction of it is so intelligent it now yeah. i realize that the scene in charlie's angels where she has to like maneuver through a sound thing i'm like that's from mission impossible okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um uh, i really like the uh i really on on that i think what what this movie excels at is is a lot of the scenes between the 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 building tension scenes like with um kittridge and ethan the first time they meet in the in the yeah. how that how that's filmed how that's structured how the conversation is going is it's really incredible it's an incredible scene honestly yeah uh mm -hmm. de palma and his camera angles again like this is like this is like an Bob's action Dutch. it's like it's an action movie like that's not an action movie and like specifically like their their the conversation like there's a lot of overhead shots where you're like looking up at them i'm like this is such an interesting like he has such interesting angles that he picks for these shots and i'm like again this is like it's not your traditional it's such an interesting choice to start like a franchise with. And yes. he didn't come back for the second one, uh, which we'll talk about like for better or worse for the second one. But I'm like, to set your tone this way and then for them to completely scrap it, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Cause like, I, again, I love the movies that we got, but I could use more of like, if like they improved on what this is instead of going big balls to the wall, I feel like it could have been like a super dope spy franchise. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that the Brian De Palma is very good. The, the scene you highlighted, Brandon, as well with the, with Kittredge, like he's so good at ramping the tension with what he shows you uh, visually. Like the camera gets more off kilter as the conversation with Kittredge goes on, and then you get Ethan's uh, acknowledgement and how he shows the shots of the people all around here I've seen already tonight, and so they're agents. You've had these agents on me. It's it's so well constructed, uh, and I, I I agree with Ryan. There is an amount of like it's interesting the pivot that they make away from the tone of this entirely um, to go hard action in the next one, because uh, I think 
the firstborn takes a lot of outside of its action scenes lessons from this movie specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. with its idea of the tension of the spy action um bef- beyond like the the actual fight scene that's tony um, gilroy too i baby. think there's a lot of that baked into the born franchise like that born feels like it kind of comes back around the at least the original three specifically the first two i'd say they kind of come back around to the idea of what the initial mission impossible was doing and then add add in some more action in their own way mm-hmm. But um, it does feel like that's where the baton gets picked up from here rather than carried on in this franchise. Like the like again, like the paranoia and like, who do you trust? And like, like Ethan's on the run, like we, like we've done that kind of stuff before. But like there's just something about the way that Brian De Palma feels that we're like, I'm really feeling it. Like it feels like I like the dread and tension is there. Um, I think it's I think it's that Ethan. Uh, you Ethan is your POV character and Ethan is the only person who had ever feels at all times doesn't have all the information yeah yeah until you're getting to the end uh and and like you feel for him because like he's he's constantly just like trying to gather all the pieces uh and he's caught in the middle of it and i think that's executed so well yeah we we brought up like like the team getting taken out which is incredible but like first of all emilio estevez shows up in this movie and guys in 1996 Emilio Estevez was a megastar. Yeah. So people thought he was going to be in this movie the entire time. So the fact that they kill Emilio Estevez is like a psycho moment. Well, this is so a, like, like, it's incredible. Oh, like, he was jacked. Yes. So uh, the, I have, I have a, okay, go real quickly, Sparks. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, this is another reason why my mom hates the movie. Um, Mission Impossible is all about a team. It's not about a single agent. And like, obviously the franchise becomes baked around Tom Cruise. Yes, he does have, other guys and like that becomes more prominent i think in the later entries but the fact that like the entire team is eviscerated around him in the first like you know mission of the film um that also really put her off it was both the gym betrayal and like no this isn't about a team this is about ethan yeah um that was like oh wow this is all just not what mission impossible was before this moment so ryan brought up emilio estevez yes and i'm gonna bring this up I think the first four movies have this. There is a tradition of uncredited cameos in the Mission Impossible films, and Emilio Estevez is this one's. Um, Emilio Estevez has an uncredited cameo because he was so big. They didn't want to show that he was in the movie, so that when he showed up, people would think that he would he would stick around. I I question how long is a cameo because he's in the movie longer than like five minutes. It's it's not it's not a cameo of it's not a cameo. I'm not saying it's a cameo. It is. It is what it is called, as in the trope of this is an uncredited cameo that that the trend condition c- continues throughout. No, I get you. It's just like when when we generally think of cameos, it's like short and like that dude's a main character. And it's just funny that like there was an entire main character that we didn't know was in the movie because he was so big. It's just an mm-hmm. interesting like marketing thing of like you think you like again. I don't want they don't want to overshadow Tom Cruise, but like how much more money could they made if they if you knew the biggest star in the world was in it. It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. But then uh, counter to that, because uh, Brian De Palma was talking about it, like the, if, if they accredited him, if he was on the poster, if he was in there, people would expect to see Emilio, but having it be a surprise and then killing him, I think it's probably more palpable to, um, yeah. I think scream, to a scream, like scream, like very much showcases Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. as like, is like being in the movie. And then they kill her immediately. <sighs> Same here, right? 96. Ooh. Yeah. Good year. Uh, I kind of feel like John Voight's sleepwalking through this role. I do too. Yeah. And it bums me out because, like, a, uh, I'm not a huge fan of the man himself. He's kind of a shit. But um, it 
it does feel like, man, if you're going to go this route, like, I really wish someone was actually delivering an important relationship with Ethan here. Yeah. And I'm just not getting it. Like, I don't really care or invest in John Voight's Phelps uh, to any extent. And so it makes the moment where, like, we should feel with Ethan about him dying when we think he died. I'm kind of like, mm. It's also really funny that, like, everyone has, like, he has, like, a camera on him. And it's like, he just, like, fake shoots himself. Yeah. And I'm like, I, oh, he bought that? On, on that was so funny. To, what, what's so, not funny, but what I think is really cool about this movie is that if you've seen it more than once, I look, I've only seen it twice, but I kind of knew, I kind of knew the trajectory of it was going. But the, De Palma doesn't hide anything from the viewers not really he doesn't he's not putting focus on the fact that there are people looking at ethan and the other agents but you can see them if you're looking at the random waiter he's there and so yeah. when ethan flashes back to it realizing he saw it too the audience is like oh right i saw it so you're yeah. on this journey with ethan in that way yes yes absolutely. uh i in that note it's very funny to me that when we see the guy who ethan is pretending to be the real one on TV, it is also just Tom Cruise in a, in the mask because yes. they could not, at the time, hire an actor and then also make it believable for the face-off that, that Tom Cruise... He does have actually two characters in this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's the Russian guy in the beginning and the other, the other, the other like, uh, glasses guy, but they specifically filmed Tom Cruise both times. Yes. So yeah, yeah, he yeah. Would look, it would be easier for him to look like them. Yes. Uh, so yeah. that was on purpose. Yeah, I knew it was the Russian guy for yeah. the opening scene. Uh, as but well. there's but the other like, guy. It's fun, well. but, but we never see the real Russian guy, but we yeah. do see the real guy on the TV screen. And no, I'm that's like, Tom that Cruise. No, no, no. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Okay, we, sorry, see, yeah. we don't see the person he's pretending to be. Sure. When it's him as the Russian. So, like, we don't have the comparison of how goofy that would be. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. We do see the person he's pretending to be on the television, and that is Tom Cruise in a mask because. <laughs> that's how they had to some do people it. just look really similar to tom cruise and you know he looks up you know like that. john uh john uh, mr possible 2 gets a lot of flack but it is the one that introduced the voice change to the franchise sure yeah I'm, let me tell you i'm excited i rewatched mr possible 2 that's all i'm gonna say uh well i mean you're gonna say more but not right now yeah um uh yeah uh, the the old way of watching a movie on a plane, I just I just the it's so nice to watch screen. an old thing like that mm -hmm. and like uh, yeah you gotta put your cassette in, bring up your little bar, <laughs> this uh, ruin that plane's cassette player because yeah. it had to explode. Um, that is very much a full blown tribute to exactly the format of that message delivered in the show. That's how they delivered it. Like straight up the words for Jim Phelps, like all of that. I get that that's completely lifted out of the show. And I'm like, for the, for the people that love the show, it's like, wow, it's really cool because this is before the shit hits the fan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, right. Ryan, Ryan mentioned the the gunshot and um, the, the point that I was kind of getting to that I want to, that I want to kind of put a capper on of the, of the idea that De Palma doesn't, doesn't hide anything from us is that if you're looking at it, you can tell that that's Jim shooting himself. Like he, you mm. see the arm kind of turn around. It looks see, weird. Yeah. yeah, it looks weird. It's not someone. For, so like you, if you can. So when you're told that that's Jim Phelps, you're like, yes, that, that did look weird. And that is why it looked weird is mm -hmm. because it was Jim. But yeah. what I also like about that scene is that you're so on board with Ethan that you like for me, I believed it. Like I saw yeah. the gun. I didn't think it was like, oh, that's a weird way to move a gun. I was just like, no, not Jim. I was like, no, the, his team is dying around him. Why are all these friends dying? I thought for real that he was dead. And even when, um, like when he has his like little nightmare and Jim is walking through the door and he's hallucinating, it's like, oh, this like, this is like 
he actually does have a connection. I mean, I do agree John Boyd's sleepwalking through his role, through his performance, but Ethan obviously has a connection to him. And when we see Jim again at the telephone in London, I, I'm like, oh no, he's Ethan's hallucinating again. But it's like, oh, is he real? Like, I could not tell you how many times my fiance and I were like, is he real? Is that actually yeah. real? Or is he hallucinating? Oh shit, he is real. Okay, okay. Yeah, John, it sucks because like John Boyd is a good actor, right? Like, yeah, again, like he's he's a shithead or whatever, but like, like I I think he's trying to be like I'm calm, cool, collected, but John Voigt's not really that kind of guy. Like, I think that he just miscast in this role. I think you gotta got somebody like cooler, maybe, to be like, you know, he's like he's very reserved. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think I think John Boyd's a really good villain. He is such a good villain. I don't know if like kind of being like the the quasi-hero uh, mentor role. Uh yeah. I haven't seen every one of his movies, but like I don't like he didn't really work for me in this movie. And like, yeah. I've seen him in Anaconda where he's like, he's chewing up the scenery as a villain. So I'm like, I know he's got it. I just think that like, if the point of it is this deep betrayal for Ethan, it's not developed well. No. And I think that is the thing that hurts the movie, especially in the third act when we get to like him catching on to Jim and everything is that I'm like, I kind of, I, I, Tom Cruise is bringing it, but like, I don't, this is a one way thing. I'm not yeah. getting the development of a relationship. I'm not getting the idea that like, the implication of their history and what this should mean to, to him yeah, yeah. Uh, isn't coming off of John Boyd's gym. And I think that's a huge miss for the story they're trying to tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of, I was, I was seeing a scene in my head of John Boyd and I'm like, this, I don't know what this is from. Like it was just playing in my head. It was from Transformers. Oh, was it right. the, which scene was it? Cause I was replaying. It's John the Boyd's one when game. he's, it's, it's, in the, it's the one where, where uh, frenzy is trying to kill, is trying to kill them. Yeah, okay. Because he's the defense secretary. Anyway, yeah. John Voight's John Voight is surprisingly good in that one, which is not something I can say about his role in this one. Nope. Yeah, he just yeah. he just doesn't seem like he cares. And I don't know if that's true or not or or what, but like it it does feel like he's not invested. Like it, the the frankly, the scene that should be the most interesting um as far as like performance is the one where he catches up with Ethan and they're sitting across the table and he's telling him the lies and Ethan is figuring out that it's him. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting on Ethan's, on end, Ethan's but side, it's, it's but good. it's just like bland as hell coming off of Voight. Like it yeah. is just nothing, nothing yeah. interesting happening there. Um, and it should be one of the like best scenes in the movie. It's on half a great scene. Like in an idea. Yeah. Yeah. One actor is like giving their all. The other is just like, oh, it was it was Grebovich or whatever his name is. It was the other guy. I'm, it was Kittredge. Okay. It was Kittredge. He, he, he blamed uh, Jim. Jim Phelps blames Kittredge. Yeah. yeah, and like, yeah. you as an audience don't really believe him. Mm-hmm. Like even as he says it, because like the the performance feels just empty. Mm-hmm. John, I don't feel it's, it's like it's like he's not even actually trying to convince Ethan. You know who's an actor that I always like, no matter what he's in, John Reno. Yeah, that's him. true. He is so cool. I don't care what he's doing. Uh, he can be scared of rats all day long and almost kill Ethan. I don't care. You tried. You did your best. I really love the scene between him and Ethan with the with, when Ethan's doing the close up magic. Yes, on the necklace. That mm-hmm. it's such it. That is just like two good actors in a room acting, and I'm like mm-hmm. hell yeah. I think it's yeah. also important to like give Ethan personality. Yeah, yeah. Like I mm-hmm. think it's a big part of what defines who Ethan is. Um, that like mission impossible 2 will mention it that like he's always grinning on the job yeah um ethan loves his job and i don't actually think that's established a lot in this movie because he's in the midst of 
his team being taken out. Yeah, he where yeah, we meet yeah. him in a crisis, basically. But that scene and his his play with Max really shine how Ethan enjoys his work. Question: That yeah. wasn't Ampetunio, who was Max, right? No, no. Okay, they just look very similar to me. I, uh, I was like, I, is love, I do love her. I I love Maxine in this movie. Uh, I I I really enjoy her presence and and all the scenes are based around her. I think are a ton of fun. Yeah, she is. Yeah. she's fun. I agree. I do I do like Vin uh, Vin Rames. Oh, I love Vin fantastic. I love Luther. I love I, I love Luther forever. He's in all of them. That's great. That's yeah. fantastic. Or, or and, all of them. He, no, he's in all of them because oh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, like Tom, is in. It's not. I don't think it's his contract, but Tom Cruise will always insist that insist that Bing Rames is in the is in the Mission Impossible movie. Is it? He's great. Isn't? Is it one of them where he's only in like a small portion of the movie? He now? is in the end of four. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's almost not in it, but he is in it. Yes. That, yes. Yeah. I I knew there was one. He got um, him in there somehow. He uh, makes it in just into the wire. It's a great introduction. I really I. Ving Rhames is one of the best parts of the Mission Impossible franchise, and uh, it's a great introduction of his character. I really enjoy yeah. it. I really love uh, the scene where he's talking about. I really love his introductory scene, but I also really love the scene where he where he's given the knock list by Ethan, and he goes, "I will not let this get out in the open." Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The knock list, oh, also, one of the most used plots in spy history, but I will never get tired of it. I love it because there are yeah. there are always secret agents with identities. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta get found. Um, one of the other, also one of my other favorite scenes is uh, the, the movie where they're having a beer in England, and he's like, you know, I'm gonna miss being disreputable because you can tell he likes being a bad guy, but he likes being a good guy more. And, um, uh, the uh, uh, there's a line in this movie real quickly that I just want to highlight. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is Kittred's line in the dinner scene where he says, "You want to shake hands with the devil? That's fine with me. I just want to make sure you do it in hell." Mm-hmm. And I just think that's awesome. Yeah, Kittredge is cool. Um, I do have a small problem with the setup of Kittredge. Uh, convince the mole is Ethan, which is that it's simply. I wish that the agents that were down by the water when um, when she walks over to their target and he's been stabbed by the fence had already left the area like to either to follow where Ethan went or something because the fact that they don't go and see what happened to her and realize Ethan wasn't there it like you could argue that he has other people working with him just as Jim did but like the fact that that's not even a part of it rubs me the wrong way um it's a small nitpick but it is a nitpick like the fact that they're just kind of there by the water and they don't tail her doesn't make a lot of sense, especially because they don't know for a fact that Ethan's the mole. It could be her. So I don't know. That's fair. Um, the is this the only men- is this the only movie where we get a mention of his family? Of his mom, like and parent? Dad. I think so. Like his like his mom and uncle. I don't think we've ever we ever hear about them again. I no. I want to say. Oh, I. I could be just making shit up, but I think he talks about them very briefly with Michelle Monaghan's character, the the, mm-hmm. the lady he ends up with in one of the three or four. But I I could just be making shit up. Well, we'll find yeah. out. We'll find we're out them later. That's true. We'll find out. I real quickly, I real quickly, just I do have a point with that, um, which is that I just I I like that inclusion to kind of give Ethan a bit more sympathy mm-hmm. uh, by the audience. I I think that was smart. Yeah. Um... I like Kittredge. I like how Kittredge puts the squeeze on him. Um, I going back to that scene that it, like John Boyd sleepwalking through. Um, what I do like about it is Ethan 
as you are visually being given by De Palma, not what really happened, but Ethan interpreting what happened. And specifically that he pictures Claire detonating the car. And then he's like, no, 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 I can't think of her that way yet. And so he pictures Jim instead. Um, and like, you're never told exactly which one of those is the one that happened. Yeah. But it is Ethan trying to fill in the blanks. And I like that a lot, that you are given very clear visual language of like, this is Ethan running through the events and trying to figure out how this could have happened. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. That's a good, it's, it's honestly on Tom Cruise's part, a pretty good scene. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, um, the, I, what I like and what I think makes is part of what makes the whole get in and get the actual list scene work mm-hmm. is that the movie turns into a heist. Uh, for that specifically and like in every way that they structure it it is a heist uh, for that section and it and it just like changes up the flow of the movie at that point um, for that section and it just it's a nice feeling to be in on it uh, because up to that point you are kind of like again like Ethan just kind of like floating around being like what's happening and then like you get grounded and you're like okay we're making a plan <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really, I really dig this. I really dig this one. I think that, uh, honestly, I didn't, I didn't get my initial thoughts, but I really like this. Like, I, I, I really think this one is, is awesome. Um, not in the way that they get, but like, I, I had a thoroughly good time with this one. It's, it's operating in a different field, but like, it's excelling in it. Uh, yeah. Again, like, there's a different world where like, we kept it in this trajectory instead of going more big and bombastic. And again, like, I love the world we're in because they're the best action movies ever made. But like, like I, this makes me like kind of thirsty for more like paranoid spy shit. I'm like, Oh, all right. I wish Claire were a more relevant part of the movie. Oh yes. I do too. For her being connected to Jim's story. Like it's never even clear why she's in on it. Their marriage doesn't even feel real. Part of that is the age gap of 35 years between yes. the actors oh my god he's like yeah he's double her age but because the the marriage never even feels real and then you get to like john voight kind of not giving a shit about her openly when yeah. like all the jig is up it's like why why even make her part of this also it's, it's honestly on the level of like the movie's a better movie if claire's just not in the rest of it if she did die with the rest of the team yeah um also like in the in like the in like the the opening uh, TV part of like the the movie where it's like you know the, here's all the characters. There's a scene of of him of uh, Ethan kissing Claire that's not in the movie. Yes. So I'm like they're setting you up for literally nothing as well. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And like I don't I don't really like that angle either where Jim like throws that at him like yeah Claire got one over on you because uh, you couldn't keep it in your pants Ethan and I'm like did she because like that didn't really seem like the story we it, were telling and this is no shade on the actress I think just like from a story perspective the only useful thing that happens with Claire is her going in and helping them take care of the list and stuff. And like that, she's the one who squirts the thing into the, to the coffee mug and everything. But I'm like, man, I just wish we kind of found a different character to do that because like, it doesn't make sense to have Claire functionally be part of the betrayal with Jim. I don't think it works. I don't think the, the only thing I like about the reveal is that it is Ethan pretending to be Jim and that's how he catches her. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. I love how he pulls that over on her. But like, again, on the Claire front, it, 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 it like it just it, it means nothing, and in fact, it would make Jim a little more frightening uh, if it was that he like killed his wife on this mission, and that is part of what has convinced Ethan it wasn't Jim up until a certain point. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Be more villainous. 
Yeah, I, I mean, also like, have a these first there. two movies do not treat women well. No. And especially yeah. have characters that speak very poorly of women, and John Voight is definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, and it's a real big bummer on a rewatch. But uh that that being said, um Maxine's great. Yeah. And I love I, her. You know, I got um I got interestingly enough, every whenever they were on screen, Tom Hanks and the woman who plays Maxine, I was reminded of Vin and Helen Mirren and their just electric chemistry on screen. Yeah. Do you mean yeah. Like, Cruise? I'm, no, I mean I mean I, the the in the, the Fast and Furious franchise, Vin Diesel and Helen Mirren. No, no, no. He I mean, said, said Tom Hanks earlier. Did I say Tom oh. Hanks? I'm sorry. Yeah, Tom, yeah, but Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you're talking movie. about Vin and Helen Mirren. But the the because Vin and Helen Mirren have some it's some spicy chemistry and 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 those fast and furious movies that they're in and uh i was feeling very much the same way here i was like oh you guys got you guys are flirting dun, 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 dun. uh yeah love that love those scenes love that actress um just running through a couple of uh choice things uh what i really like that is a franchise staple is that's established is Ethan cannot allow a mission to fail. He's very bad at it. When we mm-hmm. are um, at them being outside the wall, he's very determined to find any way to make the mission succeed. And it is something that I think works for the character's pathos of his determination to try and keep the mission going forward. When Jim says abort, uh, he thinks is what gets everyone killed. Yeah. Until, until he realizes what's really going on. But like, I, I think that really works. And I think that's a strong establishment. Like that is a big, big, consistent for ethan is that he he's very very bad about letting the mission turn to failure he will not allow it nothing's impossible yeah the uh when he takes out the when he takes out the the glasses Mm -hmm. puts them on yeah that's a real good that's a real good sneaky bit with kittredge oh fun fact um the good morning mr phelps line um it is a line from the show it was also going to be the title of a series that never made it to full production mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh. Um, as a sequel series to, to Mission Impossible where Mr. Phelps was going to be like running the IMF. Ooh, uh, speaking of uh, Mission Impossible in the 80s, uh, that show died because of the writer strike. Mm. No, yeah. The 80s writer strike. It was originally going to be a, a basically shot-for-shot remake of the original show just with higher production value. Uh, and then they couldn't do that and they tried to do something else and it apparently was just awful and it got canceled. Um, uh, Peter Graves apparently um, beloved in that role um, of Jim Phelps, which is something that always kind of kind of shocks me. Yeah, I I mean, like, grow up with a show, love a show. Sure. Leonard Nimoy um, was in the first one, by the way. Huh? Leonard Nimoy was originally the main character of the first Mission Impossible mm-hmm. series. Uh, Brian De Palma has a lot of good, interesting camera choices. We kind of touch on the Dutch angles and everything. I specifically really like the elevator stuff in the opening of the film. You know, we get like a good, you know, seeing through the wall kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think all the elevator action in that sequence is, is well thought out and executed really well. It looks well. great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Brian De Palma really knows what he's framing. I think the only time that it gets a little dicey is around the train scene because there is such an amount of visual effects going on that like... Yeah. I think the train scene is pretty thrilling, but I do think like we get a little bit away from the tone of everything else we've been shooting yeah. up to that point. And I was um, watching that. I was watching that bit, and I was like, "Man, if he was filming this today, he'd be on a real bullet train." <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, it's true. Uh, I really love the firefighting firefighter angle for getting in. I think that's that's a really yep. cool uh, way of them doing it. Um, 
I love uh, how the score cuts out and uses silence again as tension when um, Ethan, uh, like the moment before everyone starts dying and Ethan's trying to like in a panic and he can't find Jim and he doesn't know what's happening. Um, and like all, all of it starts to get quieter and quieter and quieter and then everything's really going wrong. Yeah. Uh, I, I think silence in general is utilized very well by De Palma as a weapon in this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, a couple of last ones. Uh, I really love the setup of the scene for Ethan telling Max not to use the disc. I think that's just all very good. He's like, oh, you got like, what, two minutes? One minute? Um, the the camera shot when he meets the guy who's going to take him to Maxine, that it's his POV, and he comes up to the guy, and it gets him all the way into the car. Uh, it's just a really smooth camera move, which is all the more impressive for the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I just really, really like it. I think it looks really good. Um, and I really love the way the score comes in and like, cause we've been so long without it at the end of the, uh, getting the list scene yeah. once the knife hits and he sees it yeah. and that's when the score starts to build again. And like, you've, you've had it taken away for such a long time. I think it's a really good beat. Um, so I really like that. And the last note I'll say is it's absolutely wild to me that the movie ends on the song dreams by the cranberries in the final <laughs> theme for Luther and Ethan. I'm like, man, the nineties, what a weird song. Choice. It is a, certainly an issue. I love that song, but what a choice yeah. to end your mission impossible drama. Yeah. Uh, to end, to end just real quickly. Um, uh, cause we've, we've only touched on the train sequence a little bit, but, um, not really much to say about it. Um, the train action sequence, but, I really, I really do like the uh, the the the, t- the kind of um, payoff. Red light, green light, <laughs> throws it on the thing and jumps off the off the helicopter. Oh, the I think, yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a weirdly, and I think I, honestly, it's like on this extra who does a good job, but like. It just feels so tonally different from anything else in the movie to an extent of the guy who like when the train finally stops and like the helicopter blade doesn't <laughs> nick Ethan. And then there's the guy who just the guy who basically looks like he walked out of Whoville and faints. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's like that's a weirdly goofy bit, but sure. Some levity. I was gonna um, say it's like if you find a helicopter in a tunnel, it's like go faster. Don't stop. Yeah. Uh, I really, yeah, that tunnel. It's a cool idea to take the helicopter down with the train into the tunnel. Yeah. I think that's a yeah. lot of fun. But that was, it, was, it was clipped on. Yeah, they just do trap themselves into like a, a real weird visual effects moment for the 90s that like yeah. It, yeah. It, it holds up the worst of everything else that's in here just as in a visual sense. But like the far more problematic is the fact that John Voight basically doesn't say another word after he gets mm-hmm. to the roof and like, yeah, you're not a very important character, so who gives a shit? Yeah. I will one little thing. I say I like I like the gadgets. I mean, there were a lot of gadgets. Like the the gum is really good. The camera on the glasses is really cool. And of course, I I don't know why, but I like the scene. It's the train scene where you only see someone with a boombox and they're assembling a gun out of it. It kind of reminds me like man with a golden gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or whatever sure. spies have. Like they take a scene with the innocent object and they're like, ha, it's a weapon. So I love. I, uh, uh, because it's 1996 and you know technology is only so advanced but like they put like something in your ear like and I can hear you just like you're next to me yeah. and I'm like oh technology <laughs> oh it's so advanced oh no the internet when he's using the internet oh my god that is so how, how like old how ass man internet <laughs> open what do you say open internet yeah 
those web pages the, he found were even hilarious. W- even when they, even when uh, what's his face is telling, he's like, we picked something off the internet. It's like the way he says it, I'm like, oh my no, god, nineties yeah. baby. You could definitely tell the internet was brand spanking new. All right, so I got a question for you guys. Do we want to do we want to rank it a or a? <laughs> what do we want to rank it? What was the first one from? It's 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 Vin Diesel's. Is this gonna be the best one yet? In my heart. Ooh. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, it wasn't the worst one, Vin. So at least you got that one. Um, it, those both sound like they're bad sounds. <laughs> but one's one 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 is here. We maybe hear it again. One is, <laughs> and one is. I will give it an eight out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to choose, I would go ooh because I think that's the better one. Uh, yeah. I think it's a a classic, uh, great. Uh, Kind of like because it's been a while since it's unexpected of what I thought it was going to be action movie. Uh, yeah. I think it's a great time. Yeah, I uh, I'll I'll piggyback off that. Say I also give it an eight out of ten. It's it's really a shame to me because I think it could approach honest to god a nine to ten range if you took Claire and either developed her better or took her out of the story and replaced John Voight with someone else who gave a shit. Yeah, and like yeah. I think if you did those two things, this movie's like really really good. Yeah, like it could be really really great if it, if like the villain was actually delivering something for the character development of Ethan. And like, it's just just John Voight not giving a shit really brings it down. But everything else about it is like, especially for the time, like Brian De Palma crafted a very tight, very thoughtful tension spy thriller. Yeah. Um, Eight out of 10. It still holds up pretty well. Ben, what do you want to write? I give it a, a, Ooh, I give it a 7.5. Honestly. Um, it's it's dated, but it's not bad dated. I mean, parts of it are bad dated, but it's still a really good drama spy film. I mean, you you got it, mystery, you got intrigue, you got you cheering for Ethan, you're kind of figuring out the story along, you're figuring out the plot along with them. So, and also, I mean, it has that 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 terminal scene is amazing. It truly is filled with tension, and I can see why pop culture has been spoofing it for years since the movie came out. Um, definitely. It's definitely the first of a franchise, but it's it's still good. It's a good foundation for what's to come. To to your point, Ben, of like a p- part of it being dated, like I really do think like circling back, it's just the train thing. But I will say that I do think it, it serves the movie very well that it is not so action oriented. Yes. I do think if yeah. they tried to go harder on the action, a lot of those action scenes probably wouldn't hold up very well. Oh, yeah. yeah, frankly, oh, yeah. the first Bourne doesn't hold up very well in terms of its action scenes. They were so new to the idea of what they were doing, like it's really jarring to look back on. But uh, because it went for just so much tension and drama, this movie actually ends up holding up very well. Yep. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I, I'm I'm with the two of you. It is an eight out of ten for me. Um, I had a really good time with this one re- revisiting it. I haven't done it in quite a while. Um, I I think Tom is excellent. Um, this is, yeah, um, yeah, eight out of ten. I don't really have much more to add. Um, all right, shall let's move on to Mission Impossible Two. Um, wow! <laughs> uh, came out of the year two thousand, directed by John Woo. Off. Um, written by Robert Town, just him this time. Uh, but with story, and I brought story credit here because this is so interesting to me. Ron Moore, the creator of Battlestar Galactica, and Brandon Braga, the executive producer of Star Trek: uh, The Next Generation and Onward. 
Weird. What a wild team. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't see I don't feel them on this whatsoever. <laughs> um then the uncredited cameo for this episode is Anthony Hopkins, and I don't know why. I think he's awesome. His little five minutes are great. He's such a little, little, little ass. Uh, he's so mean. This like, he has the best different. line in the movie. The best line in the movie. It's like, well, it's not mission possible. Even. It's, <laughs> it's, not mission difficult. Difficult. it's not mission this difficult. Is, it's not mission it's difficult. This difficult. should be yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A, a cake block for you. Yeah. <laughs> this is mission impossible. Mission difficult yeah. should be a god. The fact when he shows up, I'm like, why are you here? I, so, I don't know. so he was supposed to be Ian McKellen. Fun fact. Yes. Oh. And and one of those this is y'all Mission Impossible Two is it, it it I'm not joking fundamentally changed genre fiction forever because there are two people in this movie uh, that that uh, uh, in terms of recasting that X Men and Lord of the Rings their major stars would be different and we'll get into one Ian McKellen was in Lord of the Rings he was going to do Mission Impossible even though it was a small shoot it still was going to be scheduling issues did so, you mean X Men or Lord of the Rings Lord of the Rings for Ian McKellen okay yeah uh, he was fine for X Men okay. um. Doug Ray Scott, who is the villain of this movie, he was cast as Wolverine. He was Wolverine oh, in X Men. God bless that that didn't happen. And oh. he got injured doing the motor- motorcycle stunt in the in the finale of this movie. So because Not of scheduling, um, I think he's he's a he's a good actor. But like we 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 did better with Hugh Jackman. But Hugh Jackman was brought in like two weeks before filming. Like, uh, we need an actor because the guy got hurt. Uh, for, and so like we lucked out on on on, 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 on because of Mission Impossible too. Well, at least Mission Impossible 2's legacy is good for something. Yeah. Hey, man. Uh, um, I'm not going to say this is a good movie, but y'all, I had a really good time. This has the lowest, probably the whole franchise, the lowest lows for sure. But uh, I I love John Woo. Uh, you did mention Face Off. He's also, he's probably Hong, the Hong Kong cinema godfather of action movies. Uh, hard-boiled, hard-target, the killer. Like, the dude is, the dude is bona fide badass. <coughs> um, and he is, if anything he feels a little restricted in this movie with how violent of a filmmaker he is. Mm. Um, he is incredibly violent. He makes only rated R movies. So the first thing that happens in this movie is a silent neck snap. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the beginning is awesome. And then some of the Tandy Newton stuff is is a little questionable. Tandy Way, thank you. Uh, Tandy Way, because I looked up the DHs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tandy Way, thank you. Um, I think the action in this movie is awesome. And I, I eat camp up. Like this is not an accident the way this movie is made. This is this is a Hong Kong filmmaker making an American action movie, and I get people not liking this movie. Uh, again, it has the lowest lows. Like I think there's some really bad shit in this movie. Uh, that final action scene is incredible and really fun, and the inspiration for a lot of things I grew up with. Uh, I think this movie is super fun in the same way Too Fast Too Furious is. Not a good movie. I'm glad I watched it. Hell of a good time. Sure. I. I so when the movie started. I would. I think the opening is awesome. Um, right up till Ethan throws the glasses and the and the and the thing and the nice with the theme song. I th- I'm like, hell, oh my god, yeah, I've been wrong about this movie my whole life. I'm about to become like I became a Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift lover. I'm about to become a Mission Impossible two lover. Let's let's do this. But as it got as it kept going, I lost interest. And by the time we get to the final action sequence, I believe it's too long, and I've and I've checked out of the movie. Sure. I completely second that because there are parts of this movie, especially during the second act into the third act, I felt like the movie was dragging, and I was, re- I was like, I don't want to check to see how long it's going to be, but I really hope this movie ends soon. 
I could def. I mean, this the action piece in um the bio and Biosign where they're trying to where Ethan's trying to destroy the virus and only one survives. I think that's a great uh see, scene, especially with Ambrose like doing the whole like I know exactly what he's going to do because I played Ethan before. I love that. And I th- and like he know he's every step of heaven. I think that's a great scene, and Ethan's just falling for the trap. I think it's I think that's really cool. Um, but there were parts of this movie where I'm just like I'm kind of like that scene in um, Holy Grail, my Python, where they're like, "Get on with it." I will say before you guys give your thoughts, I this movie is incredibly is way too long, and uh, after the 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 bio the bio sign or bio biosec or whatever uh action scene i was like okay this feels like the end of the movie right and i looked and there's still 30 minutes and yes. i do think it there, should be 90 and i do think there there is great action afterwards but i definitely felt like oh man i i this movie's dragging um mm-hmm. i think yeah. the motorcycle chase is better than the final fight to an extent um i'll get into that i i'm pretty negative on this one mm-hmm. um i don't think this is john Woo's finest showing by, no. by a pretty pretty large margin and whether that's faults of his own in some cases or faults of people on the crew or um the studio specifically the editing in this is terrible um and i don't just mean that because of like john woo's own style of filmmaking there's a lot of really inventive camera shot decisions that john woo makes here that i really really like um it, it, it the problem is that um he not him i'm not gonna say it's him i'm gonna say it could potentially be studio interference or editor i don't know but the editing is bad. There's a consistent breaking in the action scenes of the 180 degree line that frankly gets confusing. There are um, shot clips. There's this one part in the final fight where like Tom Cruise is punching Ambrose and like it is it is a different shot midway through, but it, it's the same, like it's a, just a different take. And uh, and he comes back for the other punch, but if you watch, like it clips, he's out of place all of a sudden. Like it's it's literally a different take where they liked the third punch better on that one for some reason. So they they clipped it in, and like it's it's ugly. It is just really ugly editing. What and if I told you the first cut of this movie was three and a half hours? God. So I totally believe that the editing. Uh, obviously, no movie should be that long, especially a Mission Impossible movie. But right. like he he shot for the stars and i think they were like you got to make this a two-hour movie so shit got cut badly. and and that that could be what we end up with as a final product just it's it's not uh it's not the best of what i think john woo could do with action and then the other part of it and i will say that this isn't entirely on this film i am uh like ryan i came in at three and invested forward um when i went back to look at when i went back to look at two uh three four and what would be the rest of the series was already in my head and this to me doesn't feel like mission impossible um it feels so away from the first one and then away from the rest of them that i'm like this just doesn't feel like it belongs like i i I barely get the idea of ethan in this i i don't feel like he's not the same character it doesn't feel like it lives in the world um the tone of it is all wrong like it just it just even if it's retroactive it just no longer belongs in the franchise to me and so it makes it really hard to engage with in that way and again not entirely this movie's fault but in it's so trapped by its uh, time period and the idea of what an action movie should be. And I think specifically like a big blockbuster action movie should be and not necessarily what a John Woo action movie This also be. came out a year after The Matrix, by the way, everyone. Oh, <laughs> no way. I could, I could that, tell the, I, the Matrix. Shot. I think the studio specifically, like they wanted to get a big action guy like John Woo. 
uh, the Matrix is inspired by John yes. Wu movies, among other things. Right. So I have to imagine they're like, hey, can you do what you do for us in this thing? And then we'll edit the shit out of it and to make it make it the highest grossing movie of the year, by the way. It was the highest grossing movie of 2000, yeah. which is bananas. It was the first movie in <laughs> 3,000 screens. That's crazy. Big oh movie. <laughs> That's crazy to think. Um, yeah, I don't think this movie is particularly good, but like, it is John Wu still doing his thing. So like, I find tremendous value in this movie. Uh, I'm never going to rewatch it ever again. What I will redo is rewatch the scenes on YouTube where uh, they have a motorcycle fight. Um, that's, it's just, it is, I can't imagine watching this in the theater in the year 2000. Like you love that first Mission Impossible movie. You're like, cool, I'm getting another, like maybe a Brian De Palma sp spy thriller. And it opens with Hans Zimmer wh whipping guitar, which I think, I think the score for this movie, you know, it is not the Mission Impossible standard. I think it's awesome for what this movie is trying to do. Hans Zimmer was given make a rock version of Mission Impossible, and he did it. And he mm -hmm. nailed it. I think it's awesome. Yeah, um, I, I want I want to say some some positives also. Um, because on that, yes, the music. I actually really like the music. Um, the the moments, especially when it goes like really hard, I think oh, are yeah. I think effectively build up hype again. Um, Hans Zimmer is doing some legwork uh, in this in this movie, and it shows in a good way. Oh yeah, and, 100%. Uh, the uh, the 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 opening is just awesome. Like honestly, like I really I really like the opening when with the the doctor and then everything up until like I just I already said it, but like everything up until the the igniting thing. Like I I'm like really invested in the in the movie. That's the that's when I'm mostly invested in that film. In this film is is in this moment. Yeah, because you can already you can immediately tell. Uh, well, not immediate. Sorry. After a while, you can tell like Tom Cruise is acting a little shifty. He's acting a little and yeah. uh, uh, like you know, a nega Tom, a nega Ethan. And then you know, obviously they do the, the mask thing. And like, I it's a good reveal. I think there's there's, a, there's like twelve thousand more mask reveals in this movie. But honestly, a lot of them work for me because like you know, it's just, just I'm I'm here for it. Like, I'll um, even say all of them work for me. I, I I like every reveal of Ethan of evil Ethan. I like when we every single time we learn who it is. And then when when Ethan puts the mask on the guy that on the the guy who lost the his finger um st stab stam you um, mm -hmm. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or stamp i think stamp yeah. uh i i think i think that that is that that's awesome when it's revealed that it's it's actually ethan i yeah. really i maybe because i i how much i dislike john boy <laughs> i really like ambrose as a villain like i always also i love the trope of having like the mirror villain like i am like you but the dark side of you uh, I think that's awesome. And again, I think my favorite scene is Ben when he's like, I know exactly what Ethan's going to do. So Ethan's like, oh, the ground's too thin, so I go upstairs. I know Ethan's going upstairs. We're going to go from the ground. And I'm just like, that's some awesome villain spy shit. I don't know what, why he is evil. They don't really say why he decided to go evil. Right. And again, like, I, I, it doesn't super bother me because, like, the, the vibe this movie is throwing off. It's just like, who cares? Um... But like I really like him and his whole crew. It's also really funny that his entire crew are all like really good character actors who I love. Um, uh, Stamp uh, is the bad guy from Moulin Rouge, my favorite musical. Yep. Uh, Richard Roxborough, he's an awesome villain. And I love that dude in anything he shows up in. Uh, I think his whole crew, like the tech guy, he's a villain in so many things. And he has like no lines. But I'm like, I know you. Dominic Purcell from Legends of Tomorrow is one of the bad guys in this movie. Doesn't say a word. He's in this entire movie. I love it. Great, great bad guy crew. Uh, I, I have to say, because we're on that note, um, 
I don't care for Dougery Scott's performance in this. Sure. Uh, I don't really like Ambrose in the sense I think he's the weakest villain of the Mission Impossible franchise. More than John Boy? In not in the sense of performance, but as like what he means in the story. I think that like Wally, I you're right about the biosite thing and like outthinking Ethan in that regard, but he feels outside of that scene uh rather dumb for his uh, the way he goes about his his plans and how he like a, a great example is when stamp does have the ethan mask on the fact that he doesn't catch on to it when he can't speak uh that that the scene doesn't move quicker to make ethan have to move and get the thing out of there that that wouldn't be the way he caught on before he shoots the shit out of him i hear that i see i don't view i i view that as a character flaw not a not a negative of the movie sure because he is an asshole and he's all about getting his rocks off he wanted to kill ethan so bad he was blinded that it wasn't his that it wasn't. i i i hear you on everything that like is about like the the, the dark idea of ethan as uh represented by ambrose and it, it's there but it isn't there enough for me in this movie sure. it's not he's not developed enough the idea of him uh betraying the imf and like a a, a history behind them um it it, it he doesn't impress me and he doesn't connect for me sure. uh so like it, I, i'm not saying like oh it's an objective thing it is subjective and for me uh i don't like his performance very much um and i don't like the character as much frankly frankly to me uh i think he's out he's outmatched by both uh richard roxborough as stamp and uh brendan gleason uh who i know is a much better actor from just everything else i've ever seen him in john c mccloy uh as the the guy who runs biosite uh frankly i wish that it was him and richard roxborough like being the two main guys like he's his muscle and he's the guy running things sure. and that that he was the uh bad guy for this movie rather than uh Ambrose's I had that I had that same thought honestly when when Brandon Gleason showed up in the movie I was like oh you know there's a movie over here where where he could have been the villain I I'm kind of with you Sparks um on on Ambrose part of the reason why I checked out of the film as I mentioned up as I mentioned a little earlier is because I got to the point where I was like I don't get why any of this is happening I don't understand what you're why you're doing it what you're doing I'm and and I'm not really enjoying this performance I was just kind of like yeah, all right. How much longer to we're done? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a plot from Metal Gear Solid Five, so I was very much into mm-hmm. the idea of uh, um, um, manufacturing a virus to get the get the cure to. This is the same plot from Spider Man with Dragon's Breath. We're going to manufacture a disease, release it out into the open. We're going to uh, make a cure and make billions of dollars. This is also a a very tropey thing, but like this, it's. It's not as as uh, I, I get as other other versions of, of that. That that I think it is it because like I I recognize the trope and I and I I kind of understand on a surface level of what's happening. It's just the way it's present the package that it is presented is not strong enough for me to really care. I guess sure. that's what I'm trying sure. to say. Yeah, I'm not gonna. This is not one of those movies that like I want to defend like a movie that's good. I'm just it was easier for me to accept the things because I, this movie is. I mean, you guys watched the movie. Like, I'd rather just accept it than than not accept. Yeah, it. you yeah. you're 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 maybe beating the movie on its level in a way that I I frankly just can't. That's fair. Um, yeah. And like, I I can't and I can't tell you if it's entirely pacing or it's editing or it's writing or uh, performance. It it could be a different factor. It's all, at all of different them. points. It, no, it is all of it. Um, depending on what point of the film it's in. Um, I I don't. It, it Ambrose. Uh, 
some of the some of the, I like. Uh, let me find a positive. I like the uh, bit where he wants to take off uh, uh, Stamps' finger because he's like, I I know what kind of show I'm running and that kind of thing. Like it's it's one of the things where I think I wish he just had a little bit more identity. Uh, and I feel like because of the amount that you get him working with Tandy Way Newton, you should have more of that. And I don't think it's there. I don't think it's there all the way. Yeah. Um, on that note, I really love Tandy Way Newton. Um, it's I, I love her dearly. I'm devastated that after, and I love that she makes the choice to inject herself. That yeah. is like a moment of agency for her. Yeah. And then she never speaks again for the rest of the movie. Doesn't say a single word. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that stinks. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't want her to die because, like, I didn't think that they would do a thing where, oh, Tom Cruise is going to shoot her to save her. Like, I didn't think they would do that. I would be okay if she was going to commit suicide to save, basically save the world. Yeah. Because that would have given her agency, too. But then they also don't do that. Um, she's she's such an incredible talent. Um, yes. And I think she's really good in this movie. But, like, again, I've watched I've watched interviews, like, talk about this movie. Like, she had a bad time on this movie. Um, just because, you know, being in the, this came out in 2000, but, you know, like the late nineties and just being a woman in the industry, especially a, a woman of color. Yes. She was very young at the time too. So like, uh, t Tom Cruise, uh, was very stressed to make this the best sequel possible. So like, it's partially on him, but it's like, she also said it's not his fault. He was just, he was doing his best, you know, you know, it was the industry and stuff. So like, it was the, it's uh, unfortunate, you know, it's the, this the scene where, she, where they first meet that I think she was talking about was really uncomfortable for her. And they tried like role reversal and it didn't work. And like, there's, there, it just wasn't working for them on an actor level. Yeah. And I, this is like where the movie really lost me the most. Uh, it, it's the stuff where like, he's kind of just like stalking her and it's mm -hmm. really weird. And like, I understand like you're trying to like uh, recruit her as like an agent, the beginning, the beginning part, yeah, yeah. but like the stuff, like the car scene while a good stunt is, insane yes like she almost she just straight up tries to kill him and i'm like is and and but it's like sexy it's like we're sexy spies but like it, that's attempted murder it shouldn't have needed that whole extra section um like we should have just gone the the pacing this is a great example of the pacing of the movie being wrong is like i think the in the tub stuff you you go from there and that beat of engaging with her to the anthony hopkins scene and we spend way too much time on the him and her just talking before we even get to it's like 35 minutes into the movie when anthony hopkins says this is the mission yeah um and like that is too long it's yeah. just too long i agree i do think i we could trim the movie still but it is an important fact that like he has to know her and sleep with her and then anthony hopkins like knew that was counting on that to get her into the entire operation but like yeah 35 minutes is way too long to start the actual mission of the movie yeah. But all but all that labor needed to happen, just tighten it up. Just yeah, crunch those. Numbers. Yeah, I think I think that it it just takes way too long to get us there. Um, and I think there's frankly a better way to have written it to have it already exist. Like you know, you could already establish that he was he was involved with her or something, and that like he he'd already been with her because she left Ambrose or because they also had a previous relationship. Like there's just ways to get this more efficiently. Yeah, and it's sloppy. It just feels sloppy. Uh, getting all the way up to the Hopkins. We just we just don't need twenty minutes. Exposition. Twenty minutes of them just like being sexy together. Like that's yeah. a large part of the movie. And like again, like I love sexy people. Like they're both hotties, but like so much of the movie, it's just them like staring at each other for like yes. Come on. Now uh, I will put out a positive related to that, which is that after he gets the mission statement from Hopkins because of their relationship, it is one of my, I do think this is one of the core parts of who Ethan is. 
and it is functionally something I appreciate at least being in this movie because it does, I think, again, continue a consistency about who his character is, which is that he he really doesn't want her to be involved. He doesn't want her in danger. This is very important to him. Yeah. And when he has the it's it, when he has the line where he says, "Would it make you feel better if I didn't want you to yes. do this?" And she says, "Yes, much." And then he shouts, "Then, then feel, feel better. better." That's a and good he's very scene. clearly upset. Like that is that is a fundamental truth of who Ethan Hunt is and how he feels about other people being involved and put in danger on his name. Yeah. Uh, and that part works for me. Yeah. I love anytime um, Ambrose is disguised as Ethan because it's Tom Cruise getting to be a little nasty. And I like when he has a scowl on his face because I think he's good at it and he's not, he doesn't get to be a bad guy enough. Yeah, I agree. Um, Sparks, last night, little inside baseball, you talked about a little bit about something about Ethan's character in this film feeling different than the others. Yes. Can you elaborate on that? there's this uh, part of this is, I think this is the one that takes him too close to trying to be American James Bond. Oh yeah. Yeah. As a sure. character. And some of that's like the, the sexiness with the ladies, but some of that is like, I think the only way that anything is even kind of recognizable about this being Ethan Hunt and not just Tom Cruise plays American James Bond is because Tom Cruise made a choice to make sure that that stayed there. And it, those moments where I see, who Ethan Hunt is as we know him from the previous movie and in the rest of the franchise, it are few or far between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I also felt that they were people's um, perception of Ethan yeah. is a little strange considering we only have the first film to go off of. You, you know how there's, you know how there's the Austin Powers movie where Tom Cruise is playing Austin Powers. Yes. Mm-hmm. It yeah. feels so directly like parroting this specific movie um like it is this specific idea of the uh spy that tom cruise has played and that is not to me who ethan hunt is in the franchise as a whole and we again and also again remember this movie came out this was also after goldeneye before the next james bond movie so like the the idea of wanting (laughs) like hey we we need a cool action spy man let's turn mission impossible a little maybe more into a little bit more james bond totally makes sense from the producers producer Mm -hmm. angle uh, again, it's, it's cynical and shitty. Maybe uh, again, I got, I got sick motorcycle fights in here, but like maybe don't completely change the trajectory of a franchise uh, once it started. Maybe. I think I think the key thing being just go from Mission Impossible one. What is absolutely critical about Ethan is that he cared about the people that were work- he was working with, regardless of if like the John Foy performance doesn't deliver that back to him. Yeah, he cares about the people he works with, and that matters. And in this movie. He doesn't care about Ambrose. He doesn't care about uh, the the other ways that the, the people who would have been associated with him in the IMF would know anything about this. He cares about Luther. Uh, he cares. He cares about Luther, and he cares about Tandyway. But it it does feel still even against what Tom Cruise is trying to perform in a sexualized way, like a way where she's being reduced down to an object. Yeah. Regardless of how much Tom Cruise is clearly trying to play away from that that is in this script and yeah. that is in this movie structure Ooh. and it and it's just not who ethan is yeah when you see him in the first one or the ones after he's just so much a person who cares about people this is also the mission impossible f- franchise is very interesting because it's not like a franchise where oh a movie comes out in 96 the sequel comes out a year later this one comes up four years later with it like with the same one of the same writers, but like an entirely different creative team. Like besides that, like you know, do director and stuff like that. And then it's how, how when does three come out? 
2006, like, I think. So yeah, six more years later for the next sequel. That's that's like ten years for three movies. Like that's not that's not typical, right? So like, there's no like through line idea of what the franchise should be until I think three and success of three, really. Um, because like this one, like it doesn't feel like that first movie whatsoever, except that it has the same character. <coughs> who doesn't feel like the same character at all? Yeah. He opens up and he's like a rock star. He's like Tom Cruise said the 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 best way for me to reintroduce him is to be free climbing. Uh, that's where he has it in life. Like he's not the same Ethan. I'm like, I sure I get it, but like you feel like a different character. Yeah. You feel like more like a Mr. Rockstar instead of like team player uh, spy man. Yes. Um, and again, like they're just trying to make a different movie. Uh, it didn't didn't totally work. Yes. Great action movie. Like, not a great Mission Impossible movie, maybe. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple. Um, I do like Ethan giving Ambrose shit for being stupid and killing the scientist who had Chimera in him because he's not good at the mission shit. Yeah. I yep. just wish there was more of that development about there. Frankly, it's the fact that they don't have enough screen time with each other. They have the one scene where they're talk, shouting at each other in Biosite, and that's kind of it as far as, like, dialogue between the two of them. And so everything about, like, what their history is with each other is told through us in exposition or just vaguely hinted at, but it's not developed. The, the, the only exhibition we get about them is that oh yeah he's doubled me a couple times i didn't like his vibe that's that's yeah. all we get i know he's them. quick on the gun and he likes to lay some bodies down yeah like and it's just it's it, there's so much more you could have done for how these two like i'm trying to think of a good parallel but there is one of like when someone's met their match because like they're they're so intimately familiar yeah with what they do and who they are another mission impossible movie maybe <laughs> another mission impossible movie um uh, Fast and the Furious movie, maybe even even like yeah, you know, it, it, it's just it's just like this idea has been executed much cleaner and and better and with more depth for the character and like it should be something that develops Ethan that another IMF agent who would be connected to him so much so that he would be able to impersonate him uh, has betrayed yeah IMF again. That's like, you know, the foundation of what we have for this character is a movie where he was betrayed by an IMF agent and his team got lost because of it. And now a movie where the guy who pretends to be him for missions has now betrayed the IMF. And like, you kind of got to look at that through a certain lens as a character and analyze it. And this movie's just not interested in doing that with Ethan Hunt, which any other Mission Impossible movie, as we'll see down the road, absolutely would be. Yeah, it definitely feels like, again, hiring John Woo, it definitely feels like we want we want to turn this into a big action franchise, right? Um, and like again, like I I think the action in this movie is really good, but uh, the the story stuff in between, it's like they're having the one guy write this movie. Uh, you should have got David 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 Nett back. Maybe he maybe he was the guy to wrangle in that first script. <laughs> Um, this is some of the this is some of the really bad slow mo in this movie the the kind where like it doesn't mean anything it's just a guy falling to the ground and dropping his gun like it's a guy who I don't even know the name of we're yeah. just showing it for some reason and like it it's not it's not well interspersed and it's not well set up um, and like I said John Woo has done this kind of stuff better in other places right. and this before is just, and after and this is just not one of the finer outings for this kind of method uh, it, it, it also just like it, for me it doesn't work the way that like his camera pull-ins usually would um, the, the 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 it just comes off as hokey it feels totally inconsistent with some of the like more grand setup shots that he'll do or some of the transitions like the the dress transition when they go to spain in the beginning of the movie is such such a clean looking thing and then you get these like not good broken 
camera pull-ins that that height are supposed to heighten the drama and like i don't care so i looked at the editor for this movie and has two editors one who doesn't have a wikipedia page and the other who does and he's an incredibly he, he's done a lot of great work so and he's worked with uh john woo and and like michael bay and tony scott in the past so like he's an he's an editor for action movies but there was also another guy who worked on it who i can't find an info for so i'm curious if there was like a second edit again that first three yes. and a half hour cut like I'm curious if like oh we gotta we gotta chop this up. It feels like there has to be because there's just choices in here that don't make sense. I can give you a great example of the 180 degree rule that I was talking about. It's a scene where Ambrose is coming down on the knife on Ethan, and you are following on one side of them yep. uh, for that whole fight. But the moment it shows the shot where the CGI knife is above Tom's eye, you are suddenly on the other side of his head like completely the polar opposite it's jarring and it's confusing and then you immediately revert back and then you immediately revert back again and like it it doesn't work it just doesn't work i want to talk about uh that stunt real quick on how uh, uh tom cruise has always wanted to die since the early since the early days um that knife scene is mostly 90 95 uh, uh practical except for the one shot of cg for some reason but that is a real knife that is on a string that falls to tom cruise's face one inch from his eye and it actually falls one inch to his eye. Uh, he really wanted it to happen. Second, it has enough tension on it so Doug Ray Scott can put all the pressure he can on it to make it look real, which is something you're not supposed to do as a stunt person. If it, It's very stupid. You're supposed to be pulling it, and you still get the same reaction that you're putting pressure on it. So Tom Cruise could have almost died wanting to be really cool. Uh, I'm glad you didn't, Tom. You got better about your stunts. Don't be so stupid about them. <laughs> that was I, when I saw that video. I'm like, I cannot believe the, st the studio was okay with that. He's really wanted to die since since his 20s. That's crazy. That's why he has his own insurance company. Uh, real quick, just breezing through some the the doves are a lot. John Woo, uh, baby. The sexist dialogue from both Hopkins and Ambrose about, oh, um, yeah. about yeah. women being deceitful and yeah, fickle really, really stinks. I mean, like yep. Ambrose can be the villain. And so like, that's one thing, but the fact that Hopkins get, does it too is like, boy, howdy, rough. Uh, this starts to feel just like the perspective that you want to share on women. Um, yeah. And when you don't write the female character have to have a lot of agency on her own, it's a real bummer. Yeah. Um, it's so, so dramatic with the fake Ethan reveal of Stamp, the, the freaking choir coming up. I love the, it. Uh, it. It just, it doesn't land for me. I'm not with the movie at that That's point. That's fair. That's um, fair. I was, I was hooting and or hollering. I'm not, I'm not riding with it the way I wish I was. Um, there's way too many repeated shots in the edits. I know this is something that John Woo does, but here it's just not working most of the time. Again, this could be an editing problem, but like some of the repeated shots are like, this is just breaking the, the action in a way that doesn't feel right mm -hmm. um on a positive note i do really like the build of like uh what he does with the shot composition and the edit with the stomping feet and going up the stairs for tandy way you have the dancers in yes. spain this is the beginning of the movie and you've got like them stomping their feet and you're also being intercut with tandy way traveling up the stairs and it's a good like tension builder of where are they going and that kind of thing i think that's really well done Ooh. like yeah. john Woo's not asleep at the wheel here it's just not a full vision yeah um i love the scene again um when they're entering Biosec, and it's not a shot of them, it's always it's the shot of them reflecting through the floor. So it's it's, it's their full mm -hmm. bodies, yeah, but it's, it's always a mere shot. I'm like, it's a great damn, shot. John, you bring it, in. Yeah. bring it more, please. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's I've covered it. Yeah, I that final action scene, it is just mm. completely ridiculous. Um, first the motorcycle part, then this, and then this they drop kick each other on a beach. Uh, I just think it's totally bananas. Um, and like, yeah, like I'm not. 
I didn't I'm say not, like I'm not checked out of the movie, but I'm just here having a good time, was watching fun things happen. Yeah, I didn't I didn't say anything about it, but obviously I love Ving Rhames in this movie. Oh my god, it's eight hundred dollar Gucci shoes. Uh, I really I really like Ving Rhames in this movie. Also, I the the last action scene. I gotta tell you, man, he gets uh, when when he when he died when he gets killed on the rock killed on the rock i was like oh good we're done thank heavens and then he's alive again and i'm like just just be done with this man but yeah. that said i may have been checked out of the movie at that point i do think it's kind of cool when he kicks the gun up out of the sand that come out of nowhere yeah it was pretty cool it's also it's also again like this is one of those things where like not developing the character very well and like this is not to me what the Mission Impossible franchise is because most of the films do not end with like a brawl uh, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and like John Woo's usually pretty good at this, but to me this this doesn't land because why is Ambrose going after Ethan? This like he's kind of already lost. Like I, the only thing you're going to gain from going is either killing him or or getting killed. Yeah, and like he could yeah. he could bail um, and and live to do pull a scheme another day. And like it's it's bizarre, and we don't know enough about him. And nor do I feel like there's enough of a relationship there to feel the conviction to like I absolutely just want you dead at this point and and i wish that was there i wish that was more present in who ambrose is that he's like at this point i only want it to be you or me and i don't care which way it goes and and i i wish that we hit that level with the character sure all right well why don't we do this then ben yeah this was the not the only mission possible you saw but one of the only mission possibles you've seen prior to this right this is the my first one. Oh gosh to rate it Oh, five. Wow, that's actually right. I, I don't I don't have nostalgia goggles for this movie. If I have nostalgia goggles for anything, it's just that soundtrack. Um, because the soundtrack was in my dad's car when I was younger and I was he would of course he wanted to play the two songs I disappear and um take a look around by Limp Biscuit, first one by Metallica. And other than that, that's all. That this was my I didn't take anything away from it as a little kid. The only the only scene that I remember when I first saw this movie as a little kid is when Ethan takes the sunglasses off and tosses them and it explodes. That was the only thing I remember and how it goes into the Mission Impossible theme. The rest of the movie, I'm like, yikes. I mean, good action, yes, but story drags. And it's just, I there was there was all there was definitely a point in this movie where I'm just like, be over. I'm done. <laughs> I want to play uh, Tears. I was, I was this close to go upstairs and get my social. I can't do it. I got I got to got to power through this movie. Brian or Sparks, rate it. I'll give it a 6.5. I think uh, it's got a lot of really, really fun stuff. Uh, I do like the villain. Um, it's just unfortunately one of those things where like you and he made fa- he made face off before this, which is so interesting because like so it's not his first like American movie, mm. um, but it definitely feels like he. He didn't have full reign to be himself like he did on Face Off. Because Face Off is, the one is a weird ass movie. It is the one that made him quit Hollywood, though. Yeah. Yeah. And, go back. And, then, and he's made nothing but like awesome like Chinese epics, like Red, like the Red Cliff Parts one and two. It's like a four hour long epic. Um, yeah, uh six point five. Like I almost gave it a seven, but like I'm never gonna watch this again. And I generally like to watch seven. So like I'll watch the fun stuff on YouTube again. Like I, I think uh I think some of that stuff's real, real fun. I love those. Sparks? Uh, being pretty generous, it's probably a six. Um, there, there's, there's 
you know things to like in it but like it, I, it just doesn't vibe for me and i i will admit that like a fair bit of it is like already committed to an idea of what i like about mission impossible and, and most of that is not in this movie um which isn't 100 fair to it but it is my experience viewing it and so like uh it, 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 i i wish i liked it more i feel like there were ways to execute better on it especially but whether it's for john Woo or just for the story it wants to tell and it's it doesn't get there and i don't vibe with it the way i wish i did and this is the second time i've gone into it just really wanting to give it a chance and give it its most fair shake and and like every time i think oh man i'm gonna i'm gonna like just like you said brandon like ah this is the thing that i'm gonna latch on to and like i do really like this about it and then it, it hits me with a thing where i'm like i just don't give a shit i just i just i wish i gave a shit and i don't give a shit um one other note I forgot uh, is that I do really like when um, Ethan pulls the the hospital bed scene with Brendan Gleeson's character McCloy and, mm -hmm. and it makes him think that he just like fell asleep in the limo and, that's an awesome and had a messed up dream about the guy he got killed. Um, that was pretty cool. Uh, I think that's that's really effective uh, and just really cool. Um, and I really like that. And again, like Brendan Gleeson's such a talent that it, it's one of those things where I'm kind of thrown by the fact that he's not given more. To well, me. here's the thing, y'all. Brendan Gleeson was not the star, even though he's an older man already, he is not the star that he is today. He is no, still no, a small-ass actor in the year 2000. No, 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 that's what I mean. It's like, it, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm fully aware I am bringing, like, later knowledge going back to a movie at a time period when it is, and, like, I've seen Brendan Gleeson so much more where I know what he's capable of, and I'm going here, and I'm like, man, if only he were the, like, and I get that, that's not the, that's not the time of his star power, um, it's just it, it, what what is on the plate here is not for me. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think I'll give it a six, um, but a more generous six. Um, I'm not quite I'm not quite uh, at Ryan's peak, but there is things that I do like in this movie enough to be like, yeah, I, I don't I don't truly hate it. Um, once I get into like five territories, I kind of feel like I start to hate a movie. Um, so I, I think I'll give it a six. Yeah, it's an all right time. I don't. I, I like Ryan said, I'll never watch it again, but yeah. Shall we book club? Okay. Let's do it. Um, all right. So book club time. It is my turn. And I picked American born Chinese by Jean Luen Yang. Sorry. I've got it. I've actually got Luen it. Yang. Luen Yong, thank you. Um, I've got. I've, hold on, I got to get the colorist, which is why I'm I'm pulling it up right now. Colored by Lark, uh, Lark Pien. Um, so this is uh, what we think of this. I love it. There is no world in which that show is going to be this book. Yeah, no way in <laughs> hell. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> no way whatsoever. Uh, uh, but I you're think right. this is incredible. No, no, no! You're you're 100 right. I watched parts of the first episode with my fiance, and it is not that book. Well, the trailer, right? Like, I was I went into this book with the trailer in mind. Obviously, I picked it yeah. because the uh, because of the show uh, premiered on Disney Plus on Friday at the time of this recording, and I and I've been interested in the show since it was announced, and and uh, watch having the trailer in mind and reading this book. No way that whatever whatever was marketed. As American born Chinese is not this book at all. Once uh cousin Danny stuff started happening, I'm like, there's no way in hell Disney's making this. It's really just running with the idea of like descendant of the monkey king befriends 
Chinese guy at school. Yeah. And and thus story ensues. But I hear like, that I hear I haven't watched it, but people who've watched it like they say there is a bunch of God stuff in it that we just haven't seen from the trailers. But it is not the political commentary that this book is going to do. And that's the thing is that like it's kind of a bummer to have something that's so deeply autobiographical. And I think Young talks about it really well at the end of this. Um, but that is so deeply tackling like the parallelism of the story and journey to the West about the monkey king resenting being who what he, he fundamentally is yeah. and that tying into a deeply personal story for the characters that we're following of uh, by the culture around them being um, kind of tricked essentially into um, disliking that you are Chinese, that yeah. they're wishing you were white. Um, mm. And like it, it, it feels so poignant to um, tie those things together and uh, that that's the idea it's driving home and it is a shame that like I know the Disney Plus show will never go for that yeah but like as this comic um, this graphic novel uh, that this is Yong's first like fully published graphic novel um, it's getting 2006 what, this what is, an incredibly this what an incredibly wonderful and deeply personal um, way to go about like trying to young says it really well in the afterward but like reaching out to the outcasts and trying to um connect with not just like american-born chinese individuals but all individuals who feel like they've been shut out by the society that surrounds yeah. them to the degree where like they kind of hate who they are just for existing as they are uh and i think this story is done so so well in executing on that mm -hmm. even as a it's very hard and is as it should be uncomfortable to read the like uh, Chung Ki yeah. uh, parts of the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and the last book you read from Jin Yang was, was Superman Smashes the Clan, which is a very similar taking, mm -hmm. you know, a, a kid's story and putting real world uh, uh, ideas into it. And like, and like, this is just what this guy does. Uh, maybe, maybe not with Shang-Chi, the book he's currently writing. That's just kind of like a fun, fun story. But like this, this is like, I definitely was expecting more of what I think the show was going to be. It's like a, a young adult thing, but like, this was really powerful. And like, it ends in such a beautiful way while like, feeling so real despite being about like gods and, and deities and like it just it was really it's the power of comic books and like what you can do with storytelling in this capacity is really cool now one of my favorite aspects about this book is how all three when you're like when you go halfway through the book all three stories seem to be different but there's different but there's essentially a same parallel yeah in them why or at least with the with the story of the monkey king and Jin's, whereas you get the um the sitcom bit where that's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable and supposed to um uh, and it's supposed to make you be like holy crap this is like some really horrible like chinese stereotypes stereotypes that have been around that have been perpetuated for years and it's just really bad and the the clapping to make it seem like it's like a tv show like yeah, a, yeah. A, like a serialized a sitcom, tv show yeah. a sitcom which yeah. like they, this shit did happen you know like you know not that long ago this the, type of racism when you mm -hmm. get to the end and you realize like who danny really oh my is, god it's like, like a it's like a oh, twist it's like a deep, movie yeah. twist the deep self-hatred yes that is mm -hmm. embedded in that storytelling i think is so like uh, graphic novels are cool um yeah. especially when like they get to do something that's so deeply autobiographical it's like, I, I i've never read an autobiographic uh, autobiographical graphic novel that i didn't think was really poignant and really well thought out of um conveying something that is so universal sometimes in ways that words necessarily can't because the visuals are part of it too and the crafting of when uh he changes into danny 
the Danny we know from the sitcom. I'm like, oh my god, this is so mm-hmm. icky and uncomfortable. But like, you're immediately like able to resonate with Young, uh, being steered in a direction of desiring that, and like when he shouldn't, when he shouldn't have to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and like, and uh, actually, Brandon, you haven't said anything. I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on your own book club. Well, I, I I agree with Sparks. What, he, what he's saying, you guys talked about um, the the Danny reveal. Um, that's kind of where the, this book clicked for me. I was not in love with it when I was reading it, when I was going through it. Um, and but I, I was really enjoying it. I I generally like uh, Gene Young uh, quite a bit, and so like I'm, I'm I'm really enjoying it. But but it really clicked when we go back to. Um, the old lady who said um, you can do anything if you sell your soul. Um, and then we get the payoff um, where, where she says, um, so little friend, you've done it. Now, what would you like to become? He sold his soul. And so he becomes Danny. Um, I, I, that's a, and then it cuts to, and then immediately cuts to the sitcom again um, to give the audience that this is what it is. That's kind of where, the comic was like, oh, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down now. I'm, 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 I get it. I'm with you. Right. I, I got that we were paralleling like the Monkey King's resentment of being a monkey yeah. with mm-hmm. Chinese Americans' resentment of being Chinese. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't know how those two things were going to blend together. Um, and I kept, especially because, especially because the trailer for the Disney Plus show had completely thrown me off of wondering who that how the monkey King thing was going to get involved and like where it was. And I'm like, boy, I, like that needed to be nowhere near my head yeah. for how the connecting piece was going to come about. But it's so um, poignant and beautiful, frankly, like one of the pages that guts me the most, but I also think is one of the most important in the book is the one where Chris uh, comes up and says, I need you to not date her anymore. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, Oh, do you like her? Oh no, no, no. She's like a sister to me. I would never, but like, um, you know, she like deserves the best. Yeah. Uh, and she needs to make sure she's in with the right crowd. So, like, you know, can you do me that favor? Do me a favor. Yeah. yeah. And and like, it's that kind of like, you. We all know that that we've heard, we've encountered, and heard the stories of like that one who like will probably never look back on that and be like, that was racist. Yeah. Like it, it's it's just like no, it was just like I was I was doing what you know was best for her in the moment. Like I was just like it had nothing to do with race. That's the lie. Uh, yeah. this, this comic has a lot of, you know, like big fantastical moments and like, but it also has a lot of obviously little beautiful moments. Um, after, um, after the, the girl he likes gets locked in with his best friend and then he has a conversation with her and then he, he asked her out and she says, yes. And then there's the scene of just him in bed with the yeses. Uh, incredible, beautiful, yeah. uh, uh, brought a, brought, brought a huge smile on my face. Yeah. There's, mm-hmm. there's also a bit where he's lying in bed thinking about her before that. And I immediately, Ben's going to get this. I immediately popped back over to gravity falls and thought of like Dipper when he's talking about having a crush on Wendy and he's like, well, yeah. it's not like I lie awake at night thinking about her. And then immediately smash cuts to him lying in bed, staring at the ceiling. He's like, uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love, um, when when the monkey king is like is like meeting the, the one above all or whatever and he brings all of his kids and wives and he's like these are all of your wives and children being king has its benefits mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. all right all right i really like how uh jean young plays with the comic when we're in the journey to the west section 
um when we're when when he tries to escape the this like the 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 god of gods yes and he he breaks out of the he breaks out of the comic he breaks out of reality itself his own reality and goes to the four gold pillars and the reveal the five sorry thank you the the reveal that the five god the five gold pillars were actually this god's hand is wow that's really trippy because the thing goes right through it yep um and the thing um, as you do the 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 reveal is really is really cool and effective when he holds up his hand and is like, actually, that was me. I was always there. Yeah, I agree. I agree hundred percent. Oh, it made me so mad when he kissed when he kissed uh, his his best friend's girlfriend, Susie. Uh, oh yeah, because like being a teenager, you have so many feelings. I understand. Like, but like you, you just want to cause pain. Like you just want to cause anger. I'm like, come on, bro. Yeah, and then when, like when when Wei Chen shows up and confronts him, and he just like goes even worse on him yeah it's like oh, what are you doing like, i think that's one of the best parts about it is like that trend like that we are given through the main character's perspective the the being the conduit of where racism has been projected onto them and thus in feeling like the only way to fit in and adapt to society and belong is to channel it also directly. Um, and so just passes exactly what's been put onto them onto someone else. And it's so deeply uncomfortable yeah. and so yeah. deeply sad that that's, that's real. That's just how, mm-hmm. that's how it's been for so long. And it's so uh, awful. Yeah. The, the yeah. three storylines are all dealing with with racism different ways but like the monkey king one is is pretty subtle and then you have the human one which is like real life and then you have the the sitcom which is like it really in your face and they mm-hmm. all three like like we talked about like they're all working together in tandem of telling a similar story uh and actually being being connected with the monkey king like being a real god and whatever um just really great storytelling just like it, it it all connects like again the twists like it feels like a like an actual gut punch uh but i i got it here but like the very beginning of the book i was like i knew i was in for something because like the monkey king stayed awake for the rest of the night thinking of ways to get rid of to get rid of it and get rid of his his monkey feet because like oh everyone needs to wear shoes and I'm like oh man it's so subtle if you're all thinking about it like he doesn't want to be a monkey like that's that's mm-hmm. that's internal racism and like it just it perpetrates out bigger and bigger into the other stories and I'm like damn yeah. Gene you got it yeah um there's a uh, there's a bit where um that I really want to highlight at the end where it's um after the Monkey King has revealed himself to Jim and Jim is going to go to the to the diner uh, and he goes to the house hey uh, can I borrow the car keys and um he asked his parents to borrow the car keys and he's like oh but your but your cousin chinky uh uh is in town he's like actually he went home already he's like but his flight isn't until next week and then the old man then the dad says honey you'd better call your sister and tell her to expect uh chinky early my sister i thought he was your sister's son (laughs) (laughs) and does the two of them be like wait who was this kid (laughs) who's eating all our food uh, I just thought that was really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. Um, yeah, I just I I really really like this. Um, uh, the way that like customary norms feel feel forced on it, like that he feels awkward because like how his family has never heard of deodorant mm-hmm. and the panic that that creates and um, and moments like that. Oh, the uh, bubbles. 
the the very very real and true execution of like the teachers saying came all the way from from china san francisco um and like things like that or uh the you know obviously the mispronunciation of the name which like woof um or uh the one that really stood out to me because i'm like i remember this i remember like kids in elementary school talking like this about chinese people um so it's like it feels like very in tone with like the era that yang yang is uh talking about yeah. is um is the eating dogs thing yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. and uh the that that way and like it was a while before there was a because i was in a small school there it was a while before there was um i actually don't think they were chinese i'm pretty sure they were vietnamese but um until there was someone who other students thought was chinese and would talk that way about and like how how deeply like rooted that idea and that perpetuation is right and like oh and then the teacher even talking about being like now don't say that i'm sure that ever since they came from china they don't do that anymore like they don't do that anymore. continuing that myth and continuing to perpetuate the idea of like this is just who they are and like it's, yeah but like now they're in america so they're not like that but they were like that and like oh god yeah. i hate racism yeah and like <laughs> again comic books man like if it wasn't if it wasn't Disney making it, like th- this could be like a really awesome, like like important cool show to be like big fantastical story, also dealing with like internalized racism and racism in in, in, in the youth and stuff. And I'm like, I'm sure I've been hearing like good things about that show, but there's just no way. I haven't heard anyone talk about that show that it tackles the comic in, in the same way. I and I'm can't, like, I can't picture it with the show that they're selling. Like I don't know. I'm how, sure there's like... gonna be like the base immigrant stuff, but like there's no way it goes like really deep into it right like i i we could be wrong i've watched it but like ben you said he's watched the first episode i saw parts of the first episode i haven't oh, seen the whole okay. thing okay well maybe maybe it secretly secretly got got the juice i mean i saw michelle ben, yo show up that was cool then i'm assuming you would have brought it up by now but i am curious did you happen to talk to fanny about this at all i talked i talked to her more about the book like I was yeah no her, that's what i mean about the book mm-hmm. yeah i talked to her what, about it. what did she what did she have any insider input on it uh not a whole lot um because i was really just telling her how from what i saw of the show and how the book is different especially when i first like i I read this essentially in two parts i read half of it last night the rest of it today and then when she came home from work i told her about how everything like connected about how like oh yeah wei chen is the son of the monkey king and all this other stuff but it's not as fantastical as the show is it's more dealing with like with like you know racism and stuff Mm -hmm. um and uh, and she was and other than that she was just like oh okay she was because obviously the show from what i did see was very it was an action show we see the monkey king we see michelle yo as a as a goddess um i forgot the name but i know she's the buddha that's on my roommate's necklace um because my roommate told me that and there's like still more about the show like there is some internalized racism in the show there's a scene where Jin is trying to is trying out for the soccer team and he um, he unfortunately got hit by a door earlier and he was on a and they are referencing a essentially like something happened in school where he crashed into some glass and you know someone made a like a tiktok app of it and then they stitched it to um kihei wan's character which is from a 90s sitcom where he says and excuse what I'm about to say here. He goes, "What can go wrong?" And he's saying "wrong" instead of "wrong," and then a ceiling fan falls on his head. Okay, so that's really interesting. So, Quan's character is—is is he only like? So, is he in like his imagination? And he's from a sitcom? No, the sitcom is real. 
like okay. it's oh, it's a actual, yeah it's a tv sitcom from like the 90s that um Jin and his dad are watching and the real and the only scene that i saw once again this is the first episode where uh Jin is trying to try out for a soccer team and the coach calls him jim and okay. everyone's yo the show up. might have the juice all right yeah. it might have the juice and they are making then then finally Jin takes his anger out on the kid who he thought because right before they go to try out the um the white kid leans over and says well what can go wrong kind of like like the sitcom yeah it pisses him off he kicks him and the coach is like whoa 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 jim jim he's those no my name is Jin," and like all right really straight up says you are saying my name wrong and just goes off and kicks the soccer ball but it's funny because after he kicks the soccer ball away um the coach is like dang and then the kid who got kicked is like dude and he's like oh yeah yeah yeah, right get you to the nurse because he gets, he's impressed by Jin, even though he tried to like he essentially just like jump kicked the other guy. Well, Ben, you you keep watching the show and you report back because it's like if it's got the juice, I want to watch it. It might. Have I want to support juice. the juices. I, I mean, it's still. Juice. I mean, it's still. They have elements, but it's very light. It's not hardcore as oh, in yeah, like yeah. the right. But you, but I already that was way more than I thought was going to be. I there. thought it was going to be you, like mixed. And you have not watched the whole show, so like the, you know, I'm I'm interested to know. That that the fact that Quan is playing a sitcom character oh. who's like that is like, is really you know informative. Now that I think about it, it might actually do have the juice because there is a because I mean it's in the trailer, but we get more of the scene where um, the teacher pulls Jin out of class to introduce him to Wei Chen. She messes up his name and she's like, "He's Chinese, like you, and you have so much in common." And he's like, "What do you mean we have so much in common?" Yeah, I, mean, I did. Does... I, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So it, it might it might have some juice. It might Love have it. some juice in there. I like. Thank you for adopting the juice, man. Ben, 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 good, uh, good information, and Brandon, good pick. Okay. Sparks. Yeah. What's up? It's your turn next week. Do you know what it is? Oh God. Um, oh God. Man, oh, if God, I have to wow. be, if I have to be on the spot like this, I just, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Oh. Uh, what, whatever will I come up with? Sorry, I didn't have it open already. <laughs> um, it's uh Ben Riley Spider Man. Ben Riley colon Spider Man. Who's it written by? I don't know. I don't have that right here. Is it the newer the newer book? Yeah, it's the new one. It is written either by uh Zeb Wells or or uh uh JM De, De Mateus. It's that one. JM Dame. Oh, that's gonna be an excellent book. Oh shit. Uh all right. So that that's that, guys. Um, so stay tuned for that. Of course, next week we are also talking about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, it's almost like I was thinking about that or I something. I cannot believe it's out. Remember it got delayed? Wait, Spider-Verse is coming out next week? Yeah, Ben, it's next week! What? Movies are back! They're going rare, but they're back. I didn't think we were talking about Spider-Verse. Ne- Where the Dude. hell have I been? I, do you know what that means? I gotta rewatch one of the greatest movies ever made. Oh man! Oh, oh shoot! On a oh, no. Holy. I thought it was still coming out in like December. Oh, we're no, in movie it's this season, week, buddy. No, it got delayed. We're in the delay now. We're here. What is time? Uh, Transformers: Rise of the Beasts is, I think, the week after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time. I won't be here for it, but y'all have a good time. Is, and then Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Nope. Flash. No. Flash. That's three weeks away. Yes. Holy shit, dude! It's movie after movie after movie. It's Spider Verse, Rise of the Beasts, The Flash, and then we have a dead week, and then Dial of Destiny. That dead week will be our next Mission Impossible's. By the way, oh, it's like a good, that's, two, that's two good movies. I'm not, oh, hell yeah. Uh, all right, so stay tuned for that. 
That'd be cool. This is how uh, the audience knows that Ben never looks at the schedule. <laughs> All right. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening or watching or whatever you do um, to to consume this podcast, as it were. But, uh, of course, you can check out other shows, such as my, uh, my audio-only show, Conversation. Conversation has a third episode. This, yeah, three uh, episode out uh, where I talked to Sean Farrick from Trek Culture and the Clone Star Podcast that is linked below. This week, this coming week, will be Cookie from Just a Little Podcast. Um, excited for you guys to hear that one. Uh, of course, you can check out Fake Nerds Watch, uh, Fake, uh, Fake Nerds Watch, Basement Arcade, Basement Arcade Pause Menu uh, in order. That is the, our TV after show, our video game Let's Play show, and our video game discussion show uh, in that order. Uh, new, new episode, episode of Pause Menu came out this week. New episode of Pause Menu came out this week is linked below. A uh, real Pong, right? What was mm-hmm. the guy's name? Ben? Uh, Yuri Yakimenko. Thank you. Um, of course, Fakner Book Club, Animation Station, and The Real Score. All shows you can find on this channel. Uh, new episode of The Real Score soon. New episode of Animation Station. Uh, if we can get it coordinated, it will be soon. So, so stay tuned for all of that jazz. Of course, you can check out our Patreon and our T public linked below. Um, our website is still down, um, although I've, I've got a lead. Um, our, our website is lost in the internet, and I've got a lead on it. Um, so you can, uh, so um, you can't currently go to the to the website, but you can check out our Patreon and our T public if you'd like to support us financially. Linked below uh, in the description. Thank you to the everyone who listens. Thank you to everyone who watches the live show. Thank you to everyone who watches the rewind. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, thank you to Jeremy Vellucci for all the music that you've heard here tonight. Uh, as well, you can check out his his new his podcast, Suburban Proctologist, at uh, facebook.com slash suburbanproctologistofficial or Instagram at subproctpodcast. His social media, of course, is Jeremy Vellucci underscore wreck of time on Instagram. Um, thank you to Mike Patola, wonderful collaborator of ours. Uh, did a couple of our logos. I collaborated on a few episodes. Um, you can check him out at Mike Matola on Instagram and TikTok. Excuse me. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Fake Nerd Podcast. I'm uh, guys at gmail.com. I'm at BT McClure on Instagram and Twitter. I also write for CBR.com, AtomicGeekdom.com, and write and edit for KaijuRamenMedia.com. Ben? You could follow me um, to staying up way too late playing tears of the kingdom at ben Maga 27 instagram twitter tiktok and you could also find me writing for old school gamer magazine fusion gaming magazine go to nintendo.com and playing mary frankenstein on dean dark with new episodes coming out wednesdays last week's episode is linked down below sparks you can find me asking what's up danger at sparks witty on instagram and twitter s-p-a-r-k-z witty what's up danger? ryan hey y'all you can find me, and I say this every couple of weeks, and so far it's never come true, maybe streaming tomorrow, because boy howdy, I need to do some streaming if I ever want to be, you know, like be a streamer, which is never going to happen. So like you could maybe find me streaming unless my brain says go F yourself, lay in bed instead at DJ Tony Snark 616 Watch me play Marvel Snap. All right, subscribe to us on... Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music and Podcast, and Pandora. Rate and review wherever you get us. We greatly appreciate it. Like this video. Subscribe to this channel. Until next week, guys. Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny.